Hi there, what's up, man? Let's see what's going on. Well, Kevin McCarthy got ousted. And, uh, fuck-faced Nazi Trump got a gag order from Judge Arthur and Goron. Ah, let's see here. NASA's takeover of the ancient sites, power control, and ancient terraforming. One day ago, Billy Carson. Yeah, let's hear some, uh... Way something mind-blowing matrix and the nine to five and now live this beautiful luxury lifestyle here in dubai don't want to live in dubai Scriptures, you pass away. 
whatever it is, your energy is recycled back into the system again for reincarnation, usually uh, without memory. You know, little tidbits here and there, little flashes, but not a full understanding and knowing your memory. But according to a lot of the books that I've read, the tablets that I've read, you have the capability to go beyond that. You can incarnate at will with full memory, where and when you want. Time is an illusion. So you can incarnate not only on the past, not in the future, but you can also incarnate to the past and also back into the present as well. And this is something that um, a lot of people don't realize. So we have to go to, to the Great Pyramid soon. And the reason why is because NASA has taken control of the entrance to the Great Pyramid. Yeah, NASA. They've taken over a lot of ancient sites, sacred sites. They've taken over, um, uh, even down in Peru, they've taken over a couple of sites. They've taken over the Grand uh, Canyon access to certain areas. They have literally control of those areas now. Um, and uh, they were saying that soon people won't be able to climb up into the King's Chamber. So, you know, and the reason why is because they're claiming that the Great Pyramid is sinking. Okay. okay. That's the best you guys got. The real reason is because they've discovered everything that I was talking about earlier. All those mathematical computations. Can you imagine what they're doing with their supercomputers and all their geniuses that they've got working around the clock on this stuff? They found some things out and um, they want access, they want control of it. They're probably realizing that according to these ancient tablets, the Great Pyramid also was a portal generator. It used to generate portals. Down in the halls of Amenti, Thoth would appear and disappear. It wasn't magic, he was walking through a portal. I went to his house uh, where in, uh, in um, uh, Teotihuacan. It's still there in the Teotihuacan complex, and it's the house of Kukulkan also, Thoth the Atlantean. Uh, and to be actually in the actual wall structure, the house where he actually lived for a period of time, even if it was just on vacation, was absolutely amazing. The Pyramid of, the pyramid of the Moon was dedicated to his wife, and the Pyramid of the Moon is actually eight pyramids stacked on top of each other. Uh, it's an amazing structure. The, uh, the Pyramid of the Sun, uh, that's there, which is a larger one, it's uh, exactly 50% the height of the Great Pyramid in Giza. So exactly, and the base is identical to the size of the base of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And both pyramids are built on top of aquifers, which means that the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan was a power generator. It generated physiostatic electricity, which resonated up into most likely a chamber, which was then emitted through the apex and picked up by other technological devices. They also discovered um, tons of mercury underneath the uh, Pyramid of the Sun. Mercury, which we talked about earlier, was a technological ferrofluid that can be used for anti-gravity purposes. Another thing that was incredible at the Teotihuacan complex, which is kind of unique to the other ones that I've been to, is that all those pyramids are connected by an underground tunnel system, which is a shape, in the shape of a perfect box, and it connects all those uh, uh, little sites together. But what's amazing about it is that there, it's lined with mica. Mica is an insulation, uh, you know, it's, it's used for insulation. And mica had to be mined from several hundred miles away and brought to that site. Uh, and they brought tons of it there to line these under... I made over $10 million on Amazon. If I lost it all and had to rebuild in today's AIA, here's exactly what I would do. First, I would use AI to find a popular product on Alibaba. Because energy was flowing to the circuit, a gigantic circuit on Earth, a, a gigantic 
and you're going to see some amazing content when I show you these images. I'm just going to blow you away. Uh, the Unigami Pyramid in Japan and the Devil's Triangle has a, has a gigantic, massive alien face carved into it as well. So I'm going to be showcasing all these faces from all around the planet. Machu Picchu is actually a face looking up at the stars. A super massive face that converted a mountain, an entire mountain, into a face. I don't know uh, if you guys realize what kind of technology they would take. <laughs> this is a face looking up at the sky. You see the nose, the mouth, and the chin. This is a terraformed mountain. It's well known as the terraformed by all the guardians. So you guess this is not a natural formation. It's been, uh, you know, the mouth and the chin. This is a terraformed mountain as well. You guys realize what kind of Devil's Triangle has a, has a gigantic, massive alien face carved into it as well. So I'm going to be showcasing all these faces from all around the planet. Machu Picchu is actually a face looking up at the stars. A super massive face that converted a mountain, an entire mountain, into a face. I don't know uh, if you guys realize what kind of technology that would take. <laughs> this is a face looking up at the sky, you see the nose, the mouth, and the chin. This is a terraformed mountain. It's well known as a terraformed everybody, all the guys so you get this is not a natural formation. It's been uh, you know, created that way, it's been um, formed that way, terraforming. That's, you know, that's a massive one. You can convert it. I've been at the base of that mountain, and I said, no, I don't want to do it. Because it's so steep. This one is so steep. I mean, it's like climbing up. And you don't get there early enough, you can't make it down, uh, back down before dark. But I did go to the top of the other area of Massachusetts and look down to the same view. But that particular mountain in the back on that face is super massive. Uh, and for this face, it's extremely steep. It's, it's very dangerous. So if you can get there, check it out before they close it down. I tell people travel while it's still legal. Mainstream media refuses to talk about this viral video. Folks, this is very important, and every American needs to hear this. Something big is about to happen to this nation, and if we continue to look the other way, we are going to be in serious trouble. What I'm talking about is something that could completely wipe out the lives of you and your loved ones. This has nothing to do with wearing silly masks again, or China buying up our farmland left and right, or spy balloons soaring through the air. 
or even the now hundreds of thousands of people pouring into this country, crossing our borders. That's all a distraction because what I'm talking about is much, much more serious. This veterans documentary is streaming online right now. It's completely free. And I urge you to watch it on the next page as it'll explain everything. But you have to hurry because it keeps getting censored, blocked, and taken down. So you have to watch it now. We have to utilize while we're here because we're in Jamaica's now. We have to be able to go to that point. But we need a massive amount of conscious people on this planet that are not, not afraid to do one thing, say no, like I said yesterday. When we all say no collectively, we overthrow this system in a, in a week. Without any pain, suffering, crying, wars, rioting, picketing, running through the streets and carrying on, we just gotta say no. No, we're not gonna pay our mortgage payments. No, we're not gonna pay our car payments. No, we're not gonna pay our tax. No, we're not gonna buy any oil. No, we're gonna take all the money out of your bank. We're not gonna give you any more money. No, no, no. And just in one week, listen, when Martin Luther King uh, did that thing with the buses, he had everybody stay off the buses. They were begging people to get the music. You can drive the bus if you want. Please. You can own it. Just pick everybody up on your way to work. They were begging people to get back on the bus. Begging. Can you imagine if 30, 40 people could get to work on Monday? What would happen? Can you imagine if 30, 40 million people went to the bank at the same time and said, give me my cash. Oh, by the way, only 15% of the people would get cash because there's only 15% of the available money in cash. The rest of this digital zero to one that don't even exist. So a lot of people are going to be upset when they go there in the first place. There'll be no cash to be given out. You see? And for all the people who have over $99,000 in the bank, they're screwed anyway when the economy collapses. Never put more than $99,000 in any one bank. You have to have multiple banks with multiple accounts, no more than $99,000 in each account. Because when the economy collapses, it's not FDIC insured. You just bye-bye money, gone. Bye-bye, it's all over for you. The only insurance is $99,000 on business. You have to know about that kind of stuff. So never put more than that in one account. Unhappy when the buildup is coming already again. And it will, you know, it's a pump and dump. This whole economy is what they call a pump and dump. They pump it up and then they dump it. Right now, silver is being artificially held down financially. That's great. Well, then why? Who's buying all the silver right now? Rothschild and Rockefeller. How are they doing that? They own Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. And they're buying like every ounce. They got like uh, 19 million ounces now that they've accumulated. Then they're going to artificially inflate, inflate the price. And people are going to think, oh, it's going to the they got to buy options. Then, when it gets to a peak, what are they going to do? Pull the rug from under you and crash. Come on, how, how long can we fall for these tricks? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, how long are we going to go to the voting booth every four years and try to vote for a president? I mean, come on. I, I, as a kid, I was looking around like, are they really doing this again? And I'm talking about this is back in the Jimmy Carter days and stuff. And I'm like, this is like, I saw it. Ronald Reagan, I saw it, I saw it. And I'm like, man, when you get to a certain level of spirituality and understanding and faith and confidence in yourself, and understand you are your own president, you control your own destiny, your own life. No matter what's going on on the outside, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. Period. Period. I'm moving with power. See, so I don't, I don't care if Trump, Bush, Obama, I don't care Queen Mary, I don't care. None of these people are going to stop me. None of them are going to stop me. Not one. That's the mindset I have. And it's not ego, it's confidence. See, if you're in the game, you better be playing to win. If, if, if Michael Jordan came to me right now and challenged me to a game and I took the challenge, you better believe I believe I'm going to beat Michael Jordan. Now, are the odds against me that I probably would lose? Yeah. 
player. But guess what? Every dog has his day. And if I take the challenge, in my mind, I can beat him. If I take the challenge, every day you wake up and you try to enter into this capitalist society, you're taking the challenge. But if you're going to take that challenge, why not play to win? You got to play to win. You got to play to win. So you know, I'll be in the future, I'll be doing more financial seminars also. I'm probably going to start winning for a lot of those initially. But I think people need to be brought to speed on how to operate in this matrix, this financial matrix that we're living in. Until we come to the point where we can actually overthrow it, we got to play it. You have to put your toe in the water. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if you do, you got a chance to win, as long as you believe it. If you're uh, infused with knowledge and understanding of how it works. And what's allowed me to get so big, even in social media, uh, or in media in general, is I take all the tricks. I study these elite people. I study everything they do. I study how they put information. I study the wording that they use in their marketing tactics, how they use their programs and everything else. And I, I, I take notes on it. And I go back and I say, okay, this is what they did to get this particular response. This is what they did to get this particular sale. This is what they did to get this particular branding. And then I go and I replicate that same tactic that they spent millions of dollars on developing and all these genius psychologists on developing. And I utilize it for my own purposes for good. That's it. That's how you do it. You got to know how to play. It's called judo. You take the opponent's energy and use it against them. Okay? And when you get to that level, you don't have to worry about, you don't worry about presidents. You know who I vote for? Every four years, I go down to the voting booth. Look at my, look at my Instagram account for the last four years ago. I put my own name on the ballot. I vote for myself. I vote for me. If you're voting for somebody else, you're relinquishing your power. You're giving away your energy. You're transferring your energy that is supposed to be for you and your family to another soul that doesn't even care about you. Doesn't even care about you. If you go out here right now and something happens to you, financially or even physically, that person that you went all out of the way for, campaigning and running around and voting and everything else, is not going to call your house and check to see if you're okay. It's not going to happen. They're, they only care about one thing, every single one of them, enriching themselves. Enriching themselves. Okay? And I don't care what color they are, I don't care how old they are, how young they are, I don't care about all these debates and all this other kind of stuff. It's all about making money. And why do people run for president who are not in the bloodline? Because as you know, every single president has been related to the bloodline. Every single one. And if even Van Buren, who wasn't in the direct line, was still related to the world, he would still be traced back to Arabia, all the way back to where? The Syracuse. Obama as well, his mother, Stanley Ann Dunham. A white woman whose father is a CIA agent. And she's directly related to who? The president bloodline out of England, uh, John Lackland, who's related to who? The Arabian kings who's related to who? The pharaohs that migrated out of Egypt who's related to who? The Siberian kings was located in Oshkosh, the They're all uncles, cousins, brothers, and sisters, and everything else. And we keep chasing after them and transferring our good energy into their vessels and giving them the power to do what they do to enrich themselves and their families. And guess what happens? We end up with a short-handed stick. So I'm not a polytrician, but I'm just telling you, the polytricks, if you can try to reach spiritual enlightenment and another level of consciousness, your best bet is to try to stay out of polytricks. Now, I'm not saying that local elections don't work. Your local sheriff, your local mayor, your local, uh, you know, people that you want to elect in local power. You got people that people got to show up and make it happen. That doesn't happen unless you show up. But the presidential election, 
You don't pick the president. The president is selected. They're not elected. They're selected. Thirteen people put in a ballot that makes the decision for the president. It's called the Electoral College. If you don't know what that is, look it up. The Electoral College elects the president, not you. No matter how many votes go in, no matter what happens, those 13 people are given orders as to what ballot to put in. And guess what? They always say transgender. It's made very, very cool through the media, through TikTok, through Reddit, through Tumblr, through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter. This is a person that's a cousin on one side and a person that's a cousin on the other side. And all the other people that are not in that race with the bloodline, you don't think they know this? You think they're running for president because they think they can actually win? They're running for president because they're getting campaign funds. Hell, I should run for president. I'd give me $15, 20000000 million, spend $1 million on my campaign and keep the rest. That's what they do. It's a fundraiser. This is why Bernie Sanders keeps running for president, running for president. He's not going to win the presidency. He's getting cheddar. He's playing the Matrix. He's smiling all the way to the bank. You got to know how to play. When Trump gets online and makes a tweet, you think he's, oh, these guys are psychologically crazy. He's psychologically ill. No, he's playing the stock market, man. Listen, he controls the stock market. He calls his people, hey, put $10 million on a put, which means I'm going to bet the market goes down today. Put $10 million on China trades. I'm going to tweet now. Be ready. $10 million embargo on China. Market goes, hmm. Guess what happens? He makes $100 million that day. And he laughs. laughs. The next day, I changed my mind. Market goes up. They put money on the call. They make money on the way up. Up and down, up and down, every single other day, making millions and millions of dollars a week. And people are going, this guy's a dummy. No, 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 no. No, 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 they've turned the force for their own agenda. They know how to use the force. Everything they do is ritualistic. All ritualistic. All they know how they know how to work things to create their own realities for themselves. They know how to put things out there that create generate frequencies and vibrations in the music, in the transmission of the shows that are coming on the TV at 420 hertz. All the stuff that they do is targeted towards manipulating either space time to generate the reality and the outcome that they're looking for. And we just keep sitting here like, you know, zombies and letting it occur and happen. That's why I tell people, when I look at what's going on, I don't get angry. They're just doing what lions do. Like I said before, you know, we have to come to a point in our mind and an unconscious soul in this land where we just say no.
we're listening to some Billy Carson, and I was just saying how, um, you know, if the Pima County Sheriff said just, like, done a search of my property instead of immediately cuffing me and putting me in the cop car and sending me to jail and all my animals and my friend and his animal, his pet, his emotionally support animal, fucking nothing. That's what's going on in America. This is Billy Carson, Ancient Wisdom and Modern Science of Quantum Resonance and Manifestation. You're not going to get away with it, assholes. Got a multi-million dollar lawsuit coming your way, motherfuckers. And guess what? Everybody's going to thank me. Everybody's going to thank me and elect me president because... I made it so y'all have to follow some fucking rules. You have to respect some civil rights. It's called the unconstitutional, unreasonable search and seizure, motherfuckers. Read, read up on it, bitches. This stuff wouldn't even be here. There wouldn't be cars, clothes, stages, lights. It wouldn't exist. It all began as thoughts, which became, uh, you know, a two-dimensional object, which became a three-dimensional object. So I said, you gotta be extremely specific. This is what the ancients knew. They were extremely specific about everything. If somebody was gonna sit down and spend a month writing, etching in with a little tiny stick, cuneiform text on a stone tablet, you know, 800,000 lines of text, best believe they're gonna be extremely, extremely specific. They're not gonna leave anything out. This is why the ancient, to me, the ancient tablets are very powerful things to read and study in these ancient texts because they really put down what they really meant and what was meant for us to know. And uh, so once you're doing this manifestation process, you're meditating on it. Another thing that's important, because I just told you about the power of DNA. DNA stores what? Memories, right? So if you're in a manifestation process, now I know everybody in here might not be a vegan, and that's okay. I'm not one of these browbeating vegan people or whatever, you know what I'm saying? I don't do that. That's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. If you're vegan or vegetarian or a meat eater, hey, Phenomenal. But I want to say, if you're in the mindset of manifestation, and you're trying to manifest things into your life that you think are a priority and need, needed for you, your best bet is to get away from eating tortured meat. Why? Because meat stores what? <laughs> memories. So, the DNA is in the meat. It's got its last memory in there. That DNA is selective. The DNA of, if you go to the grocery store right now, and take a slab of meat off the shelf, go to a laboratory, Take a piece of that material, you can then get what out of it? DNA, and then I can do what? I can clone that DNA back into that full-size animal again. Right now, today, this is not even magic. This is like real science. So the DNA is not dead. It's not, you can get DNA out of a one million year old bone. We know this already. So what I'm saying to you is, during the manifestation process, significantly reducing your access to tortured meat will increase your probability achieving your goal. And the reason why is because when you digest that DNA, that DNA then entangles with your DNA. And those low vibrational frequencies are now inside of your body. And even though you've passed out your waste, guess what still remains inside you? Some of that genetic material still in your body. Emanating a frequency of low vibration, fear, um, helplessness, and all of that. While you're trying to manifest a multi-million dollar yacht, you've got uh, another being inside of your body that's 
you know, weeping and crying and moaning and fearful and scared and everything else, the, the residual effect, the residual, the residual effect of those memories are now encased inside of your avatar body. And those, and, and it's in the DNA, which is even worse, because DNA has memory. And now, without you even realizing it, you're reducing your probability of achieving the manifestation that you're looking to get. Now, does it work on everything and everybody? Some people just have the capability of manifesting a little bit better than others, no matter what they eat. That's just life. But there's also Michael Jordan, and then there's also, you know, other players. You know, there's a lot of players in the NBA that got championship rings, but you remember Michael Jordan. You know, you'll remember Steph Curry. You know, it's hard to remember everybody on the bench. And they to that level. They were damn good to get to the NBA. It's like hitting the lottery. To be on the bench in the NBA is like hitting the lottery. Damn good. I don't know their names. But they're there. You see, some people are just a little bit better than others. Those guys may work just as hard, train just as hard, train just as many hours. Do everything that's just right to do, but just can't ever earn a starting position. Maybe never even get in the game for the whole season. You see what I'm saying? So you have to realize that. So some people may just naturally be better at manifesting than others, no matter what they do. It's just something, it's just the way the, the, way the brains work. There's something that I can do that a lot of people can't do. I can read an audio book, listen to an audio book, and read a regular book, two different books at the same time. A lot of people just can't do that. You know, a lot of people can't do it. But some can. Some people can do it. So it doesn't mean that I'm any better than anybody. It just means that I have that one particular talent and ability that might be just a little bit sharper, and you may have something a lot sharper on your end that I can't do. And this is why it's important to have community. Because why? Why would they, why would they start and initiate an admission school? so that everybody could bring a piece of the puzzle together and we can actually paint a picture. And that's what it's really all about. People seeking knowledge with spiritual gifts, but everybody has slightly different spiritual gifts, so when we come together, we're forced to be reckoned with. The human body is built like a temple. The body is your temple, okay? And the ancients knew about this. Uh, it was passed on even into Hebrew. If you look at uh, this information here, you realize that the body is built the way that it is, like I told you. Bilateral bipedal hominids abundant throughout the universe. This is the archetype right here. You're looking at the archetype. You are the archetype. And uh, if you begin to really investigate this and look at it, every Hebrew letter is, is uh, related to a number. Okay? It's related to a number. This is very important. So it's also related to a platonic solid as well. Uh, the, well the phrases are related to platonic solids. So as you can see here, if you analyze, begin to analyze the coding inside the DNA, you begin to realize that the word, the name Yah, is in your DNA. Yahweh, the name Yahweh, is in your DNA. You are literally God. You are literally God. This is inside of your body. This is not hopeful thinking or wishful thinking. This is true, actual peer-reviewed science now. So this is a diagram showing from the, uh, you know, uh, kind of the uh, the Hebrew way. But when you begin to look at it and analyze it. The DNA is composed of four elements of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon. When put together, they form YHWG. Carbon is what makes us physical and earthly beings. When carbon is replaced with nitrogen, we have all colorless, odorless, and visible gases. They form the letters Yahweh, YHWH, which is the name of God. Okay? <laughs> so when you tell people that you are God, and they laugh at you and scoff and everything else, just, you know, bless them and walk away. That's what I do. They don't own the power that's inside of them yet. They're still in that uh, matrix mindset. They're still caught up in the system. One thing you got to realize about people on this planet is that they don't realize that they are operating in a matrix and that they're all part of a, a lot of them, when they don't raise their consciousness, are part of a program. 
And they don't realize that that program has created them, has turned them into prisoners and prison guards. And when they see a, pr a prisoner trying to break out of the prison, they turn from a prisoner to a prison guard right away. And they try to keep you locked up. And that's, what, that's the abruptness that you feel when you begin to talk about these advanced concepts to people. You can also call it the, the, uh, the Agent Smith effect, like in the uh, Matrix. So if you're talking to a friend of yours about 9-11, for example, and well, if you're talking about the Kardashians, it might be a great conversation. They may be laughing and going back and forth. But as soon as you stop them to talk about 9-11, the person changes. Their countenance changes. Their face changes. Their eyes change. All of a sudden, they've gone from a matrix program uh, that's just operating on basic matrix programming into a prison guard matrix program now. And they're going to stop you from talking about this conspiracy because it goes against you know, the whole system. And we can't have that happen. We can't have the system collapse. So they turn into Agent Smith. If you look at the Matrix movie, Agent Smith jumps into other people's bodies uh, that are supposed to be normal people in the Matrix, and he becomes them. So it's, it's you know it's, it's the Agent Smith effect. But mapping the chemical sequences for human DNA, the chemical letters that make up the recipe of human life, is a breakthrough that is expected to revolutionize the practice of medicine by paving the way for new drugs and medical therapies, says one website. The discovery has lasting physical and spiritual implications. A direct link can easily be found between the building blocks of life and the creator of the universe. Mankind is fearfully and wonderfully made with a hidden code within the cell of every life. Uh, the code is the alphabet of DNA that spells out the creator's name and the man's purpose. Scientists discovered a map of our DNA, uh, bases that carry a, the ability to sustain life. These bases, known as chromosomes, are paired differently for each person. Human DNA contains 23 pairs of chromosomes, made up of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, and their acidic counterparts. Encoded within these elements is an amazing blueprint of life that proves the Creator has put his own... It looks like the Fed has just declared war on Americans again. Because if they... ...is an amazing blueprint of life that proves the Creator has put his own unique timestamp, or unique stamp, I should say his, because I don't know if the Creator is directly a uh, but the Creator has put his unique stamp on every person. The stamp is actually his name revealed to Moses thousands of years ago. So, this goes back a long time. Now, what happened when these Atlantean people were, they knew all this information. They're the ones who were starting to see the You should get the MacArthur Genius Award. But they masqueraded, some of them masqueraded as gods, unfortunately. So, knowing this information, putting himself in the God position and trying to usher in a monotheistic mindset as a one God system. They were able to utilize this science on the people and get them to think that they were the ones that had put this code in our bodies. But in true reality, what they did was genetically modify us and actually try to disconnect us from the knowing about this code. That's one of the other biggest secrets that's out there. Human beings are extremely powerful beings. We have the capability of exceeding the people that genetically modified us, and they realized this. There was a situation at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel in Babylonia, uh, where human beings came together on one accord in peace and in love to build a tower into space. Now, whether it was just a high rise, whether it was a, a replica of something that they saw these Anunnaki people build that they were called God, who was actually one of the leaders at that time was Yahweh, who was known as Enlil. That's Enlil in the ancient Sumerian tablets, but known as Yahweh in the modern day Bible. Enlil had gone away for a while. When he comes back, he sees his tower being built by people in unison, peace, and harmony, and what does he do? He destroys it. Why does he destroy this tower? Why would the creator of the universe 
see people working together in peace and harmony and destroy their works. Didn't make any sense. It's not he wasn't the creator of the universe, that's why. He was a person masquerading as a creator, and when he realized, oh man, in the exact word from the tablets were no matter what man sets out to do, no matter what man puts in his heart to do, he will achieve it. And the same words almost so to speak made it into the modern day Bible. But basically what he was saying was, oh man, they can rise up higher than us, and they outnumber us. I gotta do something about this. So he says a couple things. First thing he said was, my seed should not abide in man forever. His years should be 120. So the first thing he did was, he took down that lifespan we were having, the luxury of having. Because prior to that, we were living for thousands of years, literally. Our avatar bodies were sustaining for thousands of years uh, with ease. But what did he do? He put uh, telomere caps on chromosome number two. So he took chromosome number two, fused it together, put two caps on it. In the caps are buffer material. Uh, that buffer material, genetic buffer material, runs out after so many duplications, replications of DNA and cells in the body. So as that happens, you begin to start the death process when those buffer material inside those telomere caps run out. Scientists at Harvard discovered that this was true. They discovered that this this, this fusion happened about 200,000 years ago, ironically, the same exact time that the uh, Sumerian tablets talk about genetically modifying human beings to be a slave worker. Okay, so modern science back to that Sumerian tablets. Then um, what he do? He took people and split them up and put them all around the planet and just used their languages. So not only did he sort our lifespans, but the next thing he did was he used our languages so that we could be at odds with one another. We can't even communicate no more. Now, you say to yourself, this should have taught the average person any kind of common sense whatsoever that this was some type of a, you know, plot and some type of scheme that would be run on us. But because when an advanced civilization meets with a less advanced civilization, the beings that are more advanced are automatically deified. It's the mindset that we have. And then to add more insult to everybody, they inserted their worship gene into us to enhance that mindset. This has also been scientifically proven. We have a worship gene that can be turned on and turned off in our bodies. Yeah, this is all verified by real science. So this is real amazing stuff. So when you begin to look at this, you begin to say, wow, this is, this is they've been trying to hide the true identity, the fact that we are God everyone. And the way that we were created, Enki, I mean Enlil got mad at his brother Enki, because after Enlil analyzed our DNA a little bit, he realized that Enki gave us a little bit extra. <laughs> and that we had the capability of even superseding them. And that caused a conflict between the two. Uh, so yeah, Enki uh, really did love humans, even though he agreed to do the genetic modification to avoid a, a war that they were going to have with, um, with the Ijiji over the workload. He agreed to it and he did the genetic modification, but he also fell in love with humans and Noah was actually his son. So that's why he saved uh, Noah from the flood. According to the ancient Egyptians, we are gods. Yahweh in the Bible, often mistaken for the biblical God, is not the creator of the universe. Aya Asher, meaning I am that I am. Exodus 3, 14 through 15. Or Yah for short. Our DNA sequence spells Yah. So whether you like it or not, the Bible was a scientific creation level. At least the Bible got, or Yah for short. For the biblical God is not the creator of the universe. Aya Asher, meaning I am that I am. Exodus 3 14 through 15. Or Yah for short. Our DNA sequence spells Yah. So whether you like it or not, the Bible was a scientific creation level. At least the Bible got the name right. <laughs> this is us. Psalm 82, 6 says, I said, ye are gods, and ye are all children of the Most High. 
John 10, 34 says, Yeshua answered them, It is not written in your law. I said, Ye are gods. So wouldn't we have a, uh, so why wouldn't we have God's name? Yes, it's Yahweh or Yahweh, or Yahweh, however you want to pronounce it, also translated as Jehovah or Jehovah for the average English line. Not only does Yahweh in Hebrew, when stacked vertically, create the basic layout of a human, the head, shoulders, two arms, torso, and legs, the numerical value of Yahweh added to create our 46 human chromosomes. Like I told you, every single letter in Hebrew has a numeric appointment. Uh, 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 it is read from left to right and pronounced Yod, which is fire, he, water, Bob, air, he, earth. So you see there, those relate directly to the platonic solids that were discovered, or we discovered really much later in, uh, in, uh, in Greek. The four main elements of our planet. The fifth is disputed in the platonic solids as ether, aether, universe, Asian Eastern philosophy is metal, Allah, arm, leg, head. Wake up to your God self. So, we are literally gods. I mean, I can't say it more than enough. And if you look at a cross section of DNA, what do you find? The flower of life. Flower of life. There's a lot more to reality than we know, and all this is just really an illusion. There's something on another level, consciously, that we need to show and teach people about. And all the energy, vibration, and frequency that allows us to play in this third dimension is emanating from the intersection of circles inside flower of life, which we're going to talk about when I go into some of the hermetic principles. So everywhere where you see a cross-section cut, a connection there of these circles, it creates something called a vesica pistis. And inside the vesica pistis, you have a womb. It's a womb. All life emanates from a womb. If you cut an orange in half, if you cut a lemon in half, if you open up an oyster, you're going to see a womb. That's what it looks like. A womb is even now at our galactic center. The mind is called the womb of life. But the Vesica Pisces, which is inside the flower of life, which is inside something called the 64 brick tetrahedron, which is housed in that geometrical, two-dimensional geometrical, three-dimensional geometric uh, figure, uh, encompasses or encases something called the vector equilibrium. And inside the vector equilibrium, you have a source of unlimited power in every plump unit of space-time, unlimited source of energy. And so he understood this now through his, I guess, his research and understanding, he began to realize that Wow, there's a lot more to life than just what I'm doing. I want to pursue now this information, especially when you begin to realize that everything is based on spheres. Everything is based on curvature. Everything is only electromagnetic waves. And solidity is an illusion. What stops my hand from going through this table? All it is is the repulsion of the electromagnetic frequency. It looks like the Fed has just declared war on Americans again. Because if they...
the reality is why the agents call it sleeping time or dream time is taken away because nothing's really here. Okay? And if you take, if you zoom in to particles, the closer you zoom in, the more you realize that you can go through infinity and you can see the entire object in the smallest particle. This is what can be proved that we're living in a fractal holographic universe. We're living in a matrix. So if you look at a real hologram, one that we can make on a computer with laser light, and you take a small piece of that hologram away and look at it, you're going to see the entire hologram in the smallest piece. The only thing you lose is resolution. Okay? And this is what they understood. So it's the power of knowledge, the power of knowing that our spirit body has these key powers. The human avatar bodies are pretty much built on a lattice of carbon 12 isotopes, which is built from six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons. Sounds familiar? Six, six, six. The isotope of carbon accounts for 99% of all uh, forms of carbon. It is the isotope of carbon which consists of 12, with, uh, with 12 consists of 12 electrons, six protons, and six neutrons. 
This is how they were able to extend lives, how they were able to overcome diseases, live more civic life trends, and so forth. They knew how to heal themselves through frequency and vibration. When you say moksha, it's not that you're saying it's not yes, that's what it means. back. But that also is a cymatic frequency. It's a cymatic vibration that's emanating. Hook shot, hook shot, hook shot, hook shot. Animals back.
freedom in America may soon become a memory. The new reality is coming, the digital dollar. Just recently, the Federal Reserve made a chilling announcement. They, along with major players like Citigroup, HSBC, MasterCard, and Wells Fargo, are now testing the digital dollar. The new reality should worry you. The digital dollar could place your money directly under government control. They'll know your balance, your transactions, they can limit your purchases and your contributions, and they can even they can even erase your wealth with just a click. But there's a way to guard your freedom and your gold. wealth. Start, start hoarding gold for the Anunnaki. Imagine your consciousness in the spot of warp space. What's happening now? For the Anunnaki. <laughs> <laughs> the things are falling for you via law of attraction. Now, if your consciousness is in the wrong place, the things you don't want to fall into your life are going to fall for you. Like problems, situations, issues, uh, bad vibes.
Somebody bought my animal. a.m. by the way. I said, uh, if somebody bought my animals from the Pima County Fairgrounds, they are purchasing stolen property. I should make a video and post it on the fairground social media. Please return my pets and join my lawsuit to protect pet owners from having their animals unlawfully seized and disseminated.
do everything that is right to do, but just can't ever run a starting position. Maybe never even get in the game for the whole season. You see what I'm saying? So you have to realize Lord that you know, some people may just naturally be better at manifesting than others, no matter what they do. It's just something, it's just the way the, the, way the brains work. There's something that I can do that a lot of people can't do. I can read an audio book, listen to an audio book, and read a regular book, two different books at the same time. A lot of people just can't do that. You know, a lot of people can't do it. But some can. Some people can do it. So it doesn't mean that I'm any better than anybody. It just means that I have that one particular talent and ability that might be just a little bit sharper, and you may have something a lot sharper on your end that I can't do. And this is why it's important to have community. Because why? Why would they, why would they start an initiate an admission school? So that everybody could bring a piece of the puzzle together. And we can actually paint a picture. And that's what it's really all about. People seeking knowledge with spiritual gifts, but everybody has slightly different spiritual gifts, so when we come together, we're forced to be reckoned with. The human body is built like a temple. The body is your temple, okay? And the ancients knew about this. Uh, it was passed on even into Hebrew. If you look at uh, this information here, you realize that the body is built the way that it is. Like I told you, bilateral bipedal hominids abundant throughout the universe. This is the archetype right here. You're looking at the archetype. You are the archetype. And uh, if you begin to really investigate this and look at it, every Hebrew letter is, is uh, related to a number. Okay? It's related to a number. This is very important. So it's also related to a platonic solid as well. Uh, the, well. The phrases are related to platonic solids. So as you can see here, if you analyze, begin to analyze the coding inside the DNA, you begin to realize that the word, the name Yah, is in your DNA. Yahweh, the name Yahweh is in your DNA. You are literally God. You are literally God. This is inside of your body. This is not hopeful thinking or wishful thinking. This is true, actual peer-reviewed science now. So this is a diagram showing from the, uh, you know, uh, kind of the, uh, the Hebrew way. But when you begin to look at it and analyze it, the DNA is composed of four elements of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon. When put together, they form YHWG. Carbon is what makes us physical and earthly beings. When carbon is replaced with nitrogen, we have all colorless, odorless, and invisible gases. They form the letters Yahweh, YHWH, which is the name of God. Okay? So when you tell people that you are God, and they laugh at you and scoff at everything else, just, you know, bless them and walk away. That's what I do. They don't own the power that's inside them yet. They're still in that uh, matrix mindset. They're still caught up in the system. One thing you got to realize about people on this planet is that they don't realize that they are operating in a matrix and that they're all part of a, a lot of them, when they don't raise their consciousness, are part of a program. And they don't realize that that program has created them, has turned them into prisoners and prison guards. And when they see a, pr a prisoner trying to break out of the prison, they turn from a prisoner to a prison guard right away. And they try to keep you locked up. And that's what that's the abruptness that you feel when you begin to talk about these advanced concepts to people. You can also call it the, uh, the Agent Smith effect, like in the uh, Matrix. So if you're talking to a friend of yours about 9-11, for example, and well, if you're talking about the Kardashians, it might be a great conversation. They may be laughing, going back and forth. But as soon as you stop them to talk about 9-11, that person changes, their countenance changes, their face changes, their eyes change. All of a sudden, they've gone from a matrix program uh, that's just operating on basic matrix programming into a prison guard matrix program now. And they're going to stop you from talking about this conspiracy because it goes against, you know, the whole system. And we can't have that happen. We can't have the system collapse. 
So they turn into Agent Smith. If you look at the Matrix movie, Agent Smith jumps into other people's bodies. Uh, they're supposed to be normal people in the Matrix, and he becomes them. So it's, it's you know it's, it's the Agent Smith effect. But mapping the chemical sequences for human DNA, the chemical letters that make up the recipe of human life, is a breakthrough that is expected to revolutionize the practice of medicine by paving the way for new drugs and medical therapies, says one website. The discovery has lasting physical and spiritual implications. A direct link can easily be found between the building blocks of life and the creator of the universe. Mankind is fearfully and wonderfully made with a hidden code within the cell of every life. Uh, the code is the alphabet of DNA that spells out the creator's name and the man's purpose. Scientists discovered a map of our DNA, uh, bases that carry a, the ability to sustain life. These bases, known as chromosomes, are paired differently for each person. Human DNA contains 23 pairs of chromosomes made up of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, and their acidic counterparts. Encoded within these elements is an amazing blueprint of life that proves the Creator has put his own unique time stamp, or unique stamp, I should say his, because I don't know if the Creator is directly a he, uh, but the Creator has put his unique stamp on every, upon every person. The stamp is actually his name revealed to Moses thousands of years ago. So, this goes back a long time. Now, what happened was these Atlantean people were map, uh, they knew all this information. They're the ones who started the mystery schools, obviously, well, obviously, Thoth was, but even Atlantean. But they masqueraded as some of them masqueraded as gods, unfortunately. So knowing this information, putting themselves in a god position and trying to usher in a monotheistic mindset as a one-god system, they were able to utilize this science on the people and get them to think that they were the ones that had put this code in our bodies. When in true reality, what they did was genetically modify us and actually try to disconnect us from the knowing about this code. That's one of the other biggest secrets that's out there. Human beings are extremely powerful beings. We have the capability of exceeding the people that genetically modified us, and they realized this. There was a situation at the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel in Babylonia, uh, where human beings came together on one accord in peace and in love to build a tower into space. Now, whether it was just a high rise, whether it was uh, a replica of something that they saw the Anunnaki people build, they were called God, who was actually one of the leaders of the time was Yahweh, who was known as Enlil. That's Enlil in the ancient Sumerian tablets but known as Yahweh in the modern Bible. Enzel had gone away for a while. When he comes back, he sees his tower being built by people in unison, peace, and harmony, and what does he do? He destroys them. Why does he destroy this tower? Why would the creator of the universe see people working together in peace and harmony and destroy their works? It didn't make any sense. He's not, he wasn't the creator of the universe. Maybe that was his response to when they revolted. And when he realized, oh man, the exact words in the tablet were, no matter what man sets out to do, no matter what man sets out to do, he will achieve it. And the same words almost so to speak made it into the modern day Bible. But basically what he was saying was, oh man, they can rise up higher than us. If they outnumber us, I gotta do something about this. So he said a couple things. First thing he said was, my seat should not abide a man forever, his years should be 120. So the first thing he did was, he took down that lifespan we were having, but didn't have it. Because prior to that, we were living for thousands of years, literally. Our avatar body was sustaining for thousands of years uh, for these. But what did he do? He put a telomere caps on chromosome number two. So he took chromosome number two, fused it together, put two caps on it. In the caps are buffer material. And that buffer material, genetic buffer material, runs out after so many duplicate replications of DNA and cells in the body. So as that happens, you can get to start the death process when those buffer material inside those telomere caps run out. 
scientists at home discovered that this was true. They discovered that this, this, this fusion happened about 200,000 years ago, ironically, the same exact time that the uh, Sumerian tablets talk about genetically modifying human beings to be a slave worker. Okay, so modern science backing up Sumerian tablets. Um, then what did he do? He took people and split them up and put them all on the planet and confused their languages. So not only did he sort our lifespans, but the next thing he did was he confused our languages so that we could be at odds with one another. We can't even communicate no more. Now, you say to yourself, this should have taught the average person any kind of common sense whatsoever, that this was some kind of a plot and some type of scheme that would be among us. But because when an advanced civilization meets with a less advanced civilization, the beings that are more advanced are automatically deified. That's the mindset that we have. And then to add more insult to injury, they inserted their worship gene into us to enhance that mindset. This has also been scientifically proven. We have a worship gene that can be turned on and turned off in our bodies. Yeah, this is all verified by real science. So this is real amazing stuff. So when you begin to look at this, you begin to look like, wow, this is, this is, they've been trying to hide the true divinity, the fact that we are God from everyone. And the way that we were created, Enti, I mean, Enlil got mad at his brother, Enti, because after Enlil analyzed our DNA a little bit, he realized that Enti gave us a little bit extra. <laughs> and that we had the capability of even superseding them. And that caused a conflict between Billy Carson discovered that we are God. They don't want me to want me to put that discovered that we are God. Put a question mark just to, you know. Oh, a question. Oh. It's a statement at the same time. Billy Carson discovered that we are gods. I'm tagging him. This is on Facebook. Eh, it's not coming up on Facebook. Billy Carson. Okay, there we go. Forbidden knowledge. The conflict between the two. Uh, so, yeah, NP uh, really did love humans, even though he agreed to do the genetic modification to avoid a, a war that they were going to have with the uh, Gigi over the workload. Well, everybody is panicking and selling their crypto. Me and many of my friends, students, and private clients are making clients 25% returns per month. Wait, you wouldn't be getting genetic modification, but he also fell in love with humans, and Noah was actually his son. So that's why he saved Noah from the flood. According to the ancient Egyptians, we are gods.
<laughs> Yahweh's Bible often mistaken for the biblical to the God is not the creator of the universe. I am Asher, meaning I am that I am. Exodus 3:14 through 15. Or Yah, short. Our DNA sequence spells Yah. So whether you like it or not, the Bible is on a, a scientific on a creation level. At least the Bible got the name right. <laughs> this is us. Psalm 82, 6 says, I said, ye are gods, and ye are all children of the Most High. John 10, 34 says, Yeshua answered them, It is not written in your law. I said, ye are gods. So what do we have a, uh, so why wouldn't we have God's name? Yes, it's Yahweh or Yahweh, or Yahweh, however you want to pronounce it. Also translated as Jehovah or Jehovah, for the average English mind. Not only does Yahweh in Hebrew, when stacked vertically, create the basic layout of a human, the head, shoulders, two arms, torso, and legs, the numerical value of Yahweh has to create our 46 human chromosomes. And notice with every single letter in Hebrew has a numeric appointment. It is read from left to right and pronounced Yod, which is fire, he, order, fire, air, he, earth. So you see there, those relate directly to the platonic solids that were discovered or rediscovered really much later in uh, in Greek. Uh, the four main elements of our planet. The fifth is disputed the platonic solids as ether, ether, universe, Asian Eastern philosophy is metal, Allah, arm, leg, head. Wake up to your God self. So we are literally gods. I mean, I can't say it more than enough. And if you look at a cross-section of DNA, what do you find? The flower of life. Flower of life. There's a lot more to reality than we know, and all this is just really an illusion. There's something on another level, consciously, that we need to show and teach people about. And all the energy, vibration, and frequency that allows us to play in this third dimension is emanating from the intersection of circles inside the flower of life, which we're going to talk about when I go into some of the hermetic principles. So everywhere where you see a cross-section cut, a connection there of these circles, it creates something called a vesica pisces. And inside the vesica pisces, you have a womb. It's a womb. All life emanates from the womb. If you cut an orange in half, a lemon in half, if you open up an oyster, you're going to see a womb. That's what it looks like. A womb is even now at our galactic center. The mind is called the womb of life. But the Vesica Pisces, which is inside the flower of life, which is inside something called the 64 brick tetrahedron, which is housed in that geometrical, two-dimensional, geometrical, three-dimensional, geometrical figure, uh, encompasses or encases something called the vector equilibrium. And inside the vector equilibrium, you have a source of unlimited power in every plump unit in space-time. Unlimited source of energy. And so he understood this now through his, I guess, his research and understanding, and he began to realize that, wow, there's a lot more in life than just what I'm doing. I want to pursue now this information, especially when he began to realize that everything is based on spheres, everything is based on curvature, everything is only electromagnetic waves, and solidity is an illusion. What stops my hand from going through this table? All it is would be repulsion of the electromagnetic frequency in my hand, and the electromagnetic frequency that's inside this table. But all atoms vibrate at a specific frequency. So if I were to take the atoms, the frequency of the atoms in my hand and tune them to the same frequency as the atoms in this table, I could pass my hand right through this table. Without a scratch, without a problem at all. So people walking through walls and being walking through walls and so forth, it's not magic. It's just technology. I see a lot of things that people see as magic 
as a combination of spiritual technology woven into a civilization, an advanced civilization, maybe a type two civilization. So I think that those things truly really do happen, but I believe it has to do with people understanding how to phase shift their atomic frequency. Atoms are mostly into space. This is a known fact. 99.9% into space. So truly, reality is this is why the ancients call it sleeping time or dream time, the state that we're in, because nothing's really here. Okay? And if you take and you zoom in to particles, the closer you zoom in, the more you realize that you can go to infinity and you can see the entire object in the smallest particle. This is what to be proved that we're living in a fractal holographic universe. We're living in a matrix. So if you look at a real hologram, one that we can make on a computer with laser lights, and you take a small piece of that hologram away and look at it, you're going to see the entire hologram in the smallest piece. The only thing you lose is resolution. Okay? And this is what they understood. So it's the power of knowledge, the power of knowing that our spirit body has these superpowers. The human avatar bodies are pretty much built on a lattice of carbon-12 isotope, which is built from six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons. Sound familiar? 666. Six, six. The isotope of carbon accounts for 99% of all uh, forms of carbon. It is the isotope of carbon which consists of 12, which, uh, which 12 consists of 12 electrons, 6 protons, and 6 neutrons, 666. Six, six. After oxygen, the most abundant element in the human body is carbon 12. On cremation, the body returns to its carbon 12 state after all gases like oxygen, helium, hydrogen are released. Carbon 12 is one of the five elements that make up the human DNA. Carbon-12 is the most crucial isotope needed to create living biology. This is exactly what the writer of Revelation was referring to when he said that 666 was the number of a man, which is the carbon-12. The ancients knew that atoms and quantum physics, carbon-12 was the basis of the physical body and the link that ties man to the physical universe. 666 is us. The whole fear factor behind 666 666 was used to distract you away from finding out the power of creation that's inside of your body. But we literally are, we literally represent, every human being on this planet represents 666. It's just a fact of life. The number of the beast is you and me. <laughs> Again, protons, neutrons. You can also call it the the age of like in the matrix. So if you're talking to a friend of yours about 9/11, for example, and if you're talking about the Kardashians, it might be a great conversation. It may be laughing, going back and forth. But as soon as you stop them to talk about 9/11, the person changes, their countenance changes, their face changes, their eyes change. All of a sudden. They've gone from a matrix program uh, that's just operating on basic matrix programming into a prison guard matrix program now, and they're going to stop you from talking about this conspiracy because it goes against, you know, the whole system. And we can't have that happen. We can't have the system collapse. So they turn into Agent Smith. If you look at the Matrix movie, Agent Smith jumps into other people's bodies. Uh, they're supposed to be normal people in the Matrix, and he becomes them. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's the Agent Smith effect. But mapping the chemical sequences for human DNA, the chemical letters that make up the recipe of human life, is a breakthrough that is expected to revolutionize the practice of medicine by paving the way for new drugs and medical therapies, says one website. The discovery has lasting physical and spiritual implications. A direct link can easily be found between the building blocks of life and the creator of the universe. Mankind is fearfully and wonderfully made, 
with a hidden code within the cell of every life. Hey there, we're listening to Billy Carson YouTube shorts. Tracking that. So the secret behind psychological alchemy is bring awareness to people about the current situation that they're in. Because once they become aware and they accept that they've now been enlightened to the point where they can see it. In other words, they elevate here and they can look back down and see what they're in. They've separated themselves from their thoughts. Because they begin to realize I'm not my thoughts, I'm the observer of my thoughts. And then the alchemy can begin to work another. So the secret behind psychological alchemy is bring awareness to people about the current situation that they're in. Because once they become aware and they accept that they've now been enlightened to the point where they can see it. In other words, they elevate here and they can look back down and see what they're in. They've separated themselves from their thoughts. Because they begin to realize I'm not my thoughts, I'm the observer of my thoughts. And then the alchemy can begin to work another. So the secret behind psychological alchemy is bring awareness to people about the current situation that they're in. Because once they become aware and they So Phelps, he's, uh, according to himself, he calls himself an Atlantean king. This gentleman claims to have built the Great Pyramid, but what's interesting is his emerald tablets, which are a text that he authored himself. He didn't have a scribe that authored these texts. Usually, these gods or these kings, or these really important people would have a scribe etching what they're speaking. He wrote these tablets himself and left them behind for this generation that we are in right now to understand, break down, analyze, and actually learn from. So those, these, uh, so every thought that you think right now is actually leaving your brain. We know this for a fact because we can capture your thoughts and send them to a computer. We can even see the images in your head now. We can create images. We can tell you to think of an image, and we can actually capture what that image would be from your thoughts and put it on a computer screen. Just like that old movie, Minority Report. Yeah, it's real science now, right? Every thought that you think right now is actually leaving your brain. We know this for a fact because we can our DNA was altered around 200,000 years ago, and that's in the university's genetics books. That's not coming out of Billy Carson's book. That's the university. They know that there was an artificial mutation done to the human genome 200,000 years ago with chromosome number two. It was taken out, fused together, and two telomere capsules put on each end, which actually gave us a shortened lifespan. They're like biological buffer material. So every single time your cells divide and your DNA replicates, those buffers get smaller and smaller and smaller. And when they run out of buffer material, that's when the body starts the death process. And the maximum lifespan is 120 years that a person would live on average if we didn't have all the toxic poison drugs. And so they found this at Harvard that this happens. Now, in the Sumerian tablets, it says man's years will be 120. But they genetically modify man, that we all took the life of man to reduce his years to 120. Yeah. And guess how long ago that was? They said 200,000 years. Our DNA was altered around 200,000 years ago, and that's in the university's genetics books. That's not the <laughs> Billy Carson's book. So, I'm tweeting this, that uh, our...
And that's in the university's genetics books. That's not coming out of Billy Carson's book. That's the university. So Giza itself, the plateau, is actually a map of the interplanetary solar system that we have right here. And also, the height of the Great Pyramid is the average height of all the landmass peaks on Earth. To do that, you need an orbiting polar satellite orbiting the planet this way and scanning the planet as it rotates on its axis so that you can take all the topographical data, you can calculate all the heights, count the total number of peaks, divide them by the average height. When you get that number, then you can build a pyramid to that height. So Giza itself, the plateau, is actually a map of the interplanetary solar system that we have right here. And also, the height of the Great Pyramid is the average height of all the landmass peaks on Earth. To do that, you need an orbiting polar satellite orbiting the planet this way and scanning the planet as it rotates on its axis so that you can take all the topographical data, you can calculate all the heights, count the total number of peaks, divide them by the average height. When you get that number, then you can build a pyramid to that height. So Giza itself, the plateau, is actually a map of the interplanetary solar system that we have right here. And also, the height of the Great Pyramid is the average height of all the landmass peaks on Earth. To do that, you need an orbiting polar satellite. I was looking at something about orbital mechanics, and I found that when stars are orbiting each other, they speed up and they slow down. They speed up and they slow down, so they create breakaway speed. And I was like, wow. So I, then I looked into how we used to launch satellites and send them to deep space, like the Voyager missions, and we would do the same thing. We would create this breakaway speed and we would take off and create these angles in space so we can get our, our probes deep in space. And so I said, what if our sun is orbiting something that's creating this? And that's how I dug and found that we actually have a brown dwarf orbiting us, but it's not like it's mainstream news. But if you go into the science books, it's actually there. They hide everything in plain sight. I was looking at something about orbital mechanics, and I found that when stars are orbiting each other, they speed up and they slow down. They speed up and they slow down, so they create breakaway speed. And I was like, wow. So I, then I looked into how we used to launch satellites and send them to deep space, like the Voyager missions, and we would do the same thing. We would create this breakaway speed, and we would take off and create these angles in space so we could get our, our probes deep into space. And so I said, what if our sun is orbiting something that's creating this? And that's how I dug and found that we actually have a brown dwarf orbiting us, but it's not like it's mainstream news. But if you go into the science books, it's actually there. They hide everything in plain So I was looking at something about orbital mechanics, and I found so Giza itself, the plateau, is actually a map of the interplanetary solar system that we have right here. And also, the height of the Great Pyramid is the average. I was looking at something about orbital mechanics, and I so Giza itself. Yeah, Billy Carson's really amazing. They came before Columbus. Ancient wisdom and modern science. Billy Carson. Echoes of Mexico's Pyramid. Both the Atlantean builder of the Great In the Emerald Tablets, both claims they have built the Great Pyramid. And that text is 36,000 years old. And even our... Why is you should read the Epic of Gilgamesh? A wise man who was saved from the flood after being warned. He was told to build a ship. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds like the biblical story of Noah. 
Let's see Billy's channel. View channel. Some videos. I've actually seen a lot of them lately. Billy Carson Ancient Wisdom and Modern Science of Quantum Resonance and Manifestation. Personal success and financial freedom. Interstellar Civilization Wired for Disaster Unveiling the Dark Side of Electric Cars Extraterrestrials Antiquity and Evolution That sounds good Anyway, I escaped the Matrix and the 9 to 5 and now live this beautiful luxury lifestyle here in Dubai my pets. Give my pets back, man. They took them to the fairgrounds. They took all my my birds to the to the fairgrounds. What do they do? Like sell them and pocket the money. I bet you anything. <clears throat> somebody must have teached them. At least somebody must have been an extraterrestrial. He witnessed a 14-foot, 10-inch skeleton. All of these have now disappeared. Such an exciting event to be at. I walked into the venue and I was completely surprised. There's an endless list of great people with brilliant research who've spent years studying things that are not in the mainstream media. And this is what was on the computer, that picture. So here's a modern day story about the inner earth. They were not only interplanetary, but they were also an intergalactic civilization. It's a pleasure to give the Stellar Citizen Award to Billy Carson. Thank you so much. I am so proud of you, you have no idea. Thank you. You guys got me good. Awakening presents its ancient aliens panel with our guest speakers who will be answering some of our pre-selected audience questions. Our first guest is a world explorer and the author of several books. He is also the organizer of the Megalithomania Conference, so you know who he is, which is held each year in Glastonbury. He is an international lecturer who's just released a new book oh, man, with co-author Jim Vieira entitled 
the giants of Stonehenge and ancient Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Hugh Newman. Welcome. Our next guest is a science and history writer and the author of over 15 books that challenge the way we think about the past. In 2008, along with the researcher Nigel Skinner-Simpson, he discovered a previously unrecorded cave system beneath the shadow of the Great Pyramid at Giza. It is a story that has brought him acclaim across the world. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Andrew Collins. Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest has been described as a female Indiana Jones. And when she's not traveling and conducting research on ancient sites, she has time to author books, conduct tour guides, utilize her amazing abilities as a dowser, and of, and of course, lecture internationally. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Maria Wheatley. Our next guest has traveled the world investigating ancient sites and is a principal researcher for Project Doorway. He has also spent over three decades investigating the supernatural and was a lead investigator for the TV show Ghost Hunters International. He is an executive producer, international lecturer, and author of several books, his latest being co-authored with Brian Allen entitled The Deceptions of Gods and Men. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Barry Fitzgerald. And our, our next guest, the final guest this evening for our Ancient Alien panel is an American entrepreneur, author, music artist, TV host, producer, actor and director who specializes in the study of ancient civilizations. He is the founder of Forbidden Knowledge TV and the co-founder of the First Class Space Agency and its subsidiary United Family of Anomaly Hunters. He is also a two-times best-selling author. Ladies and gentlemen, for his first time appearance here in the UK, please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Billy Carson. You. Our esteemed guests will be asked some pre-selected audience questions, starting with Hugh Newman and then moving along. So without further ado, I'll pass you over to our digital MC, Mr. Peter Twist. Here's how to legally steal gasoline from gas stations. This ex-programmer got fired from his job at a German car... Digital MC, Mr. Peter Twist. Hugh Newman. Hugh. There has been much talk recently in regards to giant bones discovered near Stonehenge in the UK. If this is true, and if so, does this mean that there is a possibility that Stonehenge could have been built by giants? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is that next question now? Then? <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been researching with Jim Vieira for a good few years on our new book, The Giants of Stonehenge in Ancient Britain. And we were always intrigued by, um, you know, the fact that many of these megalithic sites, Stonehenge included, 
have these giant legends, these myths at their core. And even the earliest name recorded of Stonehenge is the Giant's Dance, or in Welsh, Corio Gigantum, in various interpretations of that. So this giant connection with Stonehenge always intrigued us. And then we found that in 1719, myself and Jim came across a report of a nine foot four skeleton being found in a giant's grave, a mound near Salisbury. Now Salisbury is the nearest town to Stonehenge. It's just a few miles south and it's part really of the greater Stonehenge landscape. And this really intrigued us. We found two or three accounts of this and we know exactly where it was buried, but it's been built over now by the local art center. But then we found this other account, which, which really got us, because this is from 1508, and it was witnessed by Sir Thomas Elliot, who was a well-known scholar. Um, he was an MP for Cambridge. He also wrote the first Latin dictionary. And he witnessed a 14-foot, 10-inch skeleton found in the general area, just, just south of Salisbury, again, within the Stonehenge landscape. A 14-foot, 10, is really tall. I mean, if you meet someone who's seven foot, it's pretty impressive. So when you meet someone who's 14 foot 10, or at least find their skeleton. And he was buried in this huge oak log coffin. It had a book with these strange inscriptions on it that could never be deciphered. And they found this quite large metal disc made of tin and lead that again had the same kind of obscure inscriptions on it and no one could decode it. All of these have now disappeared. One of the weird things as well, even in um, the Bush Barrow where the famous lozenge was found, which is just, just next to Stonehenge, the description of the burial there was a very robust, very tall individual. We have similar accounts from other mounds in the area. But also we have this tradition going back to the 1400s of a secret society, the Guild of Tailors in Salisbury, parading a 24-foot giant around town every summer solstice, just after the summer solstice, St. John the Baptist Day, every year since the mid-1400s. This was before the skeletons were even found. So there's this, why were they parading this giant around? What, what was this pageant all about? And then we realized they eventually named him St. Christopher. And we, me and Jim, when we were researching it, wondered why were they named a giant, St. Christopher? And St. Christopher, if you look, he was a giant Canaanite warrior from the Bible lands. And he was said to have carried Jesus on his shoulder when he came over. And this is what he became famous for. And he decided to, you know, you know, kind of worship Jesus and God and all this kind of stuff. But so you've got these, all these giant connections, even with the Bible lands in this particular area. But I must admit, this is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the giant discoveries made, especially in relation to megalithic sites in ancient Britain and Ireland and Scotland and Wales everywhere. We have over 250 accounts with legends that match the discoveries being made in the ground and so there's a real story here and i hope this has given you a quick introduction and hopefully it's answered the question thank you billy carson billy throughout egypt there are seemingly examples of rock being cut and bored out by ancient machine tools do you believe such ancient civilizations possess such equipment and if so what do you think happened to all of this equipment? Well, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. Um, it's one of those questions that makes you want to scratch your head because I've been to Egypt, I've been to a lot of ancient sites around the world, and what's interesting is you can begin to see the same type of tool markings on some of these megalithic structures. 
And so now you have to come to the assumption that if you see it more than once, it's circumstantial evidence. And so when you have a lot, enough circumstantial evidence, you have a case, right? And so you begin to build this case on the fact that there were these tools, advanced tools of some type that were able to cut and bore these incredible stones and quartz, uh, granite and everything else. And it, it, it makes you want to ask the question, well, if you have these tools, then what in the world happened to them? Well, when you look at some of these structures and you, you, uh, if you take a compass of some of these ancient stones, you find out that when you put the compass close to the stones, especially in, in areas of Egypt, that sometimes the compass moves away. It, it spins away from where it is, what, what direction you're standing in. And that's another curious thing, is somehow the magnetic field around the atoms been altered or changed? Has it flipped? What kind of tool can be used to cut stone and at the same time alter the atomic structure of the actual stone as well? Great, great questions. And so I personally believe that in ancient times, these uh, advanced beings, they call them the Naturu in ancient Egypt. The Naturu in Mesopotamia, they call That's them the, the Anunnaki, the Sumerians did. Uh, and they're, they're named in the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation. Uh, and all around the world, you find these cultures have these different names for these beings. But in my opinion, some beings came here, some advanced beings. I don't think that they were God, that then the creator of universes. I do believe that people deified them because they were mystified by their capabilities. They became cargo cults worldwide, around, centered around these advanced beings, but they had advanced tools and technology. When I went to Cambodia, I think it was 2018, uh, one of the locals that had been there for generations, his family had been there for generations, told me that the, Cam the Angkor Wat was poured into place. They poured it into place. And when you look at some of the stone there around that structure, it does look like liquefied concrete. Pretty interesting. And so there obviously was a very, very advanced culture, in my opinion, in the ancient past, not taking anything away from our ancient ancestors because they themselves had been taught and developed uh, different levels of advanced technology. But just my personal experience and from dealing like, especially with the ancient Egyptian text and the language of light, uh, and learning from that culture directly, dealing and talking with local guides, homegrown guides, generations of pyramid families. You know, it looks to me as if uh, these Naturu, who came down at the time of Zeptepi, they were claimed to have turned mud into a kingdom. These are sky gods that came to earth. Now, sometimes people scoff and say, well, you know, why couldn't human beings just do all this stuff? I'm not saying that human beings didn't do all this stuff. I'm saying some type of a person or a hominid, because I don't really think that a lot of these uh, advanced beings look like little green men with antenna. I think we look a lot like them and they look a lot like us, potentially probably even our cousins, because I kind of believe now after visiting Australia and talking to the aboriginal elders that Earth is most likely some type of abandoned seed colony and we were seeded here. And so these beings had the capability of turning mud into a kingdom. And wherever you look around the world, we see the same exact story of this, these advanced beings showing up after a catastrophe and helping re-kickstart civilizations. Now, where, has, where have the tools gone? Where have this, this technology gone? If you look at uh, the way that the, the stones were, were put together and the types of materials in the stones, the types of stones that were put up to create these megalithic structures, you find that they were created to stand the test of time. Now, if you take a piece of human or man-made technology 
and put it next to a pyramid and then go away and come back 10,000 years later, that, that, that technology that you put down next to the pyramid is going to be dust. <laughs> right? So we know that for a fact because we experienced rust and everything else here just in a few years. If you have a car near the ocean uh, or you have a car that drives in a lot of uh, salt when it's in the winter months, like in New York City or whatever, the salt eats away and rusts out your vehicle. So we know that uh, technology disintegrates over time. And so I think some of it has disintegrated over time, as well as the fact that I believe after the last pyramid war, uh, that a lot of the technology was uh, stripped out of a lot of the pyramids and temples and taken away. A lot of the capstones of, a, of the majority of the pyramids, I believe that they were taken off and removed purposefully to prevent people from accessing the energy source or the power source or the technology, whatever that finishing piece of the structure accomplished, I believe that that was taken away as well by these people. Uh, and it, the purpose of that was to prevent us from being able to uh, expedite our progress with technological advancement. Uh, and so I believe that a lot of it was taken away. And some of it, to be honest, it just disintegrated over time, a massive amount of time. And that's my personal experience and personal understanding of it. My job as a doctor for 31 years, as well as a lecturer, author, and researcher, personal understanding of it. Okay. Maria Wheatley. Maria, locations of Salisbury Plain in the UK are utilized by the... ...to prevent people from pyramids and temples and taken away a lot of the capstones of, a, of the majority of the pyramids years. If you have a car near the ocean uh, or you have a car that drives in a lot of uh, salt when it's in the winter months, like in New York City structures, you find that they were created to stand the test of time. Now, if you take a piece of human or that Earth is most likely some type of abandoned seed colony and we were seeded here. And so these beings had the capability of turning mud into a kingdom. And wherever you look around the world, we see the same exact story of this, these advanced beings showing up after a catastrophe and helping re-kickstart civilizations. Now, where, has, where have the tools gone? Where have this, this technology gone? If you look at uh, the way that the, the stones were, were put together and the types of materials in the stones, the types of stones that were put up to create these megalithic structures, you find that they were created to stand the test of time. Now, if you take a piece of human or man-made technology and put it next to a pyramid and then go away and come back 10,000 years later, that, that, that technology that you put down next to the pyramid is gonna be dust, <laughs> right? So we know that for a fact because we experienced rust and everything else here just in a few years. If you have a car near the ocean uh, or you have a car that drives in a lot of uh, salt when it's in the winter months, like in New York City or whatever, the salt eats away and rusts out your vehicle. So we know that uh, technology disintegrates over time. And so I think some of it has disintegrated over time, as well as the fact that I believe after the last pyramid war, uh, that a lot of the technology was uh, stripped out of a lot of the pyramids and temples and taken away. A lot of the capstones of, a, of the majority of the pyramids, I believe that they were taken off and removed purposefully to prevent people from accessing the energy source or the power source or the technology, whatever that finishing piece of the structure accomplished, 
I believe that that was taken away as well by these people. Uh, and it, the purpose of that was to prevent us from being able to uh, expedite our progress with technological advancement. Uh, and so I believe that a lot of it was taken away. And some of it, to be honest, it just disintegrated over time, a massive amount of time. And that's my personal experience and personal understanding of it. Technology that you put down next to the pyramid is going to be dust, <laughs> right? So we know that for a fact because we experienced rust and everything else here just in a few years. If you have a car near the ocean uh, or you have a car that drives in a lot of uh, salt when it's in the winter months, like in New York City or whatever, the salt eats away and rusts out your vehicle. So we know that uh, technology disintegrates over time. And so I think some of it has disintegrated over time, as well as the fact that I believe after the last pyramid war, uh, that a lot of the technology was uh, stripped out of a lot of the pyramids and temples and taken away. A lot of the capstones of, a, of the majority of the pyramids, I believe that they were taking off and removed purposefully to prevent people from accessing the energy source or the power source or the technology. Whatever that finishing piece of the structure accomplished, I believe that that was taken away as well by these people. Uh, and it, the purpose of that was to prevent us from being able to uh, expedite our progress with technological advancement. Uh, and so I believe that a lot of it was taken away. And some of it, to be honest, it just disintegrated over time, a massive amount of time. And that's my personal experience and personal understanding of it. Maria Wheatley. Maria, locations of Salisbury Plain in the UK are utilized by the British military forces and are considered off limits to the general public. Maria, do you think that there is a reason for such military bases in specific locations near to Stonehenge? Of course. Stonehenge is a power centre, the biggest power centre in the British Isles. And close to it, if you imagine, Stonehenge is right on the periphery of the Salisbury Plain. The Salisbury Plain itself, and it is a military establishment, is 25 miles roughly by 25 miles. You can't go onto some parts of the Salisbury Plain, you're denied access. So it's likened to Area 51. But more than that, the Salisbury Plain is an area that has up to 2,500 prehistoric monuments therein. That's a lot of monuments and some of the most interesting, intriguing and fascinating burials are in that zone. But as well, Stonehenge is often associated with time distortions. So I think Stonehenge can distort time. And I think that's what the military is interested in as well. And again, if we look beyond the lay, if we look beyond Earth currents for one moment, and what is beneath Stonehenge that would interest people like the military? What's beneath Stonehenge are two massive aquifers. One is an aquifer of groundwater that you get at places like the Giza Pyramid, for example. So you've got a large body of water. But as an esoteric water diviner, I know that there's another type of water that I've often spoke about in lectures. And that's the water born within Gaia. 
and it's independent of rainfall and it produces a spiral pattern. Now, water has memory, okay? So I think oh, how some people can work with that is it is the Akashic record of place. It has information stored in it. Assalamu alaikum. If you're a Muslim who's fed up with your job and you want to escape the nine to five and live a rich life without restrictions or worrying about. Billy Carson. Billy, you once wrote a hypothesis based on your research that planet Earth is in fact part of a binary star system. In more recent times, your hypothesis has been confirmed by science. Billy, how did you come to this conclusion? Wow, you guys have some great questions. <laughs> well, you did some research. Um, so yeah, I had hypothesized that uh, we live in a binary solar system that our sun is not just a single sun orbiting around the galactic equator, but it actually, are, we have in our solar system two suns. And how I came to this, to this hypothesis, uh, right around 2010, I, be, I kind of really got deep into astronomy and I became an amateur astronomer. And I started buying really high-tech telescopes. And I started looking at the precession of the equinoxes and tracking it just to see how the ancients might have tracked it or how the Mayans might have tracked it or how even now in modern day science, how do we track this? And through my measurements in a very short period of time, I realized if I projected that time period out going forward and the precession is the movement of the constellations across the sky, I discovered that precession was speeding up. And I'm saying, why would the precession of the equinoxes speed up? How can that possibly be? What would cause the stars to move, the constellations to move across the sky faster? So I said, the only thing that that could be is that we must be moving faster, right? And so our sun, uh, which we orbit, must be moving faster through the uh, galaxy and uh, in some way creating this speed up of the precession. But I said, well, that doesn't really make sense. If our arm, if our galactic arm is moving faster, how could that still create this movement? Because we're all moving at the same time. And it would be uh, more what we, call, what we call red light. And so I said, let me look into this deeper. And I started finding that in ancient texts, there have been talk of, talks of binary stars and that the Dogon tribe had even talked about a trinary star system that they had uh, knowledge of with the series A, B, and C. And I said, I wonder if that means maybe we have a binary or trinary star system. So I started digging deeper into that. And I found some really incredible information that was uh, actually from the NASA Space Agency, the European Space Agency, they had realized that there was possibly a brown dwarf or a red dwarf star orbiting our sun. I'm gonna be talking about this in my, uh, my lecture tomorrow, so please don't miss it, but I'm gonna bring forth a lot of the evidence right there to you, where astronomers now have finally discovered that there is a star with a solar system uh, orbiting our sun right now today. And so all the history books are being rewritten, all the astrophysical books are being rewritten for college uh, and, and studies because we now know that there is another star system. And so as that star orbits our sun, they create a breakaway speed. So it speeds up and it slows down. As it needs more breakaway speed, it speeds up and then it slows down. Now this is over thousands of years. And so what happens is over about a 4,200 year period, uh, there is another mini solar system with a brown dwarf star, which has got the same mass as our sun, but much, much smaller, a much more dimmer sun that you can't see with the naked eye. Only with, if you go into the, uh, 
the telescope system like uh, worldwidetelescope.org, you can put the telescope into two mass infrared mode. And then you can, uh, right now, if you go into the constellation of Leo, right by the lower right corner of the constellation of Leo, and you zoom in, you'd be able to see this brown dwarf there. It's uh, coming out of, out of Leo, and it's orbiting our sun. It's way far beyond the orbit of Pluto, but still inside the inner Oort cloud area. So it's a part of our solar system. It's not, uh, you know, a captured star from somewhere else. It's in the same vicinity, uh, way out there, but still orbiting our sun. And it's what's interesting is uh, this, this uh, brown dwarf is giving off gravitational waves, something I had predicted uh, over 10 years ago and was laughed at and scoffed and told I was crazy and a pseudoscientist, which then uh, NASA confirmed about four years ago and made it official that gravitational waves actually do exist. They discovered that. And so what's creating this global warming, the importance of this, so what is creating the global warming is actually the gravitational waves from this binary star system that we're living in. Uh, and when the stars become closer together, the waves from the brown dwarf interacting with our sun create a ripple effect of energy through our solar system. And that energy uh, goes in and it warms up the cores of the suns and the moons, I'm sorry, the planets and the moons in our solar system, creating warming of those objects, of those spatial bodies. So our entire solar system is experiencing global warming at the same exact time because of this binary uh, star system that we have. And that's more evidence that it actually exists. As the energy from the gravitational waves goes into a planet or a moon, it actually creates friction. That friction warms the planet or the moon from the inside out. Scientists now say that, NASA, uh, that Saturn's um, core is actually melting. And if, if we were on Saturn, if that was our planet, we'd already be gone. The ice caps on Mars are melting right now. There's billions of tons of liquid water on Mars. Global warming on Earth is not caused by uh, exhaust fumes and spray can, hair spray cans and, and cows passing gas, okay? I'm sorry, it's just not. Now, do we have an appreciable effect on global warming? Yes, we do. But if you look at the ice core data, the ice core samples, and you can take that back, it's like reading a book. You can go back every so many thousands of years you see a warming pattern. And actually, we're not even in the warmest warming pattern that we've ever been in. We're not even close to the warmest warming pattern. So there's even cycles of warming, and global warming at its highest level will create a ice age, and uh, we're not there yet. So if that's, uh, if that's something you've been worrying about, don't worry about it anymore, it's just, it's just normal, okay? But it's because it's a result of this binary star system. So my investigation into uh, astronomy and precession led me to a hypothesis that was then proved to be accurate. That's how I found out about it. And then I switched to Liberty Mutual and saved hundreds. I know, exactly. Ready to start eating healthier? Meet Kachava. See if you guys are still there. Kachava. Wow, you are. Shout out to K A N P Student Radio and the University of Arizona. Extraterrestrials, Antiquity, and Evolution. Humanities, Past, Present, and Future. Proved to be accurate. That's how I found out about it. Thank you. The only thing that that could be is that we must be moving faster, right? And so our sun, uh, which we orbit, must be moving faster through the uh, galaxy. 
and uh, in some way creating this speed up of the precession. But I said, that doesn't really make sense. If our arm, if our galactic arm is moving faster, how could that still create this movement? Because we're all moving at the same time. And there would be uh, more what we, call, what we call red light. And so I said, let me look into this deeper. And I started finding that in ancient texts, there had been talk of, talks of binary stars and that the Dogon tribe had even talked about a trinary star system that they had uh, knowledge of with the series A, B, and C. I said, I wonder if that means maybe we have a binary or trinary star system. So I started digging deeper into that. And I found some really incredible information that was uh, actually from the NASA Space Agency, the European Space Agency. They had realized that there was possibly a brown dwarf or a red dwarf star orbiting our sun. I'm going to be talking about this in my, uh, my lecture tomorrow, so please don't miss it. But I'm going to bring forth a lot of the evidence right there to you, where astronomers now have finally discovered that there is a star with a solar system uh, orbiting our sun right now today. And so all the history books are being rewritten, all the astrophysical books are being rewritten for college uh, and, and studies because we now know that there is another star system. And so as that star orbits our sun, they create a breakaway speed. So it speeds up and it slows down. As it needs more breakaway speed, it speeds up and then it slows down. Now this is over thousands of years. And so what happens is over about a 4,200 year period, uh, there is another mini solar system with a brown dwarf star, which has got the same mass as our sun, but much, much smaller, a much more dimmer sun that you can't see with the naked eye. Only with, if you go into the, um, the telescope system like uh, WorldwideTelescope.org, you can put the telescope into two mass infrared mode. And then you can, uh, right now, if you go into the constellation of Leo, right by the lower right corner of the constellation of Leo, and you zoom in, you'd be able to see this brown dwarf there. It's uh, coming out of, out of Leo, and it's orbiting our sun. It's way far beyond the orbit of Pluto, but still inside the inner Oort cloud area. So it's a part of our solar system. It's not, uh, you know, a captured star from somewhere else. It's in the same vicinity, uh, way out there, but still orbiting our sun. And it's, what's interesting is uh, this, this uh, brown dwarf is giving off gravitational waves, something I had predicted uh, over 10 years ago and was laughed at and scoffed and told I was crazy and a pseudoscientist, which then uh, NASA confirmed about four years ago and made it official <laughs> that gravitational waves actually do exist. They discovered that. And so what's creating this global warming, the importance of this, so what is creating the global warming is actually the gravitational waves from this binary star system that we're living in. Uh, and when the stars become closer together, the waves from the brown dwarf interacting with our sun create a ripple effect of energy through our solar system. And that energy uh, goes in and it warms up the cores of the suns and the moons I'm sorry, the planets and the moons in our solar system creating warming of those objects, of those spatial bodies. So our entire solar system is experiencing global warming at the same exact time because of this binary uh, star system that we have. And that's more evidence that it actually exists. As the energy from the gravitational waves goes into a planet or a moon, it actually creates friction. That friction warms the planet or the moon from the inside out. Scientists now say that NASA, uh, that Saturn's um, core is actually melting. And if, if we were on Saturn, if that was our planet, we'd already be gone. The ice caps on Mars are melting right now. There's billions of tons of liquid water on Mars. Global warming on Earth is not caused by 
uh, exhaust fumes and spray can hair spray cans and and cows passing gas. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just not. Now, do we have an appreciable effect on global warming? Yes, we do. But if you look at the ice core data, the ice core samples, and you can take that back, it's like reading a book. You can go back every so many thousands of years, you see a warming pattern. And actually, we're not even in the warmest warming pattern that we've ever been in. We're not even close to the warmest warming pattern. So there's even cycles of warming, and global warming at its highest level will create a ice age, and uh, we're not there yet. So. If that's, uh, if that's something you've been worrying about, don't worry about it anymore. It's just, it's just normal, okay? But it's because it's a result of this binary star system. So my investigation into uh, astronomy and precession led me to a hypothesis that was then proved to be accurate. That's how I found out about it. Binary star system. Sure. Barry Fitzgerald. Orbiting our sun, exclamation point. He says, man has appreciable effect on the climate, but <clears throat> Pretty interesting stuff. Barry, do you think the mythology from our ancient past still presents itself in current times? Yes, um, I do. And, and I think there is a lot to be learned from our ancient mythology and folklore. And briefly, I was speaking to some of our panel members um, today in, in regard to this. There is, a, there is a, a real value in a lot of the message, the messages and stories that they left behind um, and how that brings us forward into how we examine things today. And as I said, it is great value, but Outside of that, we also need to look at the proof. What proof did they leave behind? We need something more substantial. We, it's, it's not so much, I think, we, um, um, I, I think, um, possibly, it's a case of more substance. That's what the people demand today, especially in today's climate. We need direction. And our ancestors have lived thousands of years and they have left this direction within the stone. And there is value within the stone. And in fact, even from, from, from a, a really weird circumstance of the high strangeness and everything else, it brings us back to look at the stone. And this goes right across the board from, from ufology and the folklore um, into, into various other fringe research fields. We see our attention being brought back to the stone. There's a value in the stone. Harmonics and archaeology is now developing. We're now understanding these areas of value and how they resonate and how we resonate with those areas. But not only is that an audible um, circumstance, we also have the light 
that penetrates those areas, that, that the, the, those ranges of, of lights that enter the chambers signify the time in which these places were activated. This is something we have to understand. We lived, our ancestors lived in a society where there wasn't a lot of us, yet they took the time to build these amazing structures. That's, that's taking away from actually the, the ability to live. So there was a great importance behind these places. And this is something we have to reconnect to. We have to reconnect to our spirituality. Because these places were built under spirituality. We have to process and understand that. Which is something we have really ve uh, veered off from um, in, the, in the present sense. After graduating college and now being a young adult, therapy is so beneficial. Okie doke. So, um, next. Uh, ancient wisdom and modern science of quantum resonance and manifestation. Hmm. Okay. Wait a minute. It is done. So they went in with the mindset 
that this woman was already healed before they were born. This is the power of what the ancients knew. This is how they were able to extend lives, how they were able to overcome diseases, live for extended lifespans, and so forth. They knew how to heal themselves through frequency and vibration. When you say moksha, it's not just you saying it is done. Yes, that's what it means. It's consciously that's the intent. But that also is a cymatic frequency. It's a cymatic vibration that's emanating directly out of your throat into the ether of space-time. And now that vibration, that frequency, with conscious intent behind it, can manipulate matter. This is one of the biggest secrets of ancient mysteries. The ability to manipulate matter with sound and frequency. But not just by putting a speaker underneath the plate and putting some sand on top of it or looking at these cool forms like a man. But by really utilizing it in real time in your life on a daily basis. So what that told me right away was I was on the right track. I was beginning to understand the true power and nature of, of using, utilizing universal consciousness, utilizing synchronicity, and how to quantum entangle with law of attraction. So what happens is, if you now we talk about quantum entanglement. So now what happens is your mind has the same capability as that laser. Consciousness creates and generates electromagnetic waves 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And what's happening is those frequencies coming out of your head have the capability of, of, of synchronizing with the frequencies in space-time. So you're quantum entangling now all the time, whether you know it or not. Scientists are experimenting with synapses between uh, the it looks like the Fed has just declared war on Americans again. Because if they force us into a digital dollar, that means no greenbacks for swap meets or garage sales, no tooth fairy or piggy banks, no rainy day savings, no giving dollars to street performers or musicians, no more selling extra items for cash, no buying anything with privacy. A digital dollar means your life is dependent on the internet, electricity, and people you don't know, like, or trust. Every penny you spend, every penny you earn, could all be tracked. The Fed has just declared war on Americans, and millions will ignore the warning signs or say it's not a big deal. But those people may end up on the wrong side of history. And that's why thousands of Americans have decided to opt out of the government's plans by putting a portion of their savings into physical gold and silver. So, should you buy gold and silver? Well, the choice is yours. But uh, the neurons in the brain they started realizing that they were phasing in and out of existence sometimes. They were like, well, where are they going? They're going into other realms, other dimensions. You are literally a multi-dimensional being inhabiting a three-dimensional avatar body for a short period of time. We're all multi-dimensional. And the true power of that, you realize the true power of that, you can take yourself to the next level consciously. So when you're going into trying to create a reality for yourself... I'm creating a YouTube post, mind-blowing. Billy Carson.
I command that my path is blessed. I command that I arrive at my destination safely at all times. I command that all my needs are met. And it doesn't mean that you're operating ego. It means you're operating power. This is the thing that people are missing. Understanding that you are a powerful being. That's what really all this is really truly about. It's understanding your power. This is a lot more technical aspects of it. That you have to help you put the pieces of the puzzle which doesn't work another over. But the fact that you are constructed to be a powerful emanating being
Now, what's falling towards that warp space, towards you, towards your consciousness? Things you're trying to manifest. A new car, love life, bills paid, all needs met, business success. All these things become reality because you're now in a, in a frequency and vibration that's allowing it to actually occur. In other words, you have to create the situation. Hey there, what's up? Um, see what we got here. Probably some Billy Carson. Billy Carson. From Bermuda Mysteries to Sumerian. Seals unlocking secrets of the past with Billy Carson. Ten hours ago. These are those rhombohedron crystals in your pineal gland. When those crystals become electrically activated, all... than the Great Pyramid at Giza. And this is directly where? In the center of the Bermuda Triangle. Well documented. Many researchers have now discovered this. Some researchers also out of Cuba. And there's the actual um, imagery from this, which was taken by radar scans. And the images are actually available. This is published, reviewed work. But, you know, nobody hardly even knows about it. They don't make it public. Now, why is it in the center of the Bermuda Triangle? Could it be possible that the reason why there are magnetic, electromagnetic disturbances there that cause a lot of disappearances and crashes, could it be possible that that pyramid, which still has its capstone on it from the scan, could be emitting some type of a exotic energy, okay? Which would explain the whirlpool that forms there in its center. Here's something even more critical. If you take a line, a stick, and draw a straight line through the center of that pyramid, directly through the earth to the other side, you end up at the Ugani Pyramid in Japan, in the other Devil's Triangle, they call it the Devil's Triangle. So now you have the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle directly related by a 100% straight line all the way through the Earth to the other side. And you have a pyramid structure on that side, which people die up to at current times right now. But it's also responsible for what? Disappearances and, and all kinds of other things. It's just a weird situation. So these two, from one side of the Earth to the other, are completely tied together, probably with some type of a magnetic portal, uh, and they both serve purposes of which we don't know, but it was part of this Atlantean civilization that sank because both are work on the water. Okay? Uh, just amazing stuff. The more you look at this, the more you learn. Um, so the watch observed vivid recollections of the gods themselves, some beautiful beings spoke of the two who lived on Earth, the humans in the beginning, discoveries emerging from Egypt. Okay, so where oh, okay, here we go. So uh, the temple system in prehistory, mounted like antenna on the key energy meridian, which we just talked about which were employed by ancient priest scientists as harmonic tuning forks to stabilize the tectonic plates of the Earth's cataclysmic geology. Guys, what do ancient people know about this stuff? <laughs> you understand we're dealing with an advanced civilization. We're not dealing with magicians, sort of like we would consider a magician. We're dealing with people that really had technology that gave them this knowledge. 
In other words, they use these some of these pyramids as stabilizers for tectonic plates. Now, if the further back you go in time, you realize the closer that the moon was to Earth. The moon recedes away from Earth by about five centimeters per year. If you can go back tens of thousands of years, a full moon would almost take up the entire night sky. Okay, we were our planet was totally unstable. And the actual axis was wobbling a lot more, and even our rotation was a little bit faster, believe it or not. And it was causing a lot of wild storms, stronger hurricanes, tornadoes, mudslides, earthquakes, uh, even pole shifts. I don't know if you know this, but our Earth has had four pole shifts in the past, and we're potentially going to have a fifth. Okay? And a pole shift, and the reason why they did this particular thing with the pyramids is because if you look at Antarctica, and you go to Antarctica and you do you look at the discoveries there, they discover animals there, right? These animals are frozen in time, perfectly preserved. When they open the stomach, what do they find in the stomach? Undigested food. Why is it undigested? Flash frozen. Flash frozen. So what does that tell you? Antarctica moved into that position. So as tectonic plates bump against each other, Sometimes you have a subduction plate where one plate goes under. Sometimes you have a, uh, a subduction plate that goes above, and one you have a, one that goes under. So basically, as these plates bump into each other, and then you have a gravitational field that causes a tug on our planet, which is like our brown dwarf neighbor that uh, we just discovered out there in our solar system, when it passes around our sun and adds a little bit more gravitational shift to our, our, uh, our planet and tugs and pulls, and one plate shifts and drops. Now you have an entire continent that drops into an area that's freezing cold, and the animals and everything in their stomachs becomes flash frozen. Okay, this happened before on this planet, and if you look at the volcanic rock on this planet, you begin to realize that there's magnetism in the rock that show that the North Pole was facing south. Every 27,000 years, we have a magnetic pole shift as well. So right now, where's where's our true north? It's straight up, well, according to our axis point, it's pointing right now at um, the constellation of uh, Pisces. But it's soon to be uh, uh, Aquarius. But what you have here is our magnetic north, which controls our GPS satellite, tracking everything else. That is now located in Russia. Airports all over the world have had to redo the coordinates on their landing strips so the airplanes can land safely because magnetic north is on the moon. It's on the moon. And soon it's going to be the South Pole, and the South is going to be the North Pole. A magnetic flip is going to happen sometime within the next few hundred years to a few thousand years. It's just part of the geology of this planet. It's something that happens. It's part of natural nature. But it happens typically around this 4,200-year cycle when this, um, this sun, this other brown dwarf star, passes by our sun, um, which is the sun that the ancients knew about. It's not going to crash into our planet or anything like that, but you have to understand this brown dwarf star has, has the same exact mass as our yellow star, but it's about four or five times smaller. But it still has the same amount of mass, and it has plates. There's one simple sugar balance brew anyone over 40 can use to stabilize A1C levels almost overnight. Ten times more effective than anything currently available on the market. Skip Yet surprisingly, that. only... Plates orbiting in. I'll show you the video about that. Um, so... From the mother tongue of the word Jedi, Jedi, huh? Where Star Wars got that from? Meaning the way of the word or the power of the word. The ancient Jedi, or Jedi, the way it's spelled now, you know, 
um, mostly a DJ EDI priest, used the language of light to tune the planet like a gigantic, gigantic harmonic bell. Uh, much is being rediscovered in the last days in this time cycle. The outer walls of the temple of Edfu, dating back to the age, depict the Zepi. Uh, so if you've ever seen the outer walls of the temple of Edfu, it's an amazing depiction of these ancient gods. But who are they? Horus, Osiris, uh, Isis, all the ones we know about. Those were called the Neturu, which we know as the Anunnaki, which we know as the Atlanteans. Um, they're all the same, the same people, the Watchers and everything else. They're all the same people, just very different levels of, uh, of skill and ability and um, recognition. Now, when you look at the ancient Egyptians, you typically see that red disc over their head, right? That red disc is not our sun. It's a brown dwarf or red dwarf star. That's what that is. It's from their own star system that they're re recognizing and remembering and telling us about in depictions and artistic depictions in the hieroglyphs. And when you see it look like a crescent moon on, over their head, it's not a moon when you see that crescent. It's a crescent uh, of, a, of, a, um, of a star. In other words, it's the shadow of a moon against their star. Just so that you know, some of you may have seen this for like a one minute clip. But I want you to understand that what I'm telling you about the ancient Egyptians and the Sumerians um, knowing about, and the Dogon tribe knowing about these stars and this binary system, this is modern peer-reviewed science now. Two images show you. This is the arrow obviously pointing to. But there are three dots on here. One is red, one is green, one is blue. Right. What's significant? So this is, this is the actual discovery image. Basically, two astronomers were looking one little patch of sky very, very far away looking for exactly this kind of thing. Stars don't move. Planets or anything that's like a planet does. So this is color-coded. This is what they saw on different nights. They were looking for one thing moving. They color-coded it to, to show that all these stars are staying still. This thing is moving, and the way it's moving... So this is just one... It's one object, color-coded. Is Pluto on this? Pluto's in a whole different part of the sky. So this is way out there. This is way out there. Well, this is more, is than, more than twice as far away as Pluto. Unbelievable. It's really important to understand also that the ancients knew about this. This is why you, uh, you see that we, we say, I say, they came from multiple star systems. Some from Orion, some from Sirius, uh, you know, some from this Nibiru planet that's talked about in the, you know, the Elish. It just seems that they were uh, a multiple, uh, multiracial uh, alien civilization that made its way here to this planet. And uh, when they got here initially, according to the Sumerian tablets, they were here to do their job, which was to mine the resources, like I said before. But at some point, when they began to realize that there was no real law here, in other words, they operated under very strict rules and laws from their home planets, because they mentioned it. And they actually mentioned the fact that what they're doing, they would be judged for. And they would be judged by not only their home planet, but also the creator of all. So they themselves believed in a creator of all or a God figure. Knowing that, you have to say, well, they must have really been doing the pimp game because they masqueraded as gods here to, to people. Um, and they, but they knew that there was a real creator. They acknowledged that creator several times, and they also said that they will be punished in the, uh, you know, when, they, when they die. They will be punished for what they've done here. What happens is, if you go to look at uh, old Western movies, okay, you see that uh, back then you can just walk around with a gun and if somebody pisses you off, you can just shoot them and then walk out of the bar and go home and go to sleep. That's why they call it the wild, wild west, right? 
Well, Earth was a wild, wild west for these people. Once they got here and started realizing, it's like when you're a kid growing up and you, you, you know, you go out and then nobody complains. You realize you're like 18 now and you go out a little bit later and a little bit later. Oh yeah, nobody's gonna stop me from going. I'm just gonna hang out all night. I come home the next morning when the sun comes up. You go, wow, I could do this now. Nobody's ever gonna bug me again about not coming home. It's that mindset. So they got that mindset of like, we do a little something here. Nobody's nobody can see us. Nobody's finding out about this. What do you think about our out of our report? Oh, we can do a little something illegal over here. We can do a little bit. We'll genetically modify these people over here without permission. We'll do whatever it takes. Do what we got to do. And little by little, they became this crazy warring race on this planet. They had escaped wars on their planet via nuclear destruction and everything else. But when Alalu, I mean, when, uh, when Alalu came here, uh, he bought some weapons of destruction along with him, and he hit him in a mountain. Those weapons of destruction were discovered and much later then utilized on this planet. And others came here with more weapons of mass destruction. The WMDs that Bush was looking for, there was a couple of different things. It was really about ancient Sumerian tablets that housed the information about these tablets of destinies, these weapons, and also what a friend of mine who was actually there on site and had, I have pictures of uh, at the Ziggurat of Earth when they, when they took out the Stargate, or the object that looked like a Stargate out of the Ziggurat of Earth. This uh, is a famous Sumerian cylinder seal at the British Museum. You see the Anunnaki god sitting down. He's sitting down right here. Now, he's got the much smaller human beings in front of him, and he's demonstrating something. And what you see above this table that this man is lifting, this stone table, he's lifting with one hand. What you see above... I've been getting paid $30,000 a month, if not more. Let me show you. Here, I have a check for $775. This one, for $2,775. And this one? Above that table is a frequency. It's not a disc. It's not a physical object. It's a cymatic frequency that's being pushed down on top of that stone table from the device at the very top. Okay? So what's happening here is this Anunnaki God is teaching human beings the power of anti-gravity all the way back then in ancient times. Now what's interesting is the two guys behind the man that's holding up the table with one arm are whistling. They got their hands. If you can see a really clear image of this, this, um, this uh, cylinder skull, you would see that they've got their two fingers doing like they're whistling. Has anybody here been to the Coral Castle in Miami? Got to go there. Edward Leeds in. Okay, this guy had unraveled the sequence of Egyptian mysteries in building and construction, and he built this gigantic uh, coral castle down in Miami, which I've been to several times. He has the same exact device. He was seen whistling and levitating gigantic blocks of coral that weighed tons. And he hoisted all of these gigantic stone, uh, coral stones into position and made his own castle down there, down in, in, uh, in Coral Gables, uh, Miami. Okay. Amazing place. You don't need a passport to go there. You can just get down there, go have some fun, go see this amazing architectural feat using ancient Egyptian technology and all this tools still there at the actual now it's like a museum. And then, you know, you go hang out on the beach somewhere. And so you can have some fun with it. Um, but this device here, so basically what you see here, you see, uh, let me take this you see this Anunnaki man. He's sitting on this, and you can't really make it. It's not that clear because of the, it's expanded and expanded image. But there's two heads on this box that he's sitting on, facing in opposite directions. 
So he's sitting on something that is literally a magnetic device with opposite poles, okay? Like a magnet has two poles, okay, positive and negative. So he's got that. He's got this wand in his hand. It's almost like an arm. And arm, believe it or not, had almost the same exact purpose. We'll go into that in a minute. But this, this is a field amplifier. So he's able to contort the field with this wand in his hand. And this structure that's going up above his head has an object at the very tip that sends down this frequency, which is being uh, manipulated between the magnetic field and this field amplifier, which is causing this stone's atomic structure to reverse and giving it, uh, making it almost weightless. Not completely weightless, but almost weightless, anti-gravity. Okay? If you go to Edward Leedskillen's Coral Castle, you will see the same exact structure set up, except his is more like a tripod, a box at the top in the corner, and the same purpose. He had a magnetic wheel at the bottom he would crank with these gigantic magnets on it, creating a magnetic field, and he would do what? He would be whistling. And he did the same exact thing. He created anti-gravity and created his entire castle called the Coral Castle in Miami, an amazing feat of architectural design, all by himself, weighing only about 120 pounds at about five foot seven. Okay, amazing. So you gotta go down there. If you can get down there and check it out, it's amazing. So that at the bottom, this is the matching frequency to this disc. You don't think they know how to create anti-gravity? I'm talking about they being aerospace companies, the governments of the world and so forth. If I could figure this out, <laughs> Well, the ancients, uh, which we don't have time to get into all today because it's so much more, but the ancients, the ancient Vimanas, they were talking about the Vedic text and in the uh, Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas. They have these, uh, uh, these recollections or this information they wrote about called Vimanas, or the Vamana Kanastra. Sorry, Vamana Kanastra. Yes, it is. Vamana Kanastra. And these were flight plans of these flying vessels that operated off of mercury. They literally used rotating mercury to create a magnetic, which would apply magnetic field to create um, anti-gravity. How it worked really was, when you look at the plans, you take mercury and you put it into something called a torus, which is a steel um, donut, basically. Kind of looks like a donut, but it's made out of steel. You have to have reverse magnetic field, so you have to have a field on the inside that keeps the food from touching because mercury is a metal, liquid metal. You can't then touch the inside. So you have the field on the inside that keeps it from touching. You have a field on the outside that holds it and makes it rotate. You have to get the magnet on the outside rotating to about 60,000 RPMs. Once you get that, now you're creating a, a, an enhanced magnetic field. And then when you apply atmospheric pressure to the actual torus, so now with the combination of electricity, electromagnetism, and atmospheric pressures with rotating mercury, which is a ferrofluid, you've now created something called a ferrofluid vortex engine. There's also another one that they have called a TR3B. The TR3B came out long before this Hawk, and the Hawk is operating on the same exact technology, except a little bit better. TR3B is a flying triangle, uses a circular rotating mercury vortex underneath the center of the triangle. Uh, why a triangle? <laughs> Uh, but uh, it could have been any shape. It didn't have to be a triangle, right? But anyway, so uh, but it operates on the on, on the same premise, which is a ferrofluid vortex engine that allows it to move on its own inertia via an anti-gravity bubble with maneuvering thrusters. 
and this this object can move at unbelievable speeds. Now, if you're in one of these objects, you see these things that are moving five, six, seven, ten thousand miles per hour. You go, how can a human being withstand those kind of g-forces? Well, if you're inside the bubble, the g-forces are kind of muted. This is how those vessels, how the, the actual pilots are able to be inside of these vehicles that are moving at these light breaking speeds. If you just, if you've been looking at any part of the news and seeing these ATIP documents released from the from the Pentagon recently, uh, they're telling you um, that these things are real, these UFOs are real, and we can't catch up to them. For the first time in history, soldiers that are actually still in active duty have been allowed to testify and state that these objects were up there and real, and we were. Uh, sent out to track them down and chase them, and we could, they were maneuvering it in ways that we couldn't even keep up with. Normally, it's former uh, military. Everything you always hear is former military, ex-military, former military. This is the first time it's always been uh, now current, active duty, are able to report this information. In, the, in these ATIP documents, there's over 300 documents about this, uh, it's this threat detection system they spent multi-millions of dollars on the U.S. government in order to track down these UFOs and try to analyze and figure out what they were. So if they didn't think they were real, why are they spending millions of dollars on this? But the, 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 the documents came out, which I was able to download some of them, and then as soon as they came out, within a week, they deleted them. They were on FBI.gov. You can go there now and get like one or two sheets, but the rest of it you probably have to put a request in for the balance of the documents. But in the documents that I have, which I'm going to be doing, uh, making public on the uh, my show with Dave Dash called Forbidden Laws with Billy Carson, we're going to analyze these documents and we're going to look over the ones I do have because it talks about some crazy stuff. It's talking about uh, using DNA from aliens and merging it with humans. These are some of their tests they're currently in the process of doing. I think this is why they took them down. It's causing a lot of controversy. It was talking about ARVs, alien reproduction vehicles. All these crazy terms that people are going, what? And these are experiments that were actually currently ongoing, not something they were thinking about doing, that they were doing now. And it raised a lot of humanitarian issues and everything else, so they deleted those files. You could probably only get them if you were with the request of an attorney or probably a court order or Freedom of Information Act. But they do have a couple of the documents still up there. I still have the original screenshot and the original documents that I did pull down because it went right away. It was something kind of, kind of similar a few years back with NASA where they were talking about things that were really incredible, like attacking humans with UFOs and stuff like that. And I was able to get that document, which I turned it into an actual binder uh, before they deleted that one. So there's some real crazy stuff that, that these people are up to, and uh, they really don't have our best interests at heart. The majority of them, not all of them, the majority of them. But uh, yeah, but this is amazing. This is, goes all the way back to what they call the language of life. Which, the one thing I said before, you have to understand, yesterday I said, Everything is light. Even this frequency is light. Every single thing in this entire light matrix is nothing but light. And it's only depending on the vibration and the speed that it's moving will give it its color, its tone, and its appearance, or its illusion of solidity. Solidity is an illusion. Locality is an illusion. Okay? There is no such thing as locality. Once you get into the quantum world, it doesn't exist. Okay? So me saying that I'm here and, and you're over there, it's actually an illusion. I could take every single person on this planet, all 7.5 billion people on this planet, and take away all the empty space in between your atoms, and I can put you into a sugar cube. All of you, everybody, the whole planet, everybody fits into one sugar cube. We're not really here. <laughs> We're not. It's an illusion. Well, this is really, this avatar vessel, this avatar body, 
and the conscious brain that's inside of it, or the brain that's, uh, that's downloading consciousness, is like an antenna. So we're like an obelisk, we're a walking obelisk, like the ones from ancient Egypt. What would the obelisks do? Why were they made of magnetic granite? Because they would capture resonant frequencies that were being emitted by pyramids all around the world, and they would harness it and transmit it from obelisk to obelisk. And we're doing the same thing, same exact thing. As above, so below, as without, so within, it's the same exact thing going on. Well, what do you know? Thanks for 264K, even though it's just my sensors. Okay, my sheriffs and DHS. They're de-offensing me. So if you hear this, it's a freaking miracle. So, and you want to piss off my sensors, share my shit. Let's see here. Let's see, they came before Columbus lost civilization of the Chinese history. The Chinese. There's a book, I believe it's called Before Columbus, and it has a big almond head on it, and you can research that. It has a lot of great sources to document and prove that this culture had arrived here hundreds of years before the Mayans even existed. There's a book, I believe it's called Before Columbus, and it has a big almond head on it, and you can research that. It has a lot of great sources to document and prove that the height of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly 50% the height of the Great Pyramid at Giza. That's interesting. They also built Teotihuacan on a gradual slope so that the second, you know, the other two pyramids that are there are the same exact height of the Pyramid of the Sun, even though they're smaller pyramids. And the Pyramid of the Moon is actually eight pyramids built on top of each other with a fractal type of construction technique. The height of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly 
50% the height of the Great Pyramid at Giza. That's interesting. They also built Teotihuacan on a gradual slope so that the second, you know, the other two pyramids that are there are the same exact height of the Pyramid of the Sun, even though they're smaller pyramids. And the Pyramid of the Moon is actually eight pyramids built on top of each other with a fractal type of construction technique. In the Emerald Tablets, both claims have built the Great Pyramid, and that text is 36,000 years old. And even archaeologists uh, that teach at universities like Robert Schock, right, he says that based on weathering patterns just on the Sphinx alone, it's at least 13,000 years old, at least, at the minimum. And it goes even beyond, I believe, deeper than that. In the Emerald Tablets, both claims have built the Great Pyramid. Atrahasis a wise man who was saved from the flood after being warned. He was told to build a ship. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds like the biblical story of Noah. He was told to build a ship. Now, what's interesting about that is, it shows up in other ancient texts and tablets from around the world, scriptures, papyrus, and scrolls, similar stories. How could all of these people on this one planet in different regions thousands of years ago know the same exact story. Atrahasis, a wise man who was saved from the flood. At the time there was a war that went on, disagreements happened, the golden age began to fall, and these beings, these advanced beings, started going to war against each other for control and domination of humans and resources on this planet and other planets as well in our solar system, one of them being the moon and Mars, and they actually had a battle. So this battle is also well recorded in Sumerian tablets tales. They had these wars that went on, and these wars extended from Earth to the moon all the way to Mars, hence why Mars is called the god of war. At the time there was a war that went on, disagreements happened, the golden age began to fall, and these beings, these advanced beings, started going to war against each other for control and domination of humans and resources on this planet and other planets as well in our solar system one of them being the moon and Mars, and they actually had a battle. So this battle is also well recorded in Sumerian tablets tales. They had these wars that went on, and these wars extended from Earth to the moon all the way. Who are we? We are the Anunnaki, according to the ancient Sumerian text. So if you look at Genesis, which is the generations of Isis, and the reason why is because Isis took an egg out of one of our cousins that was here, and she actually took genetic material out, inserted it into her womb, and took it to full term for 10 months, and gave birth to the Adamu, according to the ancient text. And the Adamu means the first man. It wasn't the first person on Earth. I looked at the etymology of Adam, yeah. the other day, and I found Adama. So it led me to believe that the story of Genesis as we read it is not that necessarily. Well, it's actually what it is, is they had found a way, believe it or not, thousands of years ago to create cloned people. This ain't my idea. This is the ancient tablets. Who are we? We, we are the Anunnaki, according to the ancient Sumerian text. So if you look at Genesis, which is the generations of Isis, and the reason why is because Isis... He called himself an Atlantean priest king. He ruled over the land of Kemet before it was called Egypt for 16,000 years, one man. According to the ancient Egyptians, not according to Billy Carson, this tablet talks about the flood wars are receding. Another record of the Great Flood, the oldest record of actually the Great Flood. Mm -hmm. And the temples are coming back up out of the mud. Mm -hmm. And his dad tells him, go back to the land of Kem and rebuild civilization. Now here's what's interesting. In the tablets he says, 
So we went into the great ship of the master. Now you think he's going to sail out in the ocean. He goes, up where we rose into the morning. Up where we rose into the sky. Till the planet disappeared. Now he says, I'm a son of Atlantis. I'm here to rebuild your civilization to a high level. So they begin to rebuild civilization. Mm -hmm. So this guy then goes around teaching chemistry, chem, mm -hmm. that's where the land of chem comes from, and alchemy, mm -hmm. as well as many languages and other higher levels of thought and consciousness. Mm -hmm. And the words here that he wrote are extremely similar to the words of Jesus. He calls himself an Atlantean priest. Atlantis is everywhere. We are all standing and sitting on Atlantis at this exact moment. Atlantis was this entire planet. The Ring City, in my opinion, was just one of many capitals on Earth. Atlantis is, he called himself an Atlantean priest king. He ruled over the land of Kemet before it was called Egypt for 16,000 years, one man. According to the ancient Egyptians, not according to Billy Carson, this tablet talks about the flood wars are receding. Another record of the Great Flood, the oldest record of actually the Great Flood. Mm -hmm. And the temples are coming back up out of the mud. Mm -hmm. And his dad tells him, go back to the land of Kem and rebuild civilization. Now here's what's interesting. In the tablets he says, so we went into the great ship of the master. Now you think he's gonna sail out in the ocean. He goes, up where we rose into the morning, up where we rose into the sky, till the planet disappeared. Now he says, I'm a son of Atlantis. I'm here to rebuild your civilization. Atlantis is everywhere. We are all standing and sitting on Atlantis. How do we make the most of this cycle of civilization? How do we get ourselves to a golden age? There is only one person in the entire universe. Not on the planet, in the universe, there's only one consciousness. And that one consciousness has divided itself into Googles of entities throughout the entire space-time so that it can experience itself subjectively as different beings and entities. Once you can understand that we're all part of this one mass consciousness, because we're all part of that, and the divine energy that's beaming or being streamed from that is in every atom in our body, we are all walking gods. And there is no difference between me, you, or anyone else. And when we understand that, we'll stop falling for the divide and conquer tactics. And once all that begins to fall away because of elevated ascended consciousness, we will then begin to treat each other with unconditional love, and we will then bond and pair together, and we will do one simple thing to end this whole regime of oligarchs, is just we'll stop participating in their game. We just stop, and then we force them to negotiate with us, and we create the brand new paradigm, and that's when it's going to shift. How do we make the most of this cycle of civilization? How do we get ourselves to a golden age? There is only one person in the entire universe. Not on the planet, in the universe, there's only one consciousness. And that one consciousness has divided itself into Googles of entities throughout the entire space-time so that it can experience itself subjectively as different beings and entities. Once you can understand that we're all part of this one mass consciousness, because we're all part of that, and the divine energy that's beaming or being streamed from that is in every atom in our body, we are all walking gods. And there is no difference between me, you, or anyone else. And when we understand that, we'll stop falling for the divide and conquer tactics. And once all that begins to fall away because of elevated ascended consciousness, we will then begin to treat each other with unconditional love, and we will then bond and pair together, and we will do one simple thing to end this whole regime of oligarchs, is just we'll stop participating in their game. We just stop, and then we force them to negotiate with us, and we create the brand new paradigm, and that's when it's going to shift. They got all the beatings, and all they got all the punishments, but that doesn't work can't take children and beat them and yell at them and tell them all kinds of crazy stuff and expect them to go and be okay. Only a small amount of kids will make it out of that okay and the rest of them will struggle for the rest of their lives. We're creating a sick environment. We're creating a sick race of people of all skin colors by doing this instead of treating them that way and beating them and yelling at them. You can't do that.
punishments, but that doesn't work. You can't take, the only thing that does exist is consciousness, and it's all the same one. What it is is one radio station, imagine, right? And that one radio station in your neighborhood is broadcasting out 99.1, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, 0.5. Each avatar body encapsulates a particular dot number of that frequency, and that frequency animates our avatar bodies. We can experience life in this dimension, but we're all coming from the same source. An adjacent question to that is, are we living in a holographic universe? We know that these Sumerian people were huge on animals. They had the animal heads, which were really like helmets, because in the text, they were talk about putting on the eagle's masks in certain situations when there was problems in the atmosphere. When you see an Anunnaki being with the eagle's head, it's actually the depiction of them wearing a helmet that had eagles on it. This object looks like it could be potentially some type of an eagle's head to me, or a bird's head. That's what it looks like to me. They were huge, and they passed that same tradition down to the ancient Egyptians who also utilized the heads of animals and things. You know that these Sumerian people were huge on animals. They had the animal heads, which were really like helmets, because in the text they would talk about putting on the eagle's masks in certain situations when there was problems in the atmosphere. When you see an Anunnaki being with the eagle's head, it's actually the depiction of them wearing a helmet that had eagles on it. This object looks like it could be potentially some type of an eagle's head to me or, or a bird's head. That's what it looks like to me. When you look into the ancient past or the animal tablets, well, after the great flood, he talks about going back to the land of Kemp and he says, rebuilding the civilization to a high level. So what that tells us is, oh, there was already a high level civilization eons ago before the great flood that we know about, all these indigenous cultures all speak of this great flood that happened. And then what he says is after they build up Giza, he then told his people, the crew that came with him, to go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. So that's why when you go anywhere on the earth, you're gonna see similar structures, similar construction techniques, megalithic blocks, and all the alignments are gonna be very similar because it was the same master architect that taught the world how to build these structures. When you look into the ancient past or the Emerald Tablets, well, after the Great Flood, he talks about going back to the land of Kemp, and he says, rebuilding the civilization to a high level. So what that tells us is, oh, there was already a high-level civilization eons ago before the Great Flood that we know about. All these indigenous cultures all speak of this Great Flood that happened. And then what he says is after they build up Giza, he then told his people, the crew that came with him, to go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. So that's why when you go anywhere on the earth, you're going to see similar structures, similar construction techniques, megalithic blocks, and all the alignments are going to be very similar because it was the same master architect that taught the world how to build these structures. When you look into the ancient past or the Emerald Tablets, well, after the Great Flood, he talks about going back to the land of Kemp, and he says, rebuilding the civilization to a high level. So what that tells us is, oh, there was already a high-level civilization eons ago before the Great Flood that we know about. All these indigenous cultures all speak of this Great Flood that happened. And then what he says is after they build up Giza, he then told his people, the crew that came with him, to go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. So that's why when you go anywhere on the Earth, you're going to see similar structures, similar construction techniques, megalithic blocks, and all the alignments are going to be very similar because it was the same master architect that taught the world how to build these structures. Unfortunately, you're going to continue to see the younger generation continue to get lower and lower IQ. You just can't rely on Google searches and ChatGPT for all your answers. 
you have to know how to actually solve real problems to make it or continue to build this world in the way that it needs to go. So every single person needs to learn how to take a journey to inner space, brain heart coherence, meditation techniques, eating clean, working on themselves, taking themselves out into nature, reconnecting with earth. All those things are very important. Fourth, you're going to continue to see the younger generation continue to... How can we apply wisdom to exiting the matrix and making sure that we are returning to our organic in order to do this, we have to become unified. All the divide and conquer tactics that the elites use to create this matrix of separation, separation is an illusion. There's less than a hundred people who tell us what to eat, smell, think, taste, touch, hear, and how to love one another, how to even love ourselves. There's only one thing we need to do to exit the matrix, and it has nothing to do with rioting. We're not going to go to war against any militaries. We're not going to picket and run down the street crying. We're not going to do all this crazy stuff. We just have to stand up and say no. And when we stand up and say no to them, we can't. How can we apply wisdom to exiting the matrix and making sure that we are returning to our organic In order to do this, we have to become unified. All the divide and conquer tactics that the elites use to create this matrix of separation, separation is an illusion. There's less than a hundred people who tell us what to eat, smell, think, taste, touch, hear, and how to love one another, how to even love ourselves. There's only one thing we need to do to exit the matrix, and it has nothing to do with rioting. We're not going to go to war against any militaries. We're not going to picket and run down the street crying. We're not going to do all this crazy stuff. We just have to stand up and say no. And when we stand up and say no to them, we can't. How can we apply wisdom? When I first you know, started trying to help people and try to give them some knowledge, and they were rejecting it you know, harshly, I came to this understanding. I took this old adage and I added something, a little extra to it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink just because you're thirsty. I began to realize I can't be thirsty for everybody. They got to become thirsty for themselves. And once they become thirsty for themselves, they're going to be able to open their eyes and see a lot more. When I first you know, started trying to help you would need a polar orbit to make these calculations. The other thing you have to understand is what a polar orbit can do. So the Earth itself is massive. And so if you're in an equatorial orbit, you can't capture the entire planet. So what you need, a satellite that can actually scan the planet as it spins on its axis. And as it spins, you're scanning for topographical data. You're counting every single peak and hill and mountaintop on the entire planet. And then you have to divide that by the height. You get the average height. What do you get? Okay, we're going to build a Great Pyramid to this height. This is the average height of all the landmass. Then the Great Pyramid is built at the center of landmass on Earth. To do that, another polar orbiting satellite is needed. You need to be able to see everything on Earth, calculate all the mass of land, and where to put that pyramid. Boom, right there. That's where it goes. So you can calculate this, the size of the, of the Earth from the Great Pyramid of Stones. The mean distance to the moon, the orbital velocity of the Earth, the orbital velocity of the moon, the metatronic 19-year cycle of the moon's orbit of the Earth, the Lagrange point L1 between the Earth and the moon, the speed of light, and the orbital velocity of the solar system relative to the center of the Milky Way galaxy. All that can be calculated from one you would need a polar orbit to make these calculations. The other thing you have, you have the electron, which actually makes a conscious decision whether it's being looked at or not looked at, whether it's going to become a stays away or become a, a solid particle. So we have wave particle duality. And so what that tells me, though, is that every atom in the entire universe has conscious electrons orbiting them. So that means that everything is conscious. Everything, everywhere, including the monitor that you're watching me on and I'm watching you on, it's conscious. This microphone is conscious. Why? Because the atoms are conscious, and we don't create anything. Man doesn't make anything. We organize atoms in a particular format or structure, but we didn't make the atoms, so we just, we're stacking them. You have the electron, which actually makes a conscious decision whether it's being looked at or not looked at, whether it's going to become a stay as a wave or become a, a solid particle. So we have wave particle duality. 
And so what that tells me, though, is that every atom in the entire universe has conscious electrons orbiting them. So that means that everything is conscious. Everything, everywhere, including the monitor that you're watching me on and I'm watching you on, it's conscious. This microphone is conscious. Why? Because the atoms are conscious. And we don't create anything. Man doesn't make anything. We organize atoms in a particular format or structure, but we didn't make the atoms, so we just, we're stacking them. You have the electron, which actually makes a conscious decision, whether it's being looked at or not looked at, whether it's going to become a, stay as a wave or become a, a solid particle. So we have wave particle duality. And so what that tells me, though, is that every atom in the entire universe has conscious electrons orbiting them. So that means that everything is conscious. Everything, everywhere, including the monitor that you're watching me on, I'm watching you on, it's conscious. This microphone is conscious. Why? Because the atoms are conscious. And we don't create anything. Man doesn't make anything. We organize atoms in a particular format or structure, but we didn't make the atoms. So we just, we're stacking them. When you really analyze history as I've did, you'll find that it's the greatest time to be alive. Right now, it's the greatest time. We're not even close to the end of days. The end of days is not now. It's going to be the end of days that would have been thousands of years ago when we had a lot of catastrophes going on, geological catastrophes. It would have been hundreds of years ago when we had the Black Plague, we had the Bubonic Plague, we had the Papal Inquisitions, 80 million people being slaughtered for the purpose of putting, pushing out religion. When we had the American Holocaust, 111 million indigenous peoples being slaughtered and killed over 70 years. When you really analyze history as I've did, you'll find that it's the greatest time to be alive. Right now, it's the greatest time. We're not even close to the end of days. The end of days is not now. It's going to be the end of days that would have been thousands of years ago when we had a lot of catastrophes going on, geological catastrophes. It would have been hundreds of years ago when we had the Black Plague, we had the Bubonic Plague, we had the Papal Inquisitions, 80 million people being slaughtered for the purpose of putting, pushing out religion. We had the American Holocaust, 111 million indigenous peoples being slaughtered and killed over 70 years. When you really analyze history as I've did, you'll find that it's the greatest time to be alive. Right now, it's the greatest time. We're not even close to the... Yeah, but what about the cold the end, of days. the end of days is not now. It's going to be the end of days. There is an alien gene in the human genome, in the homo sapiens. <laughs> and so you have these situations where you find these savants, these spies, <laughs> and these autistic people and stuff like that, that develop, but tapping into ancient genes and the avatar body we have now, this homo sapiens sapiens has a problem balancing sometimes. And so you find these disparities between how they can handle basic logic versus how much their brain can really handle in different things like artistic music, numbers, memory. And some of these people have enormous memories. They can remember everything they've ever seen, touch, smell, hear. There is an alien gene in the human genome. In the well, Sumerians were beings that were here. They were the first, according to the tablets, like one of the first races to be genetically tinkered with and kind of the origins of mankind. A lot of the tablets go back about six to 8,000 years, which is why a lot of the biblical texts only record 6,000 years of Earth's history because they took their history and information from Sumerian tablets. The Sumerian tablets were directly copied right into a biblical text in the Old Testament. 
Well, Sumerians were beings that were here. They were the first, according to the tablets, like one of the first races to be genetically tinkered with and kind of the origins of mankind. A lot of the tablets go back about six to 8,000 years, which is why a lot of the biblical texts only record 6,000 years of Earth's history because they took their history and information from the Sumerian tablets. The Sumerian tablets were directly copied right into a biblical text in the Old Testament. Well, Sumerians were beings that were here. They were the first... The knowledge, that secreted knowledge and the concepts of coming together, powerful minds coming together, and on one accord and in agreement of certain things can literally manifest any reality that they want on this planet at any given time and for however long they want it to manifest. And so once they understood that it could be used for light or darkness for whatever reason, some of these groups really, unfortunately, kind of chose the dark side. They chose power, dominion, money, capitalistic concepts and ideas to give them the capability of ruling over masses of people for millennia. And it's kind of really worked out for them. The knowledge, that secreted knowledge and the concepts of coming together, powerful minds coming together, and on one accord and in agreement of certain things can literally manifest any reality that they want on this planet at any given time and for however long they want it to manifest. And so once they understood that it could be used for light or darkness for whatever reason, some of these groups really, unfortunately, kind of chose the dark side. They chose power, dominion, money, capitalistic con and ideas to give them the capability of ruling over masses of people for millennia and it's kind of really worked out for them the knowledge that seek a new scientific study came out they just discovered that the human mind can exist and proceed up to 11 dimensions the same amount as the universe so we know now now know that our mind is a fractal of the whole and this is peer-reviewed quantum physics. And what that has primarily to do with the third eye. It's also made of crystals. There's crystal in there. Crystals have an amazing power. When you put pressure on a crystal, it releases energy. That's what's inside of a lighter. If you have a big lighter, when you spark the lighter, that's not a flint in there or some type of kindle. I said, uh, here's a project idea to create a <clears throat> simulation of what it's like to go through 11 dimensions. Light is your heritage. In other words, light, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, love is your birthright. It's your birthright. The problem is when we're born, like you heard me say so many times, you're given a name, a race, and a religion, and you spend the rest of your life defending a false identity. You truly never know who you are. You have no clue who you are. You're only basically saying, this is who I am based on what other people told you you are. And 
who you are and what you are and what you can and can't do. The school system steals all your originality and creativity, turns you into a robot, the job force takes the last little bit you have left and makes you into a zombie, and then you wait to die so you can live. That's not, that's not what it's all about. That's not what it's all about at all. Light is your heritage. In other words, light, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, Light is your heritage. So they discovered that traumas from 15 to 20 generations of your past ancestors gets passed down through the RNA, down the father's bloodline, and you're born, you're born with memories from 15 to 20 generations ago that are active in your life as you're growing up and living, and people can't figure out, why do I feel depressed? I got a great life. Why am I feeling angry or anxious? A lot of the time, those are memories that are coming out through your genes, these gene expressions that are creating different hormonal levels in your body that's creating the different moods that you're getting into. You have to learn how to reprogram those epigenetics. You discover that traumas from 15 to 20 generations of your past and everyone is feeling caution, aka forbidden knowledge. Welcome to the location of the Forbidden Conscious Awards 2023. Here at the ADR Center for the Performing Arts. And we also now know by doing a reverse calculation of the trajectory of this Sagittarius merger that we, the solar system that we're in, didn't come from the Milky Way. We are actually aliens here. We don't even belong in this galaxy. So do aliens exist? They're all sitting right here. We're the aliens. We also now know by doing a reverse calculation of the trajectory of this Sagittarius merger that we, this solar system that we're in, didn't come from the Milky Way. We are actually aliens here. We don't even belong in this galaxy. So do aliens exist? They're all sitting right here. We're the aliens. We also now know by yeah. doing a reverse calculation of the trajectory of this Sagittarius merger You gotta always realize all you can do is open the door. They have to walk through that door alone. But you've opened the door for them, you've, you've sent them love, you've sent assistance, and now all you can do from a certain standpoint is continue to send them a frequency of love. And then at some point in their life, maybe they'll turn around and, uh, and begin to work for themselves and realize that they are their own savior. You gotta always realize all you can do is open the door. They have to walk through that door alone. But you've opened the door for them, you've, you've sent them love, you've sent assistance, and now all you can do from a certain standpoint is continue to send them a frequency of love. And then at some point in their life, maybe they'll turn around and, uh, and begin to work for themselves and realize that they are their own savior. You gotta always realize in Africa, you have both the Atlantean priest king. I wrote about him in my book, Compending of the Emerald Tablets. He ruled over the land of Kemet for 16,000 years in ancient times, according to the ancient Egyptians' records. Throughout Africa, he had many names. He was both. He was also known as Tehuti, Tehuti, you know that name, Tehuti with a T. When you go and break down Teotihuacan, you find out the root of the word, the breakdown of the word is Tehuti's, or the city of Tehuti is the way it breaks down. And so Teotihuacan is actually Tehuti's city. In the Sumerian tablets, you find that Thoth had left out of Kemet, the land of Kemet, he leaves, and he takes several omelets with him to 
Mesoamerica, which is now Mexico, Mesoamerica, which now changed Mexico, which is the Americas, to build a civilization there. He builds Teotihuacan, which is a mirror, a copy of Giza. It's located in Mexico. The three pyramids are perfectly aligned with you. In Africa, you have both the Atlantean priests, and you see every country there, they're doing some type of research. It's a no-war zone. And also, whose research facility is down there? place that is not a country. It's called the Rockefeller Foundation. They have their own research facility down there as well. What are they researching? Who are they researching? Who are they talking to? you got to remember Buzz Aldrin from the Apollo missions. He was down there a few years ago and he something scared him. He actually made a tweet that said, we are facing the ultimate evil. So something that he saw down there, well, what they were doing, who they were communicating with, gave him the inkling that we were facing something very evil. And he tweeted that. They rushed him out of there and they made him delete the tweet, but by then millions of people had already screenshot it, it was too late. And they said, oh, he's just sick. It's not like you just want him to shut up. And you see, every country there, they're doing some type of research. It's a no-war zone. And also, whose research facility is down there? A place that is not a country. It's called the Rockefeller Foundation. They have their own research facility down there as well. What are they researching? Who are they researching? Who are they talking to? you got to remember, Buzz Aldrin from the Apollo mission. He was down there a few years ago, and he something scared him. He actually made a tweet that said, we are facing the ultimate evil. So something that he saw down there, well, what they were doing, who they were communicating with, gave him the inkling that we were facing something very evil. And he tweeted that, and then they rushed him out of there, and they made him delete the tweet. But by then, millions of people had already screamed. A lot of the male society right now, they're being emasculated. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it is chemical based. It's all these microplastics. We're inhaling them, we're eating them. Testosterone levels in men are the lowest it's been since they've been recorded. Right. And so, to that effect, what you're saying is, you know, the levels are dropping. Their plan is working out. The plan for them really is to not let us discover our life body, not let us discover our life consciousness, the power that we really truly have inside of us change and bend and mold and make it to our will. Right. What they want us to do is just continue to stay in these small little pockets, fighting each other over scraps, and not really ever getting to the higher levels and realizing that we're supposed to be able to bring our heavens right into this earth. Right. A lot of the male society right now, they're being emasculated. Oh yeah. And a lot of it's, it's chemical based. It's all these microplastics, we're inhaling them, we're eating them. Oh. Testosterone levels in men are the lowest it's been
working out. The plan for them really is to not let us get there's a huge agenda and they're sucking up all the incredible sites and getting these <coughs> rights to these sacred places. I, I, it's just mind blowing because it's telling me what I've been talking about is accurate. Because why would a space agency want access to information about an ancient site if we didn't have to do with space and astrophysics? I remember, uh, I think it was 2014, when I was getting ready to go up into the Great Pyramid, my guy was talking to one of the pyramid priests and one of the security guards, and they were saying, in the next 10 years, nobody might be able to come in here anymore. And she was like, why? What's going on? And it was because they said that NASA now owns the rights to the entrance into the Great Pyramid to get to the King's Chamber. And so she said, well, why would they close it? And his excuse was, is that the pyramid's unstable. <laughs> the pyramid's unstable. After all, thousands of years. There's a huge agenda. And they're sucking up all the incredible sites and getting these ownership rights to these sacred places. I, it's just mind-blowing because it's telling me what I've been talking about is accurate. Why would a space agency want access to information about an ancient site if we didn't have to do with space and astrophysics? I remember, uh, I think it was 2014. Hi, welcome back. We're listening to some Billy Carson. This is Humanity's Hidden Origins, Science of Portals and Stargates. Our next guest may be familiar to many of you as he's appeared on Gaia's Deep Space and Ancient Civilizations. Billy Carson has spent much of his life digging into things hidden from view, including the origins of our human species, which of course is one of my favorite passions as well. When I did build this website called Survive Pole Shifts, because I really, after doing a lot of research, I came to the conclusion that we had pole shifts in the past. This is why Antarctica mm -hmm. is where it's at and why animals still have undigested food in their bellies. Mm -hmm. And I came to the conclusion that we were going to have another one probably within the next 200 years or so. So I started researching that very heavily, and I made a website about it, and that kept getting hacked down. And then I started a Moblock development company around that time, and that the app was getting taken down from Apple and also from, at that time, Android. It wasn't Google Play yet. Hmm. And they couldn't give me any answers why that was happening. So I just backed off of that for a little while, and I just kept doing my own private research. Uh, for a few more years, you know, and just keeping it under wraps. Oh, so, so the whole thing about the pole shift, were you looking at it from the point of view of um, magnetic field shifts? Uh, not the magnetic field, so to speak, even though that does happen. Mm -hmm. It's happening right now as we speak. Right, it is. So what, where were you um, basically tapping into it? I was look, realizing that the, um, the crust of the Earth, it shifts and it locks together. Mm -hmm. uh, at the uh, at these points, and then at certain times, depending on the gravitational forces, especially if there's another gravitational body in our solar system or close by our sun, which I thought was probably called this nemesis object, and the Eumelius called, uh, you know, it's a brown dwarf star. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that, in my opinion, it was really out there, based on some of the watching of the precession of the equinox and realizing mm -hmm. our sun was speeding up in precession. So why would our sun speed up? That may raise a big question in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I started researching if our sun is speeding up, it's got to have doing it for breakaway speed. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came to the conclusion early on that we must be orbiting another star, but how come we can't see it? So I started researching that and found out that there are red dwarfs and brown dwarfs, which now my theories that I wrote about all these years have just now been verified because the... Um, Science the sun is in a binary star. We're in a binary star. Companionship with yes. another star. It's been verified now. Now, okay, so Walter Cruttenden, mm -hmm. you know, had his conferences for years, and that mm -hmm. was his passion. Oh, wow. Uh, he was an amateur, but a good one, uh, astrophysicist. Mm -hmm. And his, his, that was what the hypothesis he had for many years. Mm -hmm. But uh, he actually 
at one point went so far, I don't know where he is on this now, so far as to say he felt that the binary companion was the star um, Sirius. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's why it kept coming up in ancient, uh, particularly Egyptian, mm -hmm. um, not mythology, but right. history. It's possible it's a trinary, but the one that I discovered has been, now been labeled Biden. Biden. And it's just outside. No, like Joe Biden? Yeah, Seriously. Okay. Yeah. All right. Biden. That's very weird. But if you look <laughs> does it up, he know look, this? I, I think he does, but I don't. Uh, they, they, did, they, they did a whole thing about it on the news, and they brought in an astrophysicist, and he showed the location of this object, and he said there's a solar system in our solar system, and it's just outside the orbit of Pluto, but inside the Oort cloud. And he said, and then he says, this is the crazy, it's on my YouTube channel, he says, this is where we came from. That's his exact words. He mm. said, we're seeing this is where we came from. So I was like, so the, wow. So that gave birth to this solar system. That would mean that our sun was newer, theoretically. Right, possibly our sun was, or that was a captured, or captured. Uh, captured round dwarf. Okay. Because that, that happens a lot. Okay, so now let's go, and you, you, you teased us a little bit ago, you mm -hmm. know, uh, junk DNA, which yeah. is just to me, is just such a joke, yeah. you know, <laughs> oh, you're somehow born with 95% junk DNA, right. yeah, right, so let's go back now into mm. the story, and this mm. takes us back uh, toward, you know, like you said, a couple hundred thousand years ago, mm. not the beginning, but yeah. um, ancient enough times that that's where our story became, became corrupted, and mm -hmm. let's start talking about that. Yeah, I really do feel like the existing hominid that was on this planet, mm -hmm long before we got here as Homo sapiens sapien, was some other type of hominid, probably our cousins. And uh, according to a lot of the ancient texts, around 200,000 years ago, they began to genetically modify these existing hominids. There's been a, a little bit of a misleading thing going on in, the, in some of the ancient community and some of the truth-seeking community where they think that these Anunnaki, these Atlanteans, created human beings. No. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. Yeah. We were already here. Yeah. They decided to genetically modify, right. manipulate us to work for them right. and do their bidding, basically. Uh, so around, you know, modern-day biologists and scientists have discovered that some of these modifications to the human body, to the Homo sapiens sapiens, happened around 200,000 years ago. Ironically, the same amount of time that, you know, the Enumulation, the Seven Steps of Creation, the mm -hmm. Adraeus epic, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all these different epics that you read from these ancient Sumerian tablets, they start to talk about this happening around that time. Mm -hmm. Even the, uh, you know, uh, the modification of chromosome number two and the addition of these telomeres that basically shrink on chromosome number two. That's all about 200,000 years ago as well. At that statement and that discovery, the understanding was that the human being that already existed here on this planet mm -hmm. had incredible creative manifesting capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Already just as good as, as qualified as they were to become a spacefaring race. They, yes. he, realized, he realized it at that moment. So what did he do? He destroyed the Tower of Babel. Now, in the Bible, it's God. They say it's God, but it's really this Enlil character who did it. It was copied from the ancient tablets. Uh, he destroyed it, and then he split the people up, put them around different parts of the planet, mm -hmm. and, and changed the languages right. so that they couldn't communicate and work together anymore, made us enemies of each other. Mm -hmm. So brother fighting brother, so that we can't realize who the true enemy was. Yeah, I talked to some of the Aboriginal elders. Yeah. I mean, their story is, they're, they're from the Pleiadian star cluster. Mm -hmm. They were seated here by Pleiadians. Mm -hmm. This is their handed down verbal history. Uh, they truly believe it. They have a lot of extraordinary capabilities, extrasensory perception that the average person just doesn't have. They still have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a place down there called, in Kerryong 9 in Australia, where there's a partially uncovered Egyptian temple where the Egyptians would go there and to visit and learn from the aboriginals. Because they hadn't been tampered with. Exactly. That was the main reason why they were pure. 
and they would sit with the elders, they would go for walkabouts, they would learn directly from them, and they would write about this in this temple, which is etched into stone, and then they would go back to Egypt. And yeah. the story, the fact that they're saying that they're from the Pleiades, yes. that's amazing to me, and that they were the first seated people on this planet. Well, the last um, show I just did was with a man named Jason Quitt, who started having dreams and becoming in contact with, coming in contact with uh, a pharaonic line, Egyptian, mm. passing knowledge on, that was said to have originated from the Pleiades through Atlantis mm -hmm. down into Egypt, yeah. captured in stone in Egypt for us to resurrect today. Mm -hmm. Again, the same Pleiadian introduction of the, this yeah. knowledge, or actually I think it was more to remind us, help us remember mm -hmm. what we were once capable of. And this yeah. is part of the story that I just really ticks me off, yeah. that we were uh, tampered with in this way. So you carry on the story now. Yeah, we've basically been mind wiped. And yeah. There's a movie that I'm working on called Chronicles of the Anunnaki, and the opening scene is in the Pleiadian star cluster with a galactic war between the Lyrians and the Syrians. Mm -hmm. Because I really do believe that there was a galactic war there, and that um, what happened was the refugees from the remnants of whoever survived left out of there, went to the Orion, went to Sirius, mm -hmm. uh, and some might have crashed on this Nibiru planet, which is talked about in the Numi Ulysses, right, right. which was eventually captured by our solar system with this brown dwarf star. And this is why you have ancient accounts of these Anunnaki people, or these Atlanteans, coming from different star systems. It's, mm -hmm. and it's always specific star systems, and the Great Pyramid is aligned with these specific star systems. And I believe for a couple of reasons. One is because that's where they came from, and also that the Great Pyramid is probably a communications device, that through those shafts, through some type of subspace, subspace frequency, they would be in direct contact with whoever was on those planets. I do believe that, that that's at least in part what they were, because they were created by them for them, essentially, right? right? They're, yeah. they're not for humans, per se. No, yeah. Right. Where it becomes of interest again in reintroduction into modern society today. Why mm. is this happening now? Why are we remembering? Why are we waking up? Why are we beginning to tell these stories to each other again? Well, you know, something amazing about DNA, it has an amazing storage capacity. One gram of DNA, which is enough to put a tiny drop on the tip of your finger, can store 433 petabytes of data. Wow. Absolute zeros and ones data. So what happened was this uh, scientist named uh, George Church, he actually uh, created an ebook, and uh, he then downloaded the ebook to the to the DNA. He said, "This is incredible. It can take downloads from a server and upload back to the server again." That's when he realized this is a digital, you know, binary code. He said, "Let me replicate the book as many times as I can." He replicated it, I think, 80 million times or 80 billion times. That's a ridiculous number. Oh so my God! I didn't know that part. Uh, this is my understanding too that when we ha when we um, start considering incarnation patterns, that it is tied in through the DNA, mm -hmm. and there's a very practical reason for that. Yeah. What happened that is allowing us at this point in history? I mean, because if you're looking at the the phenomena of these gravitational waves, mm -hmm. right? You've got the phenomena of the Earth's own frequency shifting, the magnetic field dropping. Yeah. You've got a lot going on at one time. Where in this whole mix do we little human beings yeah. start like suddenly flowering again? I know, right? Am it's among the insanity that's yeah. also cropping up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing because in the Emerald Tablets, Thoth talks about the fact that uh, he wrote these tablets for a new human being being birthed under a new sun. And in the, which is us in this day and yes. age. And I think what he was referring to was the fact around 2012, which I knew was never going to be the end of the world, just right. another phase shift, our solar system, which undulates up and down the galactic equator mm -hmm. every so many tens of thousands of years. Well, we reached the center of the, right now, we're still hovering at the center of the galactic equator, which means the majority of the cosmic rays and energy coming from the galactic center is emanating right into us, through us, and all into our, into our DNA, into our brains and everything. And the fact that the magnetic field is diminished, it's allowing all that to come in even more. 
So now we're absorbing more of this cosmic energy directly from the galactic center, from the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. And it's coming into us and altering our DNA, reviving us, waking us up, reconnecting strands, and letting us realize and remember who we truly are. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you say this. Okay, so you can go to Billy's site, Forbidden Knowledge. That's a four, biddenknowledge.com. It offers loads of articles and insights in the ancient mysteries and all the other things we've been talking about here. Location device that through those shafts, through some type of subspace, subspace frequency, they would be in direct contact with whoever was on those planets. I do believe that. that yeah. That's a, at least in part what they were, because they were created by them for them, essentially, right? right? They're, yeah. they're not for humans per se. No, yeah. Right. Where it becomes of interest again in reintroduction into modern society today. Why yeah. is this happening now? Why are we remembering? Why are we waking up? Why are we beginning to tell these stories to each other again? Well, you know, something amazing about DNA. It has an amazing storage capacity. One gram of DNA, which is enough to put a tiny drop on the tip of your finger, can store 433 petabytes of data. Wow. Absolute zeros and ones data. So what happened was this uh, scientist named uh, George Church, he actually uh, created an e-book, and uh, he then downloaded the e-book to the, to the DNA. He said, this is incredible. It can take downloads from a server and upload back to the server again. That's when he realized this is a digital, you know, binary code. He said, let me replicate the book as many times as I can. He replicated it, I think, 80 million times or 80 billion times. That's a ridiculous number. Oh, my so, God. I didn't know that part. Uh, this is my understanding, too, that when we, ha when we um, start considering incarnation patterns, that it is tied in through the DNA. Mm -hmm. And there's a very practical reason for that. Yeah. What happened that is allowing us at this point in history? I mean, because if you're looking at... The, the phenomena of these gravitational waves, mm -hmm. right? You've got the phenomena of the Earth's own frequency shifting, the magnetic field dropping. Yeah. You've got a lot going on at one time. Where in this whole mix do we little human beings yeah. start, like, suddenly flowering again? I know, right? Am so among the insanity that's yeah. also cropping up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing because the Emerald Tablet Sloth talks about the fact that uh, he wrote these tablets for a new human being being birthed under a new sun. And in the, which is us in this day and yes. age. And I think what he was referring to was the fact around 2012, which I knew was never going to be the end of the world, just right. another phase shift, our solar system, which undulates up and down the galactic equator mm -hmm. every so many tens of thousands of years. Well, we reached the center of the, right now, we're still hovering at the center of the galactic equator, which means the majority of the cosmic rays and energy coming from the galactic center is emanating right into us, through us, and all into our, into our DNA, into our brains, and everything. And the fact that the magnetic field is diminished, it's allowing all that to come in even more. So now we're absorbing more of this cosmic energy directly from the galactic center, from the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. And it's coming into us and altering our DNA, reviving us, waking us up, reconnecting strands, and letting us realize and remember who we truly are. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you say this. Okay, so you can go to Billy's site, Forbidden Knowledge. That's a four, biddenknowledge.com. It offers loads of articles and insights in the ancient mysteries and all the other things we've been talking about here. You can also check him out on the search bar on Gaia on um, all the other shows he's appeared on here. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Carson. Thank you.
Appreciate it. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about stargates and portals. All right, cool topic. Um, I'm going to go into some science dealing with the jet pillar onk and what that's all about and what it is. When I started researching these portals and stargates, I started finding something very similar between all of the ancient records and the history and the, the hearsay about them and some of the indigenous. I'm about to cash a $50,000 check for an accident I was involved in over five months ago. The same accident, the insurance company offered me 5000 information about the portals. information about the portals is that only specific people were able to walk through the portals it wasn't just like anybody can just walk through the portal and it had a lot to do with DNA it had a lot to do with frequency atomic structure and keys okay and codes so this is what we're getting ready to get into what is the atomic structure about what is the DNA about what are the keys and codes so yesterday in my talk or Saturday I think it was in my talk we talked a little bit about the storage capability of DNA how DNA stores memories and information so I showed one particular video where uh, these scientists replicated their ebook 80 billion times on one gram of DNA. DNA stores digital bits of zeros and ones data. Hardcore, the same data that's on this computer that makes this show up on the screen is the same exact data that your DNA can store. It can upload and download, not only through a hard connection, but also wirelessly as well. What is stopping us right now from being successful with teleportation and all these other technologies that we want to be able to do? Well, the biggest problem with that is not that we don't know how to do it. We know how to do teleportation. We've done teleportation now for at least 10 years. We've been teleporting individual particles. Now we actually are able to teleport molecules. So we're teleporting, I think it was maybe five months ago, we teleported some molecules from Earth to the ISS, the International Space Station. That's a big feat. But the amount of memory it takes is significant. Now, with DNA hard drives, that's all gone because one human body can store 13.5 billion years of data, the same age as the universe. Uh, I remember a few years ago when the storage medium on one gram of DNA was 5.5 petabits, 700 terabytes. Now they've upped it to 433 petabytes. We're moving, we're moving fast. Now Microsoft here created the first DNA hard drive. So now everything is going to take off like lightning. And then you now we're going to have the, uh, the quantum computers, because that's also very important for Stargates, the ability to have Quibits. And what a Quibit is and how it works and why it works and how it integrates into Stargates. It's real, hardcore, advanced, super advanced technology. The next level is the atomic level. And this is important when you're talking about Stargates and portals. So scientists discovered that they can now write data directly onto each individual atom. Okay, so as you know, we have billions of atoms that make up a human body avatar. Imagine writing data onto each individual atom. So when you're talking about these beings being extremely advanced and being able to live all these years and knowing all this information, imagine if you were able to transmit information directly onto each atom in your body and you're walking around with, you know, 100 trillion zettabytes of data that you have access to at any given time, your own internal internet. So when anybody asks you a question, the answer is instantaneously given because you're, that you're pretty much uploading it from your atoms directly into your consciousness and spitting it out. You would appear to be a god. You're going to appear to, you're gonna appear to be 
uh, or Alpha and Omega, I know everything and I'm everywhere and I know it. There's nothing I can't answer. Now, let's unpack a Tesseract because a Tesseract is a very important part of the ancient history. In my opinion, it's what was involved or what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant, a fourth dimensional cube. And we're going to talk a little bit about the fourth dimensional cube because uh, it's a cube of unparalleled power and it gives you the access to the past, present, and future in any location you want to be in all at the same time. So this is something that's encapsulated in something called Metatron's cube, if you've ever heard of that. That's inside the flower of life. So when you unpack a fourth dimensional cube into three dimensional space, you get a cross. <laughs> the cross is the same cross as the Templar's cross and some other crosses that you're going to see. Another very um, important uh, sign that you're going to see in a little bit. But you get a cross when you unpack a fourth dimensional cube, which is Metatron's cube, which is considered by the ancients to be an archangel. Okay. Michael the Archangel, I'm just saying. <laughs> Everything from the ancient times, when you listen to it and you compare it then to a modern day understanding of science, physics, and technology, you begin to see how they were using words and terminologies to the best of their ability to explain the things that we're now explaining or showing out to be technology or science. Okay? But think about a fourth dimensional cube. Who here saw uh, Interstellar? Okay, so he got into a tesseract on his way back when the ship was going through that weird space, right? He came out of the ship. He didn't die. He ended up inside of a tesseract. He ended up inside of this. This is what he was inside of, a fourth dimensional cube that was unpacked. And then he was able to see the past, present, and future all at once. And according to quantum physics, there's 11 dimensions that make up this entire universe. According to theoretical physicists, without 11 dimensions, this universe would collapse, Maybe it has something to do with the power of 11. I mean, you know, we, we see it all the time, right? That 11, 11, but maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe we're in synchronicity with the universal consciousness, and that's why we're seeing 11s all the time. But 11 dimensions is what we're talking about. So according to the ancients, ascended masters would ascend to the 11th dimension. I mean, <laughs> you go to the ancient history and you come to the modern history, and Michio Kaku is saying the same thing that these ancient sages were saying thousands of years ago. It's really amazing. And then we have the Merkaba, okay, which we talk about in the mystery school. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba. Transgender. It's made very, very cool through the media. Through TikTok, through Reddit, through Tumblr, through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter, through their games. This is a Chinese Falun Gong misinformation campaign. They're all doing this simultaneously. Simultaneously, what the fuck are you So we're going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba today. The Merkaba is another method used by the ancients for travel. They would travel in a counter-rotating tetrahedron, which is two pyramids, you know, one top, one on the bottom, that would counter-rotate. It's like a light vessel. So they would actually be able to uh, go into a specific type of meditation and get into this light vehicle and travel throughout the universe some with the physical body and some only with consciousness. So in my book, Thoth the Atlantean, he talks about the capability of getting into this light vehicle and he would travel the, world, the, the universe. He actually says he's, he went to uh, many worlds and he watched civilizations rise and fall. How can you watch many civilizations rise and fall, okay, without aging? 
mind is outside of space, mind is outside of time. So what may have been thousands of years for one civilization, or maybe even tens of thousands of years, could have only been just a few moments for Thoth in that particular mind state, because mind is outside of space-time. So the Tesseract, okay? Hollywood has hit the Tesseract in plain sight. The Tesseract is the fourth dimensional cube that we just talked about. It's been called the Cosmic Cube, the Hypercube. It appeared in Avengers Affinity War, Captain America, the first Avenger, A Wrinkle in Time, Iron Man 2, X-Men, The Matrix, Thor, The Avengers, Interstellar, The Dark World Prelude, uh, Transformers, and they even called one of the characters Megatron after Metatron, you know what I mean? Uh, they always try to hide the truth in plain sight. Um, then you have the Tesseract, more recently debuted in A Wrinkle in Time, also known as the Cosmic Cube, but that's the one that Oprah Winfrey was involved in. It's an enchanted object of unparalleled power. Metatron was originally a human elevated to Archangel by the God, this is according to the ancients, for his services as a scribe. Foremost communicator between humans and the divine. He is best known for his, for his cube. To understand the meaning of sacred geometry symbols, Metatron's cube is based on a deceptively simple pattern called the fruit of life. Thirteen connected circles, which is in a concentrated ancient flower of life, inscribed on the walls of the Assyrian temple at Abydos in Egypt. I'll show you that a little bit later. The flower of life is a specific, regularly repeating pattern of circles rotating around a central point, and it contains a vast Akashic system of information. That's what stores the Akashic information. It's inside the flower of life symbol, which in my opinion is also what I call the face of God. Including the templates for five platonic solids, key sacred shapes, which are the building blocks of creation. So to sum it up, the sacred geometric shapes forming the life begins as an ovum, a sphere, becomes a tetrahedron, then a star tetrahedron, then a cube, another sphere, and finally a torus. Metatron cube is also known to me as what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, where does the energy source come from for these stargates? Energy source. So let's look at that. The energy source comes from the body as well. Scientists concluded that the average human body contains approximately 37.5 trillion cells. Each cell generates 0.07 volts of electricity. At 37.5 trillion cells, that's 2.63 trillion volts of electricity in one human body. You, each one of us is a walking nuclear explosion. Okay? That's in your body. 2.63 trillion volts of electricity. So, the power source is here. The memory source is here, right? Uh, the, the ability for the quantum uh, mode, the quantum computing is also inside of us. Why? Because it's inside of our consciousness. We have built-in quantum computers. We have the ability to process qubits. Right now, the human body has enough power to create the energy needed to jump through a portal. And open and hold open a stable portal as well. Watch this before it's too late. If you think the law of attraction isn't working for you, then try speaking these 20 word scripts from the Bible. It instantly raises your vibration. This 20 word biblical script is so powerful, it alters the Built the Great Pyramid. Okay. Now, when you if you listen to mainstream 
uh, archaeology, they'll tell you that it was Cheops and Khufu and all these crazy names. These guys didn't build anything, okay? Uh, if you go to Egypt, which I encourage everybody to do, go to the Valley of the Kings. Uh, I have a specific guy that I recommend. His name is Muhammad Gamal. And if anybody needs his contact information, I'll get it to you. Muhammad Gamal. Um, G-A-M-A-L-L is his last name. Uh, he's got a phenomenal, phenomenal team. They're not going to give you the mainstream tourism uh, you know, information. They're going to give you the real homegrown, because they're homegrown, real information, not the fake lies. Um, and what you'll find out is that in the Valley of the Kings, for example, uh, unfortunately, the way that things work in this world, it's always been going back even to those times. Once a king was building his tomb, if, if uh, for whatever reason, uh, another person was coming up behind him, another king was coming up behind him, or there was a takeover, if they would find that tomb built and waiting for the current king to pass on, they may assassinate that king and steal the tomb for themselves, so they don't have to invest any money into creating their own tomb, because these tombs cost money, believe it or not. So, they would jack each other for tombs. Uh, you know, it's just crazy. Uh, but, so, you know, it's, it's no wonder why they would try to claim building the Great Pyramid. I mean, who, would want, who wouldn't want to have a feat like that in their honor, in their, in their name? You know what I mean? So, it was really just a bunch of, a bunch of lies. Um, they really tried to put claims in that they had owned it or created it, but they never had laid one brick. Never invested any money or time and energy into one brick in the Great Pyramid. As a matter of fact, we're going to show you today how old the Great Pyramid is. Some of you may have heard my theory about it being 36,000 years old which I came up on my own based on the procession of the equinoxes and the constellation of Leo. Well, I'm not the only one. Later on, I found a very famous historian that came up with the same conclusion. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. But we're going to show that small clip as well. And then we're going to see a very amazing clip about the Giza Plateau. But Thoth says, Build an eye, the Great Pyramid, patterned after the pyramid Earth's force, burning eternally so that it too might remain through the ages. In it, I build it my knowledge of magic science. Now, magic science translates into advanced technology. That's what it means. Okay? In it, I build it my knowledge of, of magic science so that it might be here when I again return from Amenti. I, while I sleep in the halls of Amenti, my soul roaming free will incarnate, dwell among men in one form or another. Here we have again his account of he's in the halls of Amenti, which are located underneath the Great Pyramid. And while his body is in there, really, his consciousness is now inhabiting another avatar body and walking amongst men. They make many, many references to the fact that they walk amongst men, but unlike a man. Uh, and these halls of Amenti, as I was saying yesterday, had been discovered underneath the Great Pyramid. They're about a mile deep. They found hundreds of rooms, archway rooms, underneath the Great Pyramid that extend out under the Giza Plateau about one mile. About one mile beneath. And Ground penetrating radar from satellites is now proving this. They also found, guess what, guys? Hundreds, not a few dozen, hundreds of pyramids underneath the sand at Giza. Hundreds of pyramids. And those pyramids were buried with sand from 400 miles away. Okay, think about that. So when they bailed out of here after the last pyramid war, they literally uh, took all the technology out of all the pyramids and temples, and then they buried as much as they possibly could. More evidence... Here's how to legally steal gasoline from gas stations. This ex-programmer got fired from his job at a German car manufacturer after... They literally uh, took all the technology out of all the pyramids and temples, and then they buried as much as they possibly could. More evidence of this. Anybody heard of uh, Gobekli Tepe? Okay. Ancient site in Turkey. 
Well, this site in Turkey, uh, which is a, it's only like not even one fourth uh, revealed now in terms of being dug up archaeologically, it's such a massive, massive site. This site dates back to about 14,000 years, right before the last ice age. And the stone pillars that have come up have etchings uh, or, or carvings of dinosaurs and humans and, and animals that don't even belong in that region. But the most amazing thing about this is synchronicity. The sand that buried this entire civilization of Gobetli Tepe comes from hundreds of miles away. Buried on purpose. Buried on purpose. And the more you look into the ancient past, the more you look into these ancient sites that I've been to, you begin to realize when these uh, these uh, temples and these pyramids are buried, and, you, and they investigate the sand and they investigate the soil samples, they begin to realize buried on purpose. And it just keeps coming up over and over again. So you begin to realize that there was an actual uh, um, purposeful attempt to hide this information from us thousands of years ago before we got into what we call the modern era, you know, before we got here. We're just now starting to re rediscover everything that already existed, basically. The pyramid is encoded with the distance to the sun. Now, you know, this is uh, something that a lot of people don't know. The pyramid is a giant mathematical computer. It's almost like what Thoth did was he took every computation, every calculation about our solar system and astrophysics about this particular sector of space that he can find through whatever gathering data collection mission he had, whatever technology he had to collect this information. And then he literally programmed that into the Great Pyramid, the construction of the Great Pyramid. So it hides all of this information, all these secrets. The Great Pyramid is encoded with the distance to the sun, the sun's parallax, the size of the Earth viewed from the sun. So that's what a parallax is. So uh, the size of the sun as viewed from our perspective on the planet is what we call a parallax. That parallax is what allows uh, for eclipses, for example. So from our position here on Earth, the, the, our moon perfectly um, covers the sun's disk because of that, that angle that we're at from this objective. But the size of the Earth, as viewed from, as viewed from the sun, expressed as an angle and generally taken to be one half the diameter uh, at the equator. So basically, the solar uh, equatorial parallax is 8.9008091 seconds apart. Now, that was just a lot of math here. Using 918,000, uh, 91,848,817. So that's really a lot of miles. But basically, what this whole thing is saying here is that when you start to analyze these numbers and you start to really look at the programming that's been put into this, you begin to realize that this is that the way that this, the way that the pyramid was built is was built to tell us or give us a message about uh, our, our you know our solar system for people in this era. Everything that's hidden inside the pyramid. All these numbers is, is made for us because we're the only ones now that can kind of really decipher it. So when you begin to analyze it, you begin to analyze and realize that this information wasn't for people not even 100 years ago, not even 200 years ago. This information is for us right now. And there's a reason for that, which I'm going to show you here in a little bit. But uh, the Anunnaki named Thoth, also known as Nick Zeta in the Sumerian tablets, the son of Anki, in his own words, built the Great Pyramid from the top down. Okay? From the top down. So. It wasn't like it was built from the from the base up, it was built from the top down. So, one of the most amazing anomalies right here on Earth embedded, is embedded in the Great Pyramid, the tropical year or calendar year can be calculated. And basically that is the length of the base, which is 9,131 pyramid inches, measured at the mean socket level, or 365.24 pyramid cubits, which is the number of days in a year. Okay, This is amazing stuff. It's accurate to within five digits. 
the perimeter of the base divided by 100 equals 365.24. These aren't just coincidences, guys. This is real mathematics showing you that the pyramid is telling you how many days are in a year based off of the uh, based off the way that the building the structure is built. The tropical gear can be calculated. The length of the anti-chamber uh, used for the diameter of the circle produces a circumference of 365. The tropical gear could be calculated. The ratio of the lengths of the grand gallery to the solid diagonal of the king's chamber times 100 equals the number of days in a tropical year. Okay? That's aggregate within eight digits. The sidereal year, the length of the antechamber of the king's chamber times pi equals the length of the sidereal year in pyramid inches. I mean, again, these are not just accidental coincidences. The mean distance to the sun Half the length of the diagonal of the base times 10, uh, 6 squared average e equals the average distance to the sun. The mean distance to the sun, the height of the pyramid times 10 by 9, represents the mean radius of the Earth's orbit around the sun for the AU, which is an astronomical unit uh, in pyramid inches. You can see it there. But this is really amazing because now we're talking about an astronomical unit is the distance from the distance from Earth to the sun, but now you can also multiply that by planet. So if you take that distance, which you know that now set number, and then you go, okay, well, how far away is Mars from the sun? If you could put that exact distance in over like a ruler over and over again, you get several of those. And now you can say, okay, well, Mars is 4 AU from the sun, for example. So it's like a measuring stick. So they knew the distance from the Earth to the sun and were able to use it as a measuring stick. And we now just started doing that in modern science and astrophysics. The sun's radius... You can find that out by going twice the perimeter of the bottom of the granite coffer times 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The Earth's polar radius. The sacred cubit times 10 by 7 equals the polar radius of the Earth, which is the distance from the North Pole to Earth's center. I mean, how do you figure this stuff out and build it into this? You have to have satellites, you have to be orbiting from space, you have to have scanners, you have to have the capability of having advanced technology that can figure out all this information so that you can actually then take it and program it into the pyramid. Uh, you have also the um, uh, Earth's polar radius. The pyramid embodies a scale ratio of 1 by 432. Now the pyramid, a lot of people know this, is incredible because it is a 1 by 432 scale of the Earth. This is now well known. That's actually taught in school. And it resonates at 432 hertz, which is why a lot of the songs that I put out are automatically, I program them or I put the frequency to 432, or I tune it to 432 hertz, which is a nice resonant frequency, which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. This is amazing stuff, that the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi, they knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these um, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the royal cubit as it relates to Earth. The size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in. The mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain an orbit is programmed into the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to, what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? So you want to know where to invest $1,000 right now? Well, forget about stocks, real estate, or cryptocurrency. 
There is a little known trend taking America by storm right now called digital. The true secret, what the true agenda is. The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know. Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the second uh, pyramid war, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet, and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here and stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times the speed of sound to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not, uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. You'll be brought back down by gravity. Okay? So if your plane is traveling at 400 miles an hour and you're going straight up, you can't go into space. If you're in an airplane that's traveling 500 miles an hour and you're going straight up, your plane will lose velocity and you will then be brought back. Okay? Uh, that's just general physics. You have to be in a vessel traveling 33 times the speed of sound. You know, that's the whole mystery and secret behind space travel. If you look at the, um, the launch pad at, uh, in Florida, at the Space Coast, it's launch pad number 33, and there's only one launch pad, by the way. The escape velocity from Earth to obtain an escape from the combined Earth and Sun gravitational field is also programmed. The significance of the location of the Great Pyramid, uh, now, that would be something incredible. The Great Pyramid is located at the direct center of the landmass of the planet Earth. Not the center of the Earth, the center of the land mass. Now, let me give you a little hint on that. To, in order to obtain the center of land mass for a planet or a moon, you can't orbit with a satellite around the equator. Most satellites go around a planet like this, right? You have to do something we just were able to do in the 1990s. You have to create a North Pole orbit. So your satellite has to orbit this way, which we just learned how to do about 20 years ago. So as the satellite's orbiting the planet or the moon this way, and that planet or moon is spinning on its axis, the satellite is now taking scans, swaths of scans or images. And then at the end of the rotation of that planet or, or spatial body on its axis, those images are stitched together, and now you have a complete image, a map, a topography of that entire moon or that planet. That's how you have to do it. So for these ancient civilizations to be able to program, the, program that into the Great Pyramid, they would have had to have technology that was on that same exact level or higher. They would have had to have been in space with a North Pole orbiting satellite that had the capability of scanning for uh, topography. And then they would have to stitch that image together, put it into a computer, and come up with the total calculation of all the landmass, and then say, okay, now computer, tell me which location is the center of this landmass, and I'm going to put my massive Great Pyramid right on that exact spot. Okay? This is why we can't replicate and duplicate these great feats of the ancients, because we don't, we're just not getting to it. We're just starting to walk technologically. They had this stuff way back then. Uh, you know, so that's why I laugh when mainstream uh, media tries to say this stuff is just, you know, coincidences and stuff like that. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, everything happens for a specific reason. Uh, so, you have that. Um, the mean distance to the sun and the circumference of the Earth, circumference of the Earth's orbit, <clears throat> the neutral points of uh, gravity between the Earth and the sun. Between the Earth and the sun, there's something called X points. 
These X points were just discovered about maybe eight to ten years ago. And these X points are actual portals. Well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X points. X points open and close all around the planet Earth on a daily basis. They are portals that open up direct passages not only to the sun but even to other planets in our solar system. These portals are there, they've been verified, and um, they're real, and they're called X-points. But this is already programmed into the Great Pyramid. Probably how they found the X-points was by studying an ancient, ancient, ancient Egyptian uh, uh, buildings uh, and pyramids. Uh, so you have that, you have um, the uh, metonic 19-year cycle of the Moon-Earth orbit, the language point, or L1, between Earth and the Moon, I'm sorry, the Lagrange point between the Earth and the Moon. You have the speed of light, built into the Great Pyramid. If you look at the longitude of the Grand Gallery in meters per second, you have the exact digits of the speed of light in meters per second. Now people say, oh, we just discovered meters like in the 1960s. No, no. That's what everybody will tell you. Oh, this, you know, this Asian guy you found out, no. Listen, if you go into Sumerian tablets and study Sumerians, you discover that they discovered proto-Sumerian writing etched in stone and bowls in South America, in, in uh, Mexico. Okay, and this is instead of on Wikipedia page. I'm not the Wikipedia is the most trusted source, but it's in it's in museums. This is well documented. They had the metric system all the way back then. They were using it all the way back then, six to eight thousand years ago. Well documented, Proto-Sumerian writing in Mesoamerica using uh, meters per second. We didn't discover meters per second with the meter, the metric system. We just rediscovered it, or maybe the gentleman came across this Proto-Sumerian information and uh, figured it all out, you know, and made it popular again. But that's the truth. The truth is the metric system already exists. So when you talk to somebody about the speed of light, the first thing you're going to say if they know a little bit about metrics, is they're going to tell you, oh, we just, the metric system didn't exist back then. It's new. Well, no, not really. You can tell them, and you can Google it, and you can show them. There's museums, there's history about it, there's articles and blogs about it. Proto-Sumerian. Proto-Sumerian. What is Sumerian text doing in Mexico and South America? Because the Atlanteans were a galactic and also a planetary civilization. When people say, where is Atlantis? Where is Atlantis? Where did it sit? Okay, well, Where's times left? 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The building, the structure is built. The tropical gear could be calculated. The length of the anti-chamber uh, used for the diameter of the circle produces a circumference of 365. The tropical gear could be calculated. The ratio of the length of the Grand Gallery to the solid diagonal of the King's Chamber times 100 equals the number of days in a tropical year. Okay? That's accurate with the digits. The sidereal year, the length of the antechamber of the King's Chamber times pi equals the length of the sidereal year in pyramid inches. I mean, again, these are not just accidental coincidences. The mean distance to the sun Half the length of the diagonal of the base times 10, uh, 6 squared, average, equals the average distance to the sun. The mean distance to the sun, the height of the pyramid times 10 by 9, represents the mean radius of the Earth's orbit around the sun, or the AU, which is an astronomical unit, uh, in current inches, you can see it there. But this is really amazing because now we're talking about, an astronomical unit is the distance from, the distance from Earth to the sun, but now you can also multiply that by planet. So... If you take that distance, which you know that now set number, and then you go, okay, well, how far away is Mars from the sun? 
if you can put that exact business in over like a ruler over and over again, you get several of those. And now you can say, okay, well, Mars is 4 AU from the sun, for example. So it's like a measuring stick. So they knew the distance from the Earth to the sun and were able to use it as a measuring stick. And we now just start doing that in modern science and natural physics. The sun's radius, you can find that out by going twice the perimeter of the bottom of the granite copper times 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The Earth's polar radius, the sacred cubic times 10 by 7 equals the polar radius of the Earth, which is the distance from the North Pole to Earth's center. <laughs> How do you figure this stuff out and build it into this? You have to have satellites, you have to be orbiting from space, you have to have scanners, you have to have the capability of having advanced technology that can figure out all this information so that you can actually then take it and program it into the pyramid. Uh, you have also the um, uh, Earth's polar radius. The pyramid embodies a scale ratio of 1 by 432. Now, the pyramid, a lot of people don't know this, is incredible because it is a 1 by 432 scale of the Earth. This is now well known. That's actually taught in school. And it resonates at 432 hertz, which is why a lot of the songs that I put out are automatically, I program them or I put the frequency to 432, or I tune it to 432 hertz which is a nice resonant frequency, which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. This is amazing stuff. That the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi. They knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these um, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the world cubic as it relates to Earth, the size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in, the mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain its orbit is programmed into the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know? Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the Second uh, Pyramid War, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet, and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here, stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times to see the sound to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. You'll be brought back down by gravity. Okay? So if your plane is traveling at 400 miles an hour and you're going straight up, you can't go into space. If you're in an airplane that's traveling 500 miles an hour and you're going straight up, your plane will lose velocity and you will then be brought back. Okay? Uh, that's just general physics. You have to be in a vessel traveling 33 times the speed of sound. You know, that's the whole mystery and secret behind space travel. If you look at the um, the launch pad at uh, in Florida at the Space Coast, it's launch pad number 33. And there's only one launch pad, by the way. The escape velocity from Earth to obtain an escape 
from the combined Earth and Sun gravitational field is also appropriate. The significance of the location of the Great Pyramid, uh, now that would be something incredible. The, the Great Pyramid is located at the direct center of the landmass of the planet Earth. Not the center of the Earth, the center of the landmass. Now, let me give you a little hint on that. To, in order to obtain the center of landmass for a planet or a moon, you can't orbit with a satellite around the equator. Most satellites go around the planet like this, right? You have to do something we just were able to do in the 1990s. You have to create a North Pole orbit. So your satellite has to orbit this way, which we just learned how to do about 20 years ago. So as the satellite's orbiting the planet or the moon this way, and that planet or moon is spinning on its axis, the satellite is now taking scans, swaths of scans for images. And then at the end of the rotation of that planet or, or spatial body on its axis, those images are stitched together, and now you have a complete image, a map, a topography of that entire moon or that planet. That's how you have to do it. So for these ancient civilizations to be able to program, the, program that into the Great Pyramid, they would have had to have technology that was on that same exact level or higher. They would have had to have been in space with a North Pole orbiting satellite that had the capability of scanning for uh, topography. And then they would have to stitch that image together, put it into a computer, and come up with the total calculation of all the landmass, and then say, okay, now, computer, tell me which location is the center of this landmass, and I'm going to put my massive Great Pyramid right on that exact spot. Okay? This is why we can't replicate and duplicate these great feats of the ages, because we don't, we're just not getting to it. We're just starting to walk technologically. They had this stuff way back then. Uh, you know, so that's why I laugh when mainstream uh, media tries to say that this stuff is just, you know, coincidences and stuff like that. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, everything happens for a specific reason. Uh, so, you heard that, um, the mean distance to the sun and the circumference of the Earth, circumference of the Earth's orbit, <clears throat> the neutral points of uh, gravity between the Earth and the sun. Between the Earth and the sun, there's something called X-points. These X-points were just discovered about maybe eight to ten years ago, and these X-points are actual portals, well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X-points. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this $100,000 check in less than 30 seconds. I know it sounds crazy, but trust me. If you've been injured in a car accident... Well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X-points. X-points open and close all around the planet Earth on a daily basis. They are portals that open up direct passages, not only to the sun, but even to other planets in our solar system. These portals are there, they've been verified, and um, they're real, and they're called X-points. But this is already programmed into the Great Pyramid. Probably how they found the X-points was by studying an ancient, ancient, ancient Egyptian uh, uh, village uh, and pyramids. Uh, so you have that, you have uh, the uh, metonic 19-year cycle of the moon-earth orbit, the language point, or L1, between Earth and the moon, I'm sorry, the Lagrange point between the Earth and the moon, you have the speed of light built into the Great Pyramid. If you look at the longitude of the Grand Gallery in meters per second, you have the exact digits of the speed of light in meters per second. Now, people say, oh, we just discovered meters like in the 1960s. No. No. That's what everybody will tell you. Oh, this, you know, this Asian guy you found out. No. Listen, if you go into Sumerian tablets and study Sumerians, you discover that they discovered proto-Sumerian writing 
etched in stone and bowls in South America, in uh, Mexico. Okay? And this is instead of some Wikipedia page, I'm not the Wikipedia is the most trusted source, but it's in it's in museums. This is well documented. They had the metric system all the way back then. They were using it all the way back then. Six to eight thousand years ago, well documented. Proto-Sumerian writing in Mesoamerica using uh, meters per second. We didn't discover meters per second. We, the, meter, the metric system, we just rediscovered it. Or maybe the gentleman came across this proto-Sumerian information and uh, figured it all out, you know, and made it popular again. But that's the truth. The truth is the metric system already exists. So when you talk to somebody about the speed of light, the first thing you're going to say if they know a little bit about metrics is they're going to tell you, oh, we just the metric system didn't exist back then. It's new. Well, no, not really. You can tell them, and you can Google it, and you can show them. There's museums, there's history about it, there's articles and blogs about it. Proto-Sumerian. Proto-Sumerian. What is Sumerian text doing in Mexico and South America? Because the Atlanteans were a galactic and also a planetary civilization. When people say, where is Atlantis? Where is Atlantis? Where did it sink? Mm, we're standing on Atlantis. What sunk or what disappeared, that ring city that Plato talked about, that was just one of the capitals on this planet, just one of many capitals on this planet. He built that city as an abode uh, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean to keep uh, his competitors or his, his uh, warring relatives away because he wanted to have he wanted to have women, human women. I mean, it's just really what it was. He wanted to have some human women. That was really what it came down to. And they were disgusted that he had done that, and they wanted to battle him, and they wanted to destroy his city, all because of that. But that was just one capital. Atlantis was a global civilization and also interplanetary. Global. Every one of us, no matter where we leave here and go, we're all standing on top of Atlantis, no matter where we go. Okay? Um, the orbital velocity of the solar system relative to the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, a lot of people don't know this, but our planet orbits the sun, and our sun orbits the galaxy. It orbits the galactic, uh, the, the mass, supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. So everything is in motion. Everything is in motion. As a matter of fact, our planets actually chase the sun. Uh, it, you know, so they, even though it appears from the diagrams that it's or, everything is orbiting in this like equated, equator type of an orbit, as the sun moves, our planets are chasing it and orbiting this way. It's a totally different way of looking at it. But, and it creates, ironically, creates the same form of, of DNA uh, if you look at the light trail. But that's the way everything orbits. But, but uh, it's really interesting that our sun is in motion, uh, which means everything is in constant motion, which is, which is just really incredible. We're not completely uh, in a standstill state. Everything is in motion. The velocity of the local group of galaxies, which includes the Milky Way galaxy relative to the universe. So built into the Great Pyramid is the speed that our galaxy is flying through the universe, which we've been able to calculate based off of uh, focusing on Andromeda and other galaxies and figuring out how we're closing in on them and how, how we're moving away from them through redshift. Through redshift is a very easy way to calculate. Redshift is, a, redshift is created when you're moving away from an object. You, the, 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 the color of the red then determines the speed. This is now well known. That's actually called like school. And it resonates at 432 hertz. Which is why a lot of the songs that I put out are automatically I program them or I put the frequency to 432 I tune it to 432 hertz, which is a nice resonant frequency, which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. 
So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. So this is amazing stuff that the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi, they knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these uh, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the royal cubit as it relates to Earth, the size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in, the mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain an orbit is programmed into the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to, what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. Oh, 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know? Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war, that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the Second uh, Pyramid War, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet, and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here and stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times the speed of sound to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not, uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. Hey there, good morning. Just listen to Billy Carson, Children of the Garden of Eden, and Sumerian masquerading gods. Let's see what else. Billy Carson, the forces that divide the compass community. Hmm. These are those rhombohedron crystals in your pineal gland. When those crystals become electrically activated, all of a sudden they start calling energy back to them and they begin to build their own electromagnetic field. We're seeing common people around the world becoming supernatural when they follow this formula. They're healing themselves, they're creating new jobs, new opportunities, and they're having mystical experiences. Billy Carson talks to the awakening. Billy Carson, um, welcome to Contacting the Desert 2019. Um, I think before we start talking about anything else, you, you've got it on your knee. Mm -hmm. um, it's your brand new book, Emerald Tablets, amazing front cover. Tell us a little bit about the book. The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets is a book that I took information from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, the Atlantean, uh, and which were written about 36,000 years ago. And I broke down the esoteric wisdom, the knowledge, the information, the quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and some of the ancient technology being talked about in the ancient past and how it's being used today and how we're just now rediscovering this information. And I, I put it all into this book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. And uh, a lot of people are really excited about the book. I even have uh, high school teachers and even college professors telling me that they're using this information in their, in their college and their schools. Just explain, so if you can show the book again, mm -hmm. the, the image, 
on the front. Can you just, what is that image? This is the image of Thoth the Atlantean himself. Uh, Thoth the Atlantean, who was also an Anunnaki god in ancient times, was always depicted with the head of an ibis bird. And if you look at an ibis bird, there's, there's a lot of them obviously in the um, Middle East, in, in Egypt as well, in Africa. They have to put their beaks deep into the mud to come up with their sustenance. So what this is an archetype of is saying that Thoth the Atlantean, who brought a lot of knowledge and wisdom to mankind, had to go into the darkness to bring darkness to light. So that's why he's always depicted with the head of an ibis bird. It's not that he really had a bird head or that he was a bird man. It's just an uh, archetype of uh, depicting his wisdom and knowledge that he would go into dark areas. He always talks about going to civilizations that had fallen and bringing them back to a high level. That was one of his specialties that he did, not only on Earth, but also on other planets as well. I truly do believe that the origins of humanoids and mankind are not directly from Earth. Uh, I, I believe that now, based off of my research, it appears that this planet was visited by beings from other planets in the distant past. Not just one planet, but multiple different planets and different star systems that came to this planet to mine it for resources, to do investigation in their own research, uh, as, as well as seed this planet with life. And I believe that we had a cousin on this planet that was seeded here in ancient times, deep, deep antiquity, uh, and then was later genetically modified by another race that came here about 450,000 years ago, known as the Anunnaki, the people who started the Atlantean civilizations on this planet. So, would you say we're still uh, in contact with these beings, or have they left the planet and we're just here to defend for ourselves now? I truly do believe that there's a small faction of these beings that had remained on this planet after the last pyramid war. Uh, and their bloodline is still here till this very day, ruling and overseeing the 7.5 billion people on this planet. I believe that those bloodlines are directly related to the 13 families that are now currently controlling this planet. Everybody in this community who's putting out this kind of content is really struggling. Mm -hmm. What's the purpose behind the, the censorship? Is this, this bloodline maybe controlling this manipulation? Well, you know, there's uh, only a few corporations that control all the world's media. And unfortunately, social media has now been taken over by a lot of these major corporations. They kind of oversee everything in terms of the content being put out. And since they can't just completely cut it and stop it, what they've done is they've now found a way to censor it by saying it's fake news, by deleting posts and content, saying it goes against community standards, uh, or saying it's a threat to the community. I've had that too. I put a post up about empathy. They deleted it saying it was a threat to the community. I'm like, a post about empathy? But if somebody's half naked, dancing, and or fighting, that's allowed to stay up. Or if, if, if there's a, you know, a shooting, that's allowed to stay up. But anything dealing with knowledge, wisdom, understanding, uh, it seems to be kind of suppressed in a way. And so between all of what I've done to overcome this, I've created multiple accounts. And between all of my accounts, I have over 3 million followers now. And so I just found a way to find little niches where I can tap into certain aspects of, of different types of uh, enlightening information and push those out there and even though it may be suppressed in some ways overall i still get to put my information out to the masses i think that conquer and divide has been implemented into the conscious community to help break it apart and fractalize it uh, i believe that the powers that be have found a way to infiltrate and become some of these quote-unquote conscious accounts or start some of these conscious accounts acquire a mass of followers 10 15 000, some even two three hundred thousand i believe and then once they acquire these followers with content that really seems to be on track with the mission, then they go on this hate rant where they now convert these followers into disciples in a way 
and they go and start hating on other big accounts and attacking them, uh, digging up information, falsifying information, whatever it takes to try to bring some of the bigger accounts down. And then their disciples, the people who had been following them till they got pretty big, now almost believe everything they say. It's almost as if like they're, they're, they're the leader now. And then so they begin to then go as well and attack and, and try to uh, dox people and try to uh, defame or add defamation of character to people. They don't, they don't even know. They've never done any research on any of these people. They don't know what the documents, real documents are fake. They have no, they're just going by what somebody else has said. So some of these accounts really have literally started their own social media accounts. These, these conquer and divide mainstream people, whether it's the CIA, whether it's the government, whether it's who knows who exactly it is. But it's outside sources that have infiltrated with that grown accounts organically and then now have turned those accounts into enemy accounts of the conscious community. You guys, my girlfriends have been freaking out over this. I saw a urologist talk about this on the news and men that tried it are reporting how quickly they were able to. So the conscious community. I was really surprised. On a, that's the first time I've seen someone go at you, and yeah. it wasn't—it wasn't a major thing. But she just right. put this stupid comment out there with <laughs> yeah. no research to it. Mm -hmm. uh, some speakers, I don't think, help themselves, mm -hmm. but that's—that's that's their path. That's the way they want to go about it. And I was really surprised yeah. because you are not in that world of the conflict and the infighting. No. There's a few speakers, and you're one of them. That yeah. you're on the outside, and you're here to do what you want to do with exactly. your work. So I was really shocked. Uh, and it kind of like really brought it home. Do you think this is a reflection of the society and the world as well at the moment being played out within social media? Yeah, uh, it is. I do. I think that, um, you know, we're, we are moving progressively towards a positive track consciously. But along the way, we're going to hit bumps in the road. Um, we're going to, um, you know, we're trying to learn how to, we're literally crawling. We're trying to learn how to walk. And in that, when a baby's trying to learn how to walk, it falls down a few times. And this is the stage that we're in right now. Okay. Um, do you think the censorship is here to stay with social media? How do you think we can get past it at some point? I think we can get past the censorship with social media uh, at some point due to the fact that enough people becoming conscious will start to work at some of these big corporations that are running these social media accounts, and they're the ones who are pressing the magic buttons behind the scenes. So the goal is to get conscious people in government, conscious people in these big corporations that run and control social media, conscious people in the news, conscious people in, in technology. And those people then will be able to help and assist us with our mission. What's the top three ancient sites that you believe show real evidence that we are not alone? The top three, number one, would have to be the Giza Plateau. I've been to the Giza Plateau. I've been to the pyramids there. I've been inside the pyramid, underneath the pyramid. I've been everywhere you could think of. I've been the Grand Gallery. Uh, it just spews of advanced technology. The Giza Plateau is a multifunctional uh, stone computer platform that is a computer um, uh, a computer that generates all in information about our solar system and the inner planets. If you look at the Giza Plateau from up uh, from space looking down and then look at the um, astronomical map of NASA that shows the inner planets, I'm talking about Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars orbiting around the Sun, if you take that actual diagram from NASA and overlay it over the Giza Plateau where the temples and the structures line up, you get an exact match to NASA's star map down to the AU. That's incredible. Okay, think about that for a second. Then also you have the fact that the, uh, the Great Pyramid was built over a reservoir, and I do, truly do believe it was a, a massive power, generation, power generator in ancient times and generated wireless electricity, which Nikola Tesla kind of rediscovered. Uh, I've also, when I've gone there, I've seen... Uh, uh, 
machine markings or machine etchings inside of some of these stones and some of these statues that kind of give a clue that there was some type of machining going on back then to create some of these um, massive blocks and so forth. So it's really amazing. So Giza Plateau, I would say. Another one I would have to say would be Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu is, is unbelievable. When I, you know, I've been there uh, from the top to the bottom and the entire area, which spans thousands and thousands of acres, appears to be completely terraformed. There's a gigantic mountain that's made in the shape of a face looking up into the sky. And to terraform that mountain like that, you have to have event. I mean, you're not going to do that with just chisels and bones. To terraform a mountain into a face, you have to have advanced technology. It, or it would take so many generations to do something like that, and so much work, and there's no ejector material or leftover material at the base of the mountain saying that this is where you know, the material fell. Even that's cleaned away. So somehow something took away all that material. We're talking about millions of tons of stone taken away. Uh, then you have the structures up there itself. And uh, according to a lot of the ancients, even the, the homegrown archaeologist that was with me on site said that this was an ancient airport for the gods. This is where they would land and they would stay up here away from the people. They have temples up there. The stonework is still showing. You can't put a human hair in between them. There's no mortar in between the bricks and the stone. It's just an amazing place. So I would say Machu Picchu is, is another one. And then another one that I've been to uh, is Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Amazing place. Again, you can't put a human hair in between the stone blocks there. 500 hectares of land, uh, over 20 uh, temples in the area, all built in ancient times, Angkor Wat being to me the most prominent and the best one. Uh, and the, according to the, the locals, that temple, that massive stone temple was poured into place in a day and a night. It, it, amazing. I mean, so what they're saying is somehow this temple was built in two days using some type of advanced technology that we don't currently know of or exist today. We are approaching the 50th anniversary of the uh, Apollo 11 moon landing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't imagine you was, um, watching it live. I don't think you're that old. <laughs> um, what's your take of the whole Apollo 11 moon landing, um, the conspiracy behind mm -hmm. it that, you know, it was all fate? Mm -hmm. what, what's your own beliefs on the, the moon landing? I actually did a very huge article on my blog on ForbiddenKnowledge.com, uh, and uh, the blog is went viral because I really exposed the fact that yes we went to the moon but also yes we lied about it. I did a very good job with a lot of the science and showing a lot of diagrams in there as well so people who are visual learners can understand exactly what happened. First and foremost we sent uh, uh, satellites up to the moon before we sent people there uh, and we took accurate scans high and low orbit lunar uh, uh, scans of the moon and we came back knowing that there were actually things up there that are anomalies that don't belong. That is what really fueled the mission for all these governments to try to get to the moon. Between us and Russia, we're the top leaders in this whole uh, um, you know, fight to get to the moon first. When we got there, um, the first thing that we did was we did two things. One, we kind of filmed exactly what we needed to film and went and acquired the, uh, the, the I think, ancient technology that we wanted to bring back. At the same time, the flight path took into consideration the Van Allen radiation belts, and they actually went through a path directly through the belt and was able to get to the moon completely unscathed by the radiation belt. The radiation belt is a hoax. The next thing you see online is you see all the time the Apollo 11 suits, and you see a very smooth boot at the bottom of the suit, and, and then you see a boot print next to that, and they go, how do we get a boot print on the moon if there's no boot print on the bottom of the actual spacesuit? Well, the spacesuits are actually a onesie, and uh, the, the, base, the, the base of the boot is a slip-on that attaches with these Velcro straps. 
You don't walk around with 10-pound boots inside of a, a Apollo uh, capsule on your way to the moon. It takes three days to get there. What you do is you, you have this onesie outfit on that has a very smooth bottom. And when you get ready to do your moonwalk is when you slip on these boots. And I demonstrate this on the blog, and I actually have pictures of the actual moon boots. What happens is the hoaxers have actually cropped out the, the slip-on part and you know to, perpetu to perpetuate their, their agenda of the moon landing being fake when it's actually a real thing that really did happen. Uh, so the moon landing happened. The, the radiation belt is a hoax. The fact that we can't get through it, I should say, is a hoax. The boots that are not there are a hoax. The boots are really actually there. The boots are in the photos. I've actually seen the boots in person. Uh, and, um, and, and we've gone there basically to kept it, kept it a secret. We've gone there to acquire information about an ancient civilization, which I believe is linked to Atlantis. I believe they were interplanetary. Uh, and uh, we've acquired that information, that technology, whatever was left behind, to analyze it for themselves on a high level before letting the general population know. They don't want the general population to know more than them or a, the same as them because knowledge is actually power. So do you believe the whole secret space program has been happening for a long time? Oh, the secret space program goes back to the 1930s. I truly believe, uh, I'm going all the way back to now Hitler's era now, uh, you know, where he went around the world looking for all these ancient documents and ancient scriptures and going to Tibet and going to Antarctica and coming up with all this ancient information to build these Hanabu craft. And then us as America then acquired all of those scientists from Project Paperclip from Germany, brought them to America, utilized in the same information that they learned from all these ancient texts and tablets to develop technology for America. That's when a secret space program literally started for us. Can you summarize what's going on for newly awakened people that think, sure. what, what is going on? Well, I'll start with my experience personally, which yeah. is why I decided to come here because... What you're seeing behind me is the Mind Valley office. This was an Inc. magazine. It's one of the top 10 most gorgeous offices in the world. But I want to show you because this is in a kind of an experiencing thing too. A lot of people here have had some. Uh, and basically what happened was when I was a youth, uh, about seven years old, I actually saw a UFO in my backyard, even though I didn't know the name UFO, the title of flying stars or aliens, because we're talking about the 1970s. But uh, I knew that what I saw wasn't an airplane. We live by an airport. So if an airport's there and I see this, this is not an airplane. I started researching from encyclopedias back then when we didn't have Google <laughs> and looking up all the different aerospace technology until I came across uh, you know, the space program. So then I got into the Mercury missions, Apollo missions and everything, and I still couldn't find what I saw. So that led me on the path of discovery, trying to figure out what it was that I saw. So that's how I started learning about aerospace, high technology, secret projects, secret space programs. Literally from back then is when I started researching. Yeah. So it took me decades of time to get to the level of making a lot of contacts on the way to get to the point where I am now, understanding that there is not only uh, UFOs that we ourselves have created, but it's most likely reverse alien uh, reproduction from more advanced craft that we might have either either forced down or that have been discovered from ancient times and we try to re reconstruct them. Uh, but there are two. I, th I believe there's one that's an alien presence that might be terrestrial or extraterrestrial, nobody can really say, and one that most likely is uh, our own that we've built. And probably the majority of the ones we see in the sky that we say are UFOs are probably IFOs, identified flying objects. In other words, we created them. It's just that the general population doesn't know that they're actually ours. Mm. Uh, one thing I've said, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the new wave, just like you most mm -hmm. probably here, and consciousness is definitely the yeah. key for us guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we love the, the bolts, the facts, the figures, the yeah. Roswell crash, right. things like that, but it's moved on so much, hasn't it? It's, yes. What's your take on the whole conscious, consciousness movement within in ufology? Well, I think that we have two groups really watching us here on this planet. One group that probably is more sinister, and another group that is probably uh, really looking for us to grow up. And I think that um, once human beings get to a point consciously where we grow up 
and we begin to see each other as equals and we begin to treat each other with respect, dignity, love, ultimately love all together because unconditional love is really what can control the frequency on this planet, that those, uh, that particular group will step in and maybe give some assistance. But I think we're not even a type zero civilization yet and that we're still running around here unfortunately. I know people may want to, not want to hear this, but we're still killing animals and torturing other living beings. But when we get to the point where we extend empathy to the small of, smallest of, of, of beings, whether it's even an ant, we can work our way up to, to, to extending that same love to humans and see each other, each other as one, then I truly believe that these, the good group will step in and maybe show themselves a little bit more and start enhancing and helping us break free. I think they really want to see us grow up to a point where we can not only love ourselves, but then also break free of this 100 families that's running 7.5 billion people on this planet. Uh, I really think that they're waiting for us to get to that point. One day, okay, they're crawling now, let's, inter you know, let's interject and help them out a little bit. But I think until we can get to that point, we're just gonna be observed. Yeah. Um, you're awesome with social media, which Thank is you. so important because I know you, you follow just got kind of a, an old vibe to it. Still got that attachment of little green men in space. That's what a lot of the yeah. non-believes, if you like, believe. Mm -hmm. And you know, the way forward for, for the whole community is definitely social media because yeah. that's where the, the youth is. Yeah. What kind of channels are you running? So people watching this now thinking, oh. yeah, I dig this guy. Yeah, I like what yeah. he's saying. What? We can't read them all out because we haven't got time. I know. Well, it's real easy. Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. Forbidden Knowledge. Use the number four, B-I-D-D-E-N. Forbidden yeah. Knowledge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, you know, anywhere. Just type it in. Even on iTunes. Yeah. I've got music out there. Conscious music that talks about UFOs and alien interactions and Anunnaki and everything else. Uh, and also some instrumentals too. So let people get into transcendental states and meditation, 432 hertz, 528 hertz. So just type in Forbidden Knowledge with Billy Carson mm -hmm. anywhere, even on YouTube, get all my instructional videos, on my video. I've been in hundreds of videos on YouTube, mm -hmm. many talk shows, and also uh, many uh, iTunes and uh, podcasts. Yeah, see, this is about ufology, so much intelligence. It's an intelligent community, it's yeah. a smart community. Yeah. You're a serious businessman, you know, you've yes, got a heavy career in the sports <laughs> industry, man. Yeah. So. People are probably watching this thinking, wow, is this the Billy Carson we've heard of on sports talking about UFOs? Yeah. Does it affect your work in that environment? It's kind of strange, yeah, because like even with my son, um, he was telling me that uh, some of his teammates, because I had coached his team for an AAU tournament, uh, Junior Olympics, uh, one year recently, and he said they were like, they found me online and they said, wait a minute, your dad's into UFOs and aliens. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm thinking. You know, so it's, uh, he was a little uncomfortable. Where I can understand that, you know, but when pe a lot of people that I've dealt with in the past didn't really know and even how long I've been into this stuff, because I kind of, you know, yeah. you have to know how to be politically correct at certain times, and that's how I know how to do. I don't want to scare parents away from our projects and programs, going to US, Team USA and going to AAU programs. So I, I pick and choose where I drop seeds or whatever. But a lot of people now that have really come all the way out, that I'm really done with the basketball and stuff like that, and really come out and let people know the knowledge that I have and, mm -hmm. and, and research, a lot of people are really stunned, shocked. Some are really astonished. Uh, I've heard all kinds of statements like, I didn't know you were that smart or you're crazy you know, from, from both ends <laughs> yeah. you know, of the spectrum. But the people who think I'm even crazy are still following and listening. So I'm still dropping seeds. So that's good. So um, we'll, we'll wrap it up quickly because I know you've got to go and get your flight. Um, loads of researchers, loads of speakers here. Mm -hmm. Is there one particular speaker out of everybody there that you keep your eyes on and yeah, you like what they're doing? Man, everybody's so phenomenal, and I've yeah. learned so much from everybody, from Eric Von Daniken, who the I Godfather. got to meet yesterday. He was propping the bar up last night, the Godfather. Yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to him yesterday. Phenomenal guy. I've been in shows with Eric Von Daniken on Gaia, yeah. uh, but I finally had a chance to really, you know, talk. Yeah. You're in the green room, out the green room. It's tough. But I would say um, Robert Schock, um, as far as still a trendsetter here, I, you know, I really like Robert Schock a lot.
but he's a guy that I really admire just because you know he was with John Anthony West a lot, and he had made that great strong friendship, and they really pioneered a lot of stuff that had led me to my own uh, understanding and awakening about the, the Emerald Tablets and how they can correlate to some of the scientific data they kind of have come up with as well. Um, so it was phenomenal, and of course they did the tribute to uh, John Anthony West here, and Robert Schock gave the tribute, which I thought was phenomenal. So I was really impressed. Hi, uh, I'm Grace. I'm a tour guide here in Trinity. Uh, we're standing outside the museum building, one of the most beautiful buildings on campus. It's no. Politics AF. Ancient magic. Um. One day go, Vesica Pisces in 3D reality exploring ancient secrets okay. and sacred geometry. <laughs> guys for a bit of knowledge here. I want to talk to you real quick about the Vesica Pisces and the womb of creation. A circle actually has two points, point A and point B. These two single points are actually clones of one another and those two points have equal potential because point A can rotate around point B and point B can rotate around point A. This is one radius that both circles share. The black form in the middle is called the Vesica Pisces. You are literally looking at the womb of the universe. Every single thing that exists emanates from the Vesica Pisces. I mean all. All of the vibratory frequencies that create a material world actually emanate from this womb. The energy from the matrix is feminine by nature. The ancients called it the Sophia energy. They already knew the universal energy was actually feminine. You have male and you have female. You have uh, masculine and you have feminine. You need both to exist. You need both to propagate this third dimensional reality. But all life in this third dimension emanates from this womb of creation, this energetic form that's inside of the flower of life. The ancients knew about it tens of thousands of years ago. If I show you a picture that I have here when I visited the Temple of Osiris uh, back in 2014, etched into the actual stone pillar atomically etched into it is the flower of life.
Okay, and that's amazing. I'm actually going to go up to it real quick uh, because I, I really want you to see this. It's really an amazing thing. Okay, here's the Temple of Osiris, by the way, on the way down. It's right next to the Temple of Abydos. Okay, now if you haven't gone to, anybody here been to the Temple of Abydos? Oh my goodness, you got to go. Because you won't believe it until you see with your own eyes. The hieroglyphs that have airplanes, tanks, submarines, and helicopters in them, about 100 meters above your head, etched into stone directly above you. And the mainstream told the Egyptologists, um, all of them, not just the one I was with, that the story we're supposed to give to the general population is that these were re-etched and they looked like that by accident. <laughs> and people took that and ran with it because the news said so. But when you talk to the homegrown Egyptologists and researchers and, and guys from the area, they will tell you that we're told to say this, but the truth is these have never been touched and our people can't figure out how they got there, and they've never been resurfaced or retouched. Nobody's ever put a ladder to go way up there and etched and re-etched these uh, these glyphs. This is just the way they've been since the beginning. They, they have never been touched. But this symbol here of the Flower of Life at the Temple of Osiris, or the Assyrian Temple, uh, which is the, the green gentleman that I showed you yesterday, the green Egyptian. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this $100,000 check in less than 30 seconds. I know it sounds crazy, but trust me, if you've been injured in a car accident, I'm about to turn your world upside down. So I was in a car accident a few months ago. My car was totaled, and I ended up injuring my arm. I was in a bad situation, I missed work, and to make things worse, the small check the insurance offered me wasn't enough to buy a replacement car in this market. Luckily, I was scrolling on my phone late at night and came across a video just like this. So we've all heard of AI before. It's smarter and better than you. Green gentleman that I showed you yesterday, the green Egyptian, or chromatic man, or the Anunnaki Atlantic, if you want to call him that. This is atomically etched into this stone, which allows it to stay there permanently unless the stone is broken. In other words, it's, it's been put on the stone in a way that affects the atomic structure. And scientists from over the world have been researching this to figure out how in the world did they do this. This is not just chiseled into the stone. It's done through a specific type of energy field that creates this, Im this imprint directly on the stone. Kind of similar to the Shroud of Turin uh, type of a situation where you have the light that had to pass through that shroud to create the image on the shroud. Well, this is amazing because this is depicting here some form of energy that allowed this thing to be imprinted into stone that we still don't know how it happened today with our technology. When you go there, you're going to begin to see temples that are at your level in other words, on the topography at your level that you're at. And then you're going to start realizing that there's temples below those. And then below those are even more temples. The Assyrian is lower than the Temple of Abydos because it was built, they built Abydos on top of it. And they built civilization on top of civilization that way, especially if they claimed it to be a holy site or a site where the gods dwelled. So they would definitely feel like they would put a temple on top of it to maintain that, that, that same purity, that same energy, that same worship to that deity or entity by building a temple directly on top of it. And what the Spaniards kind of do to mimic that exact same, that exact same mindset, uh, when they went to uh, Mexico, to Teotihuacan, they, if you look at Mexico City, there's hundreds of hills in Mexico City. Each one of those hills is a pyramid. Every single one. Look it up, every single one. I've been there many times. What they've done is 
they build on top of the pyramid. They blow off the top and they build a church on top, unfortunately, what the Spaniards did. But using the same ideology, they took something that was considered holy to another people, blew off the top and put a church on top of it. So everywhere you see a Catholic church in, in Mexico City, directly underneath is a pyramid. Same thing the Egyptians did. They went to these temples and so forth and built directly on top of them. And I mean super megalithic structures on top of And you can go anywhere in the world and you're going to find the same exact thing. You're down in the Yucatan Peninsula at Chichen Itza. You start to see they've been digging alongside of these other pyramids and discovering other temples and pyramids buried deep beneath the earth there. In Peru, the same thing. No matter where you go, they just keep building on top, more megalithic on top. Even in Baalbek, the super massive stones of Baalbek, they weigh hundreds of thousands of tons. Underneath are more uh, bigger stones that were, you were put there even before that. The temple of uh, all those Greek temples uh, of uh, you know of uh, Apollo and all of that. They're all built on ancient Anunnaki temples. All of them. Every single one is built on top of an ancient Anunnaki temple from over hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's how they claim those sites to be ancient. And also harness the power of those locations. Because they knew that these gods that they were worshipping put these temples on highly magnetic spots, nodes on the earth. So instead of trying to figure out where to go, elsewhere to go to do this or duplicate this, they just built directly on top of what's already there to harness those energies. Okay. Let me go back up, and then we'll start from there. Because I really wanted to get back into the meter, but there's just so many, so many topics. There's so much information, and you may say, "Well, is he, are these Egyptians? Yes, these are Egyptians. They would teach this to the initiate. Everything I'm telling you has been taught to initiates. They had to understand the manipulation and how to manipulate, what's been manipulated, what the true history of their people were, what the true ancient past was. That's the only way to get to the next level to understand what's coming after." to be able to grasp the, the, the future knowledge. It was all based off of that. Some people tend to think it's like you're walking into a place and it's got people humming and, you know, smoke is coming up from sage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can do it like that if you want, but you, know, you can just give people real solid information that they can learn from. Um, not that I don't like to take, you know, rob you of any of the mysticism of things, but I like to give people direct information and direct knowledge and let them discern it and take it and be able to digest it and walk away with something that they can say, I learned something here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Zeptepi, where the Neturu came to Earth. The Neturu are these ancient Atlanteans or these Anunnaki. Atlanteans and Anunnaki are really the same people. Okay, So Anunnaki, Anu, was the king or the ruler of the these beings that came from specific planets close to this star system. Um, some say Nibiru, which is mentioned in the Enuma Elish. Some think it came, they came from Sirius A, B, and C. Some think they came from the Orion. I think they came from all three. Okay? All three. Now, the initial uh, ones that came, I think they came down from Nibiru. This Nibiru planet that's mentioned in the Enuma Elish in seven times of creation, which date back about seven to 8,000 years, and were decided way back in the 16 and 1700s. Okay? Um, but this is, uh, so they got that name because Key was Earth to them. Key was Earth. And I knew it was the king, so Anunnaki. It's a generalized term for beings coming to Earth. Not beings coming to other planets. Only if they're coming to Earth, they're Anunnaki. Now, the civilization was the Atlantean civilization. Okay, that was the name of the civilization, the Atlantean civilization. And a lot of records about it have been left behind. The original founders of Kem, uh, now named Egypt. Now, Kem, like I told you before yesterday, if you forgot, is the black land. It's the land of the original home of the, uh, look like a butterfly coming down. It's the, the original home, or the, 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 the kickstarter, the re-kickstarter of civilization after the Great Flood was the land of Cam. If you remember the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, 
Those said his dad sent him to the land of Cam to bring back civilization to a high level. So that means prior to that flood, they were already at a high level, and then they were then brought back to a high level through the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding and architecture of Thoth. But uh, you know, so that's really important to understand and know. Originally, you know, originally the land of Kim was only black people. That's just a fact, a well-documented fact. Those people were called the Dogon tribe, okay? The Dogons. That was the original inhabitants of the land of Kim. Now, what happened? How come they're not there? Well, they're still there. They're in Africa. They're now in Mali, Africa. Okay, they're in Mali. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't know is Egypt was overthrown quite a few times. <laughs> seven times that we at least know of. Okay, seven times. Persians, Assyrians, you know, I mean, you, different Arab uh, countries. I mean, you just name it. Um, Greek. Grass-fed butter. This is why you feel weird after eating butter. Grass-fed butter. You go, whoa, grass-fed butter. Greeks. I mean, it's been, when you go to Egypt, like I said, when you go, you will see the uh, etchings into the stone at the temples of the different kings that came from different countries that conquered Egypt. They left their mark, almost like, you know, you go to the bathroom and sign the walls up, and I say, you guys have ever done that. <laughs> but if you ever seen that in the bathroom, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just leave your mark, or you see somebody etch a name into a tree somewhere in the, in the woods, right? They're like, okay, we were here, man. We took this thing over. Boom, boom, boom. Here's our information. And you can see even in their own original writing, whatever that language was, that's how they etched it into the temples and everything else. So it's well documented. It's not a myth. It's not a, you know, a conspiracy theory. Egypt was taken over many, many times. Okay, just so people can know and understand. Uh, when I see pharaohs of different colors, it's because they were different colors. It's just, a, it's, just a, it's just reality. You know, it's just reality. Um, and I have to make that statement because there's some people that want it only to be one way and some people who want it to only be another way. But over many thousands of years, during the dynastic era, it was many races of people. It's just a fact. So we have to grow up and live with that, okay? We can't be, uh, you know, going through all these, um, you know, these, these uh, little things and I, I want it to be this and I want it to be that. It, you, whatever you want it to be, it doesn't matter. What it was is what's true, okay? And I'm telling you what, what it was and what's true is the fact that Egypt started off as a black race. They migrated to Mali, Africa after being defeated or taken over. And throughout the period of all of tens of thousands of years, it changed over hands many times. And sometimes it was black, sometimes it was Caucasian, sometimes it was Arab. It's just the way it is, guys. It's just it's just a fact of life. We have to learn how to grow up and live with that. Um, you know, so it's just everybody has their piece of Egypt, <laughs> okay? Everybody. Um, Right now, it's, you know, mostly Muslims have control of that area. When you go there, you're going to see a lot of Muslim people, you know? You're going to see people dressed in those Muslim clothes, women completely covered, only the eyeballs showing and everything else, you know? But, so they were the original founders of, of, uh, of Kim. Um, now, Zep Tepe, the beginning of time, when the sky gods, I call them aliens, you know, if, you, if, if somebody says you're not from here, the definition is an alien. Right. Does that mean you're a little green man with antenna come out of your head? It means you're an alien. If I go to Egypt, I mean, if I go, yeah, if I go to Egypt, if I go to Europe, if I go anywhere, China, I'm an alien. I'm not from there. If I come to another, go to another planet, I'm an alien. The Mars rover that we sent to Mars, it's, a, it's an alien device. Okay? It's just another fact. 85% of, 85.9% of people in this world, on this planet, worship one religion or another. And in every one of those religions, which I cover in my book, they all say that the God that they're worshiping, or the deities that they're worshiping, claim to not be from Earth. So, 
All these people are worshiping aliens. They don't even know it. <laughs> it's the fact of life. They're all worshiping aliens. And when you say alien, they try to bat you down, but they're worshiping aliens. You know, it's the fact. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not of this world. Alien. Okay? It's just a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. And, you know, I don't know why people don't want to just come to terms with it, but they really struggle with that fact. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so they descended from the stars and flying boats, which are spaceships, and turned mud and water into a new kingdom. When I first moved to Western Florida uh, about 24 years ago, it was all this big Everglades area, which is nothing but swamp. Nothing but swamp. That's all you can see. As far as I can see, was swamp land. And I literally moved into a, a neighborhood there that was just built and watched this entire city get built and come up straight out of the mud. They took these trucks. Uh, and they scooped up all the muck out of these swamps, and then they took that muck, and they took the soil from underneath the muck and used that to create bricks and everything else for the entire city. They used the muck to create foundations for lands and lots and communities right from the same place, and then the areas that they dug out, they turned those into lakes, which they didn't charge you extra for the lake view. <laughs> they know how to print the game really good. They know how to play in the matrix. So what I'm saying is, we're doing the same thing right now. So why wouldn't they do this back then? Okay, this is just standard. It's just, it's just the way that we're set up. The symbol for God is Naturu, which translates into a being that came from the cosmos. This is ancient Egyptian taught information and knowledge. I'm not the only one that knows this. You can find this out as well, okay? So they're saying that these Naturu came from the cosmos. They came from space in flying boats. Now, you've got to remember, these people are coming from a time frame, in other words, the people that are recording this information, where they're using the terminology and words they had in their vocabulary. Okay, they had it in, When I saw the UFO when I was a kid, the word UFO wasn't in my vocabulary. The word flying saucer was not in my vocabulary. The word alien wasn't in my vocabulary at the age of seven. I had no idea what I just saw. I didn't go around saying, I just saw a UFO. I just said, I saw this silver oval thing flying in the sky that was kind of bright in color. That's a long way of saying, you know, UFO. But I didn't have the word. It didn't, that term didn't exist in my mind. It didn't exist in my vocabulary. I didn't learn that until much later, actually. I started looking into aerospace books in the, in, the, in the library trying to figure out what I saw. That's when I started researching, 1977. I started looking up every book on aerospace that I could find. And in none of those books did they even have the word UFO or alien. So that word still eluded me for a very long term, still eluded me for a very long time. During the fable first time, and Zep Tepe, some call it Zep Tepe and some call it Tep Zepi, believe it or not. So it can be reversed around, depending on whose version of the ancient history you're reading, or even sometimes depending on what part of Egypt has recorded information. When God, I call aliens, ruled on earth, the waters of the abyss receded. Again, this is another, the Zep Tepe story is another account of what? A great flood. More evidence that we had a global flood. Um, the primordial darkness was banished and the human biogenic experiment emerged from the light. The Urshu, a category of lesser divinities, which were lower ranked aliens, now let's stop right there. What do you look at the Sumerian tablets? They have the lower ranked Anunnaki called the Ejiji, and the Enuma Elish in the epic of Atrahasis. So it's the same story, just told by a slightly different culture, but the same exact story. A great flood, beings that came from space, and a lower working class level of a being that we're still not from here, Earth. 
This is my dad, Chuck Norris. They say he doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the earth down. What blows people's minds is how my dad is still kicking, punching. What happened, man? Egypt started off as a black race. They migrated to Mali, Africa after being defeated or taken over. And throughout the period of all of tens of thousands of years, it changed over hands many times. And sometimes it was black, sometimes other temples and pyramids buried deep beneath the earth there. In Peru, the same thing. No matter where you go, they just keep building on top, more break up on top. Even in Baalbek, the super massive stones of Baalbek that weigh hundreds of thousands of tons underneath are more uh, bigger stones that were, you know, were put there even before that. The temple of uh, all those Greek temples uh, of, uh, you know, of uh, Apollo and all of that, they're all built on ancient Anunnaki temples. All of them, every single one is built on top of an ancient Anunnaki temple from over hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's how they claim those sites to be ancient and also harness the power of those locations because they knew that these gods that they were worshiping put these temples on highly magnetic spots, nodes on the earth. So instead of trying to figure out where to go, elsewhere to go to do this or duplicate this, they just built directly on top of what's already there to harness those energies. Okay. Well, let me go back up and then we'll start from there. Because I really wanted to get back anyway to the meter, but there's just so many, there's so many topics, there's so much information. And you may say, well, this, are these Egyptians? Yes, these are Egypt. They would teach this to the initiate. Everything I'm telling you has been taught to initiates. They had to understand the manipulation and how to manipulate, what's been manipulated, what the true history of their people were, what the true ancient past was. That's the only way to get to the next level, to understand what's coming after, to be able to grasp the, the, the future knowledge. It was all based off of that. Some people tend to think it's like you're walking into a place and it's got people humming and, you know, smoke is coming up from sage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can do it like that if you want, but you, know, you can just give people real solid information that they can learn from. Um, not that I don't like to take, you know, rob you already of the mysticism of things, but I like to give people direct information and direct knowledge and let them discern it and take it and be able to digest it and walk away with something that they can say, I learned something here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Zeptepi, where the Naturu came to Earth. The Naturu are these ancient Atlanteans or these Anunnaki. Atlanteans and Anunnaki are really the same people. Okay, so Anunnaki, Anu, was the king or the ruler of the these beings that came from specific planets close to this star system. Um, some say Nibiru, which is mentioned in the Enuma Elish. Some think it came, they came from Sirius A, B, and C. Some think they came from the Orion. I think they came from all three. Okay, all three. Now, the initial uh, ones that came, I think they came down from Nibiru. This Nibiru planet that's mentioned in the Enuma Elish and Seven Times of Creation, which date back about seven to 8,000 years and were decided way back in the 16 and 1700s, okay? Um, but this is, uh, so they got that name because King was Earth to them. King was Earth and I knew it was the King, so Anunnaki. It's a generalized term for beings coming to Earth. Not beings coming to other planets, only if they're coming to Earth, they're Anunnaki. Now the civilization was the Atlantean civilization, okay? That was the name of the civilization, the Atlantean civilization. And a lot of records about it had been left behind. The original founders of Kem, uh, now named Egypt, now Kem, like I told you before yesterday, if you forgot, is the black land. It's the land of the original home of the, uh, look like a butterfly coming down. It's the, the original home, or the, 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 the kickstarter, the re-kickstarter re of civilization, 
after the great flood was the land of Cam. If you remember the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, those said his dad sent him to the land of Cam to bring back civilization to a high level. So that means prior to that flood, they were already at a high level. Page doesn't say expired. 
which eventually will happen, you can get two solar generators for the price of one. The first, a truly portable, extremely powerful. So, all these people are worshiping aliens and don't even know it. Just <laughs> the fact of life. They're all worshiping aliens. And when you say alien, they can try to bat you down, but they're worshiping aliens. You know, it's the fact. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not of this world. Alien. Okay? It's just a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. And, you know, I don't know why people don't want to just come to terms with it, but they really struggle with that fact. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they descended from the stars in flying boats, which are spaceships, and turned mud and water into a new kingdom. When I first moved to Western Florida uh, about 24 years ago, it was all this big Everglades area, which is nothing but swamp. Nothing but swamp. That's all you can see. As far as I can see, it was swampland. And I literally moved into a, a neighborhood there that was just built and watched this entire city get built and come up straight out of the mud. They took these trucks uh, and they scooped up all the muck out of these swamps. And then they took that muck and they took the soil from underneath the muck and used that to create bricks and everything else for the entire city. They used the muck to create foundations for lands and lots and communities right from the same place. And then the areas that they dug out, they turned those into lakes, which they didn't charge you extra for the lake view. <laughs> they know how to print the game really good. They know how to play in the matrix. So what I'm saying is we're doing the same thing right now. So why wouldn't they do this back then? Okay? This is just standard. It's just, it's just the way that we're set up. The symbol for God is material which translates into a being that came from the cosmos. This is ancient Egyptian taught information and knowledge. I'm not the only one that knows this. You can find this out as well, okay? So they're saying that these, the Turu came from the cosmos. They came from space in flying boats. Now, you gotta remember, these people are coming from a time frame, in other words, the people that are recording this information, where they're using the terminology and words they had in their vocabulary. Okay, they had it in, when I saw the UFO when I was a kid, the word UFO wasn't in my vocabulary. The word flying saucer was not in my vocabulary. The word alien wasn't in my vocabulary at the age of seven. I had no idea what I just saw. I didn't go around saying, I just saw a UFO. I just said, I saw this silver oval thing flying in the sky that was kind of bright in color. That's a long way of saying, you know, UFO. But I didn't have the word. It didn't, that term didn't exist in my mind. It didn't exist in my vocabulary. I didn't learn that until much later, actually. I started looking into aerospace books in the, in, the, in, the, in the library trying to figure out what I saw. That's when I started researching, 1977. I started looking up every book on aerospace that I could find. And in none of those books did they even have the word UFO or alien. So that word still eluded me for a very long time. still eluded me for a very long time. During the fable first time, uh, Zep Tepe, some call it Zep Tepe and some call it Tep Zepi, believe it or not. So it could be reversed around, depending on whose version of the ancient history you're reading, or even sometimes depending on what part of Egypt has recorded information. When God, who I call aliens, ruled on earth, the waters of the abyss receded. Again, this is another. The Zeptepi story is another account of what? A great flood. More evidence that we had a global flood. Um, the primordial darkness was banished, and the human biogenic experiment emerged from the light. The Urshu, a category of lesser divinities, which were lower-ranked aliens. Now, let's stop right there. What do you look at the Sumerian tablets? They have the lower ranked Anunnaki called the Ejiji in the Enuma Elysian, the epic of Atrahasis. 
So it's the same story, just told by a slightly different culture, but the same exact story. A great blood, beings that came from space, and a lower working class level of a being that were still not from Earth. First century thought. Billy Carson. He looks. Uh, he looks like ancient. Uh, he looks like uh, ancient Egyptian. Dogon. He's probably from the Dogon tribe. Humanity's hidden origin, science of portals, and... These are those rhombohedron crystals in your pineal gland. When those crystals become electrically activated, all of a sudden... There's a pine cone-shaped thing to uh, move... Things. It's in, it's in the sculptures, the the Anunnaki, like Enki and Enlil. They use this like pine cone looking thing in their hand. Listen to Billy Carson, hard drive, which was the biggest limitation on transferring consciousness. So now we have the capability of transferring consciousness into a storage capacity, and then with now the creation of the ability to create uh, to, to create avatars from stem cells, right. we can literally take a skin cell from your body, put it under the right chemical conditions in a laboratory, create a clone of you up to whatever age specified, and then transfer your consciousness from uh, your body your mind into that new avatar amazing now the emerald tablets tell me the emerald tablets role and what they are well the emerald tablets were a writing that were authored directly by thoth himself in other words he didn't have a scribe write these he wrote them himself which is kind right. of unique for back in those times they were usually a god or a king they would have a scribe do all the writing these right. he authored uh, and he said that he was leaving these behind to guide mankind to back into the golden age, basically, back into the light. Almost like the Ten Commandments? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the Emerald Tablets, you start to realize you're reading something that predates biblical text by tens of thousands of years, and the Bible is saying almost the exact same thing when you look at some of the wording in the New Testament. So I kind of show side by side where Jesus is, Jesus is quoted as speaking in the New Testament versus what both is saying in the Emerald Tablets, and it's going, you're going, oh my God, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh -huh. You're seeing that the words are matching up, but when you go and research further into the words of Jesus, which is really his name is Yeshua, uh, you discover something in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve where he left uh, and went to Egypt to live, 
and I've actually been to the place he lived in Egypt, in Coptic Cairo. And then from there he went to uh, Tibet and also to India, where he learned mystic arts and Reiki healing with his hands, teaching reincarnation the whole way back. So he was a uh, student of the mystery schools. Could Moses have been given the Emerald Tablets as opposed to the so-called Ten Commandments? Moses got his information from something called the 42 Laws of Mat, which is something that's out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead or the Book of Going Forth by Day. Uh -huh. And there's actually 42 commandments out of which they took 10 and they made it into the modern-day Bible. Where are the uh, Emerald Tablets today, Billy? I really believe that the Emerald Tablets, the original version, are underneath the Vatican archives. Uh, and hidden, that five hidden acre hidden away, you know, down way beneath that, that five acre archive they have, a five mile archive they have underneath the Vatican. Interesting. Who would have translated them? Oh, lots of people have translated them over many years. Uh, you know, have St. Thomas Aquinas, the Queen of Sheba, uh, Sir Isaac Newton translated the Emerald, uh, Emerald Tablet of Hermes, which is actually on display at the Cambridge Library. Uh, you know, many, uh, many famous people, Michael Doriel, Roger Bacon. So lots of very well-known scholars have uh, come in contact with this information and deciphered it over many years. Edgar Casey has talked about in his day the Hall of Records. And he said they were located in three places throughout this planet. Did Todd have Hall of Records too? Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, he claims to have had a Hall of Records that were hidden, one underneath the Great Sphinx and one inside of the Great Pyramid. What's going on, Justette? Uh -oh. Roger Bacon. So lots of very well-known scholars have uh, come in contact with this information. Andy in the way, you know, down way beneath that, that five-acre archive they have, a five-mile archive they have underneath the Vatican. Interesting. Who would have translated them? Oh, lots of people have translated them over many years. Uh, you know, have St. Thomas Aquinas, the Queen of Sheba, uh, Sir Isaac Newton wow. translated the Emerald, uh, Emerald Tablet of Hermes, which is actually on display at the Cambridge Library. Um, you know, many, uh, many famous people, Michael Doriel, wow. Roger Bacon. So lots of very well-known scholars have uh, come in contact with this information and deciphered it over many years. Edgar Casey has talked about in his day the Hall of Records, mm -hmm. and he said they were located in three places throughout this planet. Did Toth have Hall of Records too? Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, he claims to have had a Hall of Records that were hidden, one underneath the Great Sphinx and one inside of the Great Pyramid itself. Uh, and I think that they've found both. In my personal opinion, when you look at a lot of the research that have come out over the last few years, they found this chamber. They were doing a cosmic scan of the Great Pyramid, something called a muon scan. A and, muon scan? Yeah, muon. And during this muon scan, using cosmic rays, they found this hidden chamber above the Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid, this massive open area, huh. which might be one of the locations of one of these Hall of Records. What could be in there? Oh, wow. A lot of secreted texts from the ancient mystery schools, the true knowledge and wisdom that was meant to be passed on to mankind in our current era, which unfortunately a lot of the stuff that has been found, I think has been swept away and hidden by some of the elites. But I really do believe that there could be information of high advanced technology, mm -hmm. uh, zero point energy devices, um, you know, esoteric wisdom and knowledge. Flying machines? Uh, well, he talks about the fact that he has a flying machine or a spaceship hidden underneath the paw of the Sphinx. And recent scans discovered that there's a huge there's a massive object there. There's something down there. Yeah, there's something down there. And unfortunately, there's Billy also Carson. tunnels down there, too. 
So we would never know if they used one of those tunnels to get access to this thing and move it away. I know there was a very big special that was going to air live uh, about five years ago on uh, one of the scientists. And then the night that it was supposed to air, it got canceled. Um, I just think that uh, somebody at a higher level said, you know what, we're going to pull this, we're going to go down there and see what it is ourselves. and maybe get it, they were going to release the scan images and everything live on TV, and then the guy was cut. Well, what does this tell you about our ancients, about our ancient past? Well, it tells us that they were very highly advanced, very sophisticated. The evidence is all around us. We can't duplicate some of the things that they've done just with architecture. can't imagine what they've been able to do technologically to be able to even, to, to be able to build that architecture. So I think that there's a lot of evidence around, including in these ancient texts, that talk about flying machines, talk about different types of engines, talk about different types of tools and technologies. Even in the Book of Enoch, it talks about the fact that these beings came down from the sky and taught humans how to build weapons of war and everything else. So it tells us that the, these people that came here, some were good, some were bad, but overall they were highly technologically advanced and they had extensive lifespans, which gave, them, gave us the illusion that they were immortal. Now, back to Toth for a second. Why did he have this reptilian bird-like look to him? Or was that just a headpiece costume? Well, it was just a representation of the ibis bird. So you look at an ibis bird, an ibis bird has to dig its beak deep into the mud to bring up its sustenance and its food. So what the representation there, or the symbology there with Toth, is that he's, um, he's going into darkness to bring darkness back to light. So he goes into areas where he always talks about in the Emerald Tablets, where mankind has fallen into a low level of consciousness or fallen into a low level of civilization, and he's got to go down there now and bring them back up. So in the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, what happens is the great flood waters are starting to subside, and the people are coming out of the caves several generations later, and he's saying that they have fallen to a low level, and his dad says, you need to go down there and bring them back, restart civilization there. So this is just a symbology of him going to darkness and bringing darkness back to light. Was he an alien? I think that he was an alien. I don't think that they were from this planet at all. Uh, when you look into a lot of these ancient tablets, now I've researched and read now over a thousand tablet scriptures and texts and baked stones, everything else, cylinder scrolls over the last 20 years. And you're starting to realize, I'm starting to realize that there was an ancient war possibly in the Pleiadian star cluster, which is mentioned in Homer's Iliad and the Bible and everything else. This, this, the, the Pleiadian star, the Seven Sisters, uh, where there was a, an ancient war, and I really do believe that uh, refugees fled that region. Some ended up in the Orion, some ended up in the Sirius star system, star system sure. and also some, I believe, ended up on this Nibiru planet, which is orbiting a brown dwarf star. I think that the, the original uh, uh, refugees have crash-landed there, so I think, and that brown dwarf star ended up getting uh, captured by our solar system. And now modern-day um, uh, astronomers are saying that there is another solar system within our own 
solar system gives two signs here. One's a ground warp and one's a yellow sign. Well, Zechariah Sitchin, God rest his soul, would be vindicated because Absolutely. he talked about this in his books a long time ago. He sure did. You know, Zechariah Sitchin was one of the greatest researchers. I never stopped saying that. Uh, a lot of people were making up stuff about him at the end of his life, right. unfortunately. But the truth is, when you read his prefaces of his books, he tells you where he got his information. Well, it wasn't that he deciphered these tablets. He was going off of deciphered information already. Right. He was just interpreting it. That's all he was doing, you know, and his story was pretty much dead on. Now that dozens of other researchers have gone and done their own work, like myself, and we're coming up with the same story, you know, so it's really amazing. Billy, let's talk about Atlantis for a moment and the Atlanteans. What is their connection to, like, the Emerald Tablets? Well, the Atlantean civilization is part of this Anunnaki race that came here. See, the Anunnaki name is a generalization term for people coming from other planets and star systems to Earth. It's not just one specific race of people. Okay. And so these Atlanteans, they came here in deep antiquity, and they literally began to develop their own civilization on this planet, a high level of civilization. They came here to mine this planet for resources, not just for gold, but for many other resources. And they also saw it as kind of a, a fresh start, kind of like a breakaway civilization is what it really became for them. And they developed a high level of civilization here without Homo sapiens sapiens, just on their own. At some point, they began to go to war against each other, this is even talked about in the book of Deuteronomy. This is talked about in many other ancient texts, where these gods started going against each other and fighting. There were some living on Mars called the Ejiji, which were the working class Anunnaki. They came down. These are the gods that, you know, the, the angels that fell from heaven. They came down from Mars to Earth to go to battle against Enlil and Enki. Uh, and there was a big war that was about to start, and that's when they decided to make the Homo sapiens. But where we lost Atlantis was during this global flood that came, and that's when it washed Atlantis away, Atlantis away. Uh, but then after that, it was another war. So now these are one race. These emerald tablets uh, talk about the Great Flood, which leads me to believe they came, the tablets, after the Flood, obviously, right? Well, yeah, the tablets are, were written after the Flood. Uh, now, there was, uh, because the tablets were written after the Flood, but the tablets mentioned life before the Flood. So if you look at the Sumerian Kings List, which is located in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England, it's at the king's list of antediluvial kings that rule over Earth for over 200,000 years. So just a handful of kings ruling for many, some ruling for 14,000 years, some ruling for 28,000 years. These people had extensive lifespans. And this is one of the main displays at the Ashmolean Museum. So pre-flood, uh, uh, there were people here that were not human beings that were ruling over this planet in different cities on this Earth, and it's well-documented and baked into clay. And hence the flood, to get rid of them? Well, it's a, a combination. It could, it could have been, from Enlil's point of view, to get rid of them, or that they knew it was coming and they didn't want to stop it. They could have stopped it, but they, but they didn't. Or some of the uh, interpretations say that they, uh, they caused the flood on purpose to get a fresh start on this planet and wipe away the, the people and everything else and all the technology and start all over again. So that interpretation is kind of up in the air, whether it was, whether it was something that was geological that could have been prevented but wasn't, or whether it was done by uh, an actual... Uh, you know, an act that was like, we want to make this happen right now, and it was done. What do you think caused the flood, brother? I really think that the flood was probably caused uh, by uh, a, a comet that was coming by, and I thought they saw an opportunity to take this comet uh, and crash it into the planet. So it did hit. That's, yeah, that's what I...
that. So what are you doing? Oh, just putting that on Instagram. I really think that the flood was probably caused uh, by uh, a comet that was coming by, and I thought they saw an opportunity to take this comet uh, and crash it into the planet. So it did hit. That's, yeah, that's what I think happened. I think that they hit the ocean and hit the ocean for 40 days and 40 nights. Right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you know turmoil and everything else on the entire planet. And I think that was probably one of maybe several great floods. I think there were probably two more other floods, but not ones that covered the entire planet, just big regions right. of different areas. Did that flood destroy the Atlantic civilization? Yes, it did. In my opinion, it destroyed the Atlantic civilization, uh, and I think it was directly in the, mil the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is where it originally was, in my personal opinion now from doing a lot of research. Sure. And uh, I think that um, one of the main reasons why I think it was a directed meteor strike uh, was because there was a little bit of anxiety and, and anger back and forth between these Atlantean people about uh, the fact that some of them had now taken these humanoid clone, you know, um, women, men and women, and started mating with them right. outside of their own race. Creating the Nephilim. Right? right. And so it was like, okay, this is enough, and then it became a jealousy thing, and then it became a war, and eventually, um, when there were so many people on this planet, they decided, you know what? We're going to just wipe everything clean and start fresh again. Did some of them from Atlantis flee to place, places like Egypt and then contribute to the building of the Great Pyramids? Absolutely. Well, that's what happened. Thoth was one of the original Atlanteans. Uh, he's the son of Enki. Uh, and after they fled, you know, after the Great Flood, they fled to a safe location, not on this planet. Because he talks about in the Emerald Tablets, in the opening verses, that his dad tells him to get in this great ship and take the crew with you and go back and to get the out. So they actually take off into the sky until they say they saw the planet disappear. When they got to Earth, they then started descending where they saw one of the ancient great, ancient great temples with the floodwaters residing down beneath it, and that's when they decided to land. So I don't think they're from Earth. Huh. They went away and they came back. They're always going and coming all the time. Sure. You know, uh, but um, these are some really advanced people. And when they opened the, ship, the, 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 the doors to the ship, the people at that time now were like barbaric, and they wanted to attack them. And Thoth raises a staff and he says he sent out a ray of vibration stopping him still as stone in the mountain. So he had some kind of advanced weaponry that froze these people but didn't kill them. And I kind of compare that in the book to something we have called the active denial system in the military now. where They have the same beam weapon that can stop a crowd from attacking sure. without injuring Absolutely. anybody. So it renders them down to their knees. Exactly. Practice. Exactly. So I make the comparisons there so you can see we're talking advanced technology in ancient times. Could the craft that you're talking about, the ships mm -hmm. that you're talking about, have been basically the story of Noah's Ark and the fact that maybe they went up in a spaceship, not, not a boat. Yeah, I really do believe that Noah's Ark uh, was a, a DNA bank. Uh, now, if you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of the mm -hmm. Sumerian tablets, which is like the full story of, of, of uh, Noah's Ark, uh, he was given a design to build an actual uh, submersible. And it wasn't square or rectangular, it was actually round. The actual, you know, the like writing craft, like a craft, uh, and I do. You know, some of his local animals, just his local farm animals, were put on there. But overall, it was really uh, the collection of DNA from all the planet of animals that they would have needed to reach some civilization. I think they went to a DNA bank, and then they, because Thoth and Enki were master geneticists, 
And so I think it was very easy for them to bring back uh, these animals. One part of the Sumerian tablets to talk about fashioning a lamb, because lambs hadn't been here yet. So these people were very advanced genetically and were able to make all these animals. There was a point where <laughs> I would say we've lost all this past information, but researchers like you have obviously found it. It's here. You just have to read so many different things and research so much information to paint the big picture. You can't just like go, oh, I'm going to read this one book and I'll learn about the ancient past. It's not going to happen. No, you've got to go through thousands of texts and scriptures and books and writings and perspectives and information. And you have to research modern technology because you can't uh, envision what they're trying to say if you don't compare it to something in modern times. And we have a lot of modern technology right now that will really give you an idea of what they were talking about in the ancient past. Are they still here, Billy? I really do believe they are. In the animal tablets, Thoth talks about the fact that they, uh, they, they walk amongst men, but unlike men. So they use these avatar bodies that they clone and create, and they put their consciousness into them. They call it transfer my ego into this you know, sleeve, basically. Sure. Do and they know what they are? They know what they are. They do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they've long shed their original avatar bodies that they were probably born with, and they've now just been jumping from body to body. I don't think that they jump from bodies that are not theirs. It appears that they have the capability of making their own sleeves, and they transfer into those bodies. Since this has been going on since the beginning of time, I would think, are they doing this on other planets too? Oh, I really do believe so. Uh, one, of, you know, one of the biggest things that I've researched are, are space anomalies, and I've made the news on that many times, sure. researching information from the NASA and the European Space Agency, the NASA, uh, the, the Russian Space Agency, the Indian Space Agency, and looking into... Uh, all of their space data from the probes that have been sent out, all the rovers that have been sent out. And we've now, the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, we've cataloged thousands and thousands of images, over 58,000 anomalies in our solar system alone. And a lot of these things look like things just, you know, on Earth. Uh, on Venus, I discovered through the USGS.gov a uh, radar image of a city there. And this city actually looks like it's got a temple on it with a cross. My gosh. So I think that they've duplicated this thing over and over again, masquerading as gods as they go, and utilizing people as cattle to do a lot of the work for them. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a former NASA employee mm. uh, who is well known, but I'm not going to mention his name yet. And he's in bad health, very bad health. And he said, George, I want to put together a bunch of documents and send them to you. Mm. Give me your address. And I said, what's in these documents? And he said, you got to see them first. Mm. But they're coming from within NASA. Mm. I can't wait to get these things. Oh, yeah. Who knows what they are? Oh, yeah. It's probably going to be a lot of anomalies that uh, weren't obfuscated. There's a lot of stuff that's popping up that's coming out now, and the government's kind of really giving us a drop-by-drop -drop disclosure and uh, letting people kind of get the information. They're not really outwardly denying aliens and UFOs anymore. Uh, you know, so they're kind of just letting us be the researchers and look it up and bring it to the general population as, like, we're a form of the disclosure as well. Our Gaia series called Ancient Civilizations explores the mysteries of the Great Pyramids as well. There is an ancient code to be found within the Great Pyramid. It's within the geometry, not just of the pyramid itself, but its relationship to the other two main pyramids of the Giza Plateau. Having studied this for a number of years, it seems to be related very much to do with the idea of 
the music of the spheres, the idea that there is some kind of connection between the primal tone of the universe itself and their relationship to the creation of form and structure in the physical world. And that to somehow attune and enhance this connection that certain proportions have to be constructed into the design of the pyramid and also the geometry of the landscape itself. And these seem to reflect the musical intervals. Billy, the technology and the architecture of the pyramids yeah. are absolutely astounding. Yes. How did they do this? Well, Thoth is the master architect of this whole thing. He really laid out. He did out, everything. He did everything. He laid this out. What he did with the Great Pyramid was he took some type of advanced computer program and said, okay, here's all the data that we've collected on Earth. The dimension of the planet, the size of the planet, the distance of the planet from the Earth to the moon and so forth and everything Where else. Where they built them? And he, he, that, that, that I mean, he built still. the Great Pyramid directly at the center of the land mass on Earth. Not the center of the Earth, but the center of the land mass. So think about that for a minute. In order to find out the center of land mass, you have to have a scan of the entire planet. Yes, and you can only do that with technology. And above. Above. You got to be in space. And you can't use a regular satellite that just goes around the equator. It has to be a satellite that goes on the North Pole. So it's a North Pole orbit. So this is a very new orbit that we ourselves just discovered on how to do huh. in the last couple decades. So now this type of an orbit of the planet, as the planet's rotating on its axis, it's just going around this way and taking an image as it rotates. And then the images are stitched together. And that's how you get a complete global scan. You can't do it on the equator. You have to do it that way. So this is an amazing piece of technology or evidence of an Absolutely. amazing technology in the ancient past. Then the other thing is the fact that the uh, location of the Grand Gallery are the same digits of the speed of light in meters in, uh, by longitude. Now, how can you get this? Okay, well, you go, well, meters were just recently discovered. Well, actually not. If you look into the Proto-Sumerian text and you discover that they had meters all the way back then, thousands of years ago. We rediscovered meters, or possibly the gentleman that discovered it read the ancient Sumerian tablets and just said, I'm going to use this for new, new mathematical calculations. Uh, so we had meters already. The other thing is if you take the size of the pyramid blocks and multiply them by 10 squared, a lot of them, you start to come up with all these weird calculations. Sure. You can actually discover the distance of the Earth to the moon, the distance of the Earth to the sun. You can calculate the tropical year, the sidereal year. You can actually calculate the speed of the sun around the galactic equator. All this is built into the Great Pyramid. And then what's amazing, if you look at the Pyramid Giza from, from above, look at all the temples mm -hmm. and the locations of them, you can actually then draw a grid map. And that grid map will give you the location of every planet in our inner solar system and the astronomical unit distance from the sun down to the inches by, and compared to a NASA interplanetary map, it's, it almost overlays and almost matches perfectly. The mathematics must have been unbelievable. Unbelievable mathematics. And this is all encoded into Giza and the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid is also a 1 by 432 scale of the Earth. I mean, this believe, is all, you know, uh, and it resonates Paul at 432. said that it was encoded into the pyramid, the Earth's life force, I want to say. To Hertz. I mean, it's, it's these all tied together. It's all tied together. Interesting. What and who are the Dark Brothers? The Dark Brothers are talked about in the Emerald Tablets by Thoth, and he basically says that uh, two things about them. One are these are civilizations that have risen and fallen. They're the cause of the fall of civilizations all over the universe. Hmm. 
hmm. and that it's a, a yin and a yang. Dark you can't have good without evil, and you can't have evil without good. But no matter where he's gone throughout the Two entire universe, brothers. he's actually gone and watched civilizations rise and fall. And these dark brothers are always the reason for the fall of civilizations. Oh. And it becomes this ego that takes over mankind, or these different different you know species of man all over the universe. Apparently, hominids are pretty standard everywhere you go. Uh, and it, it's this evil mentality, this egotistical mentality, this power control <laughs> mentality that takes over a person. Yeah and then starts to drive a civilization back down into the dark ages again. And it has to do with them understanding how to get to a high level of civilization consciously and technologically, but then taking it and using that force for, for, for dark for intentions. And, but, or you, bad. So you have the dark and you have the good. So it's almost like Star Wars. It makes you wonder where George Lucas got his information from good because point. you have the dark forces and you have the light forces. So you have the, like, you know, the Jedi and then you have the, you know, the, the Empire or whatever. So... It's really, um, a the really, force. yeah, the force, you know, and they take these dark forces and they use them to turn people against each other. Kind of like what you see right now just going on our planet. We've got all the people fighting against each other with a very small amount of people controlling everything from behind the scenes. And they're controlling both sides. So they got us like puppets and they got us fighting each other. So we can't find out that we're supposed to be really fighting them. And that's what it's talking were about. Were these human beings, Billy, or what were they? These were beings like him, Atlanteans or these... These are, uh, you know, beings that have the capability of living for many eons. And uh, they plant themselves in different civilizations. And they literally thrive off of causing turmoil, angst, anxiety, starvation, poverty, murder, and everything else. Why they do this, it doesn't really specifically say. But this is the reason for the cycle of the yugas, where civilizations rise and fall. Like right now, we're in something called the Tetra Yuga, and we're, which is like the Silver Age, and we're headed back towards the Golden Age again. But is that it, a good or bad thing? That's a, gr a great thing, because that's where lifespans are extended. That's where technology is really super advanced. That's where we become a, we become an intergalactic civilization. And these yugas, they, these yuga cycles last for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, the, the, the bad thing about it is, for, for whatever reason, it then goes down again. We go back into like a Bronze Age, where these dark brothers or these dark forces start to take over mankind again. And we start to sink and go back consciously into a low level. War start up, greed starts up, power struggle starts up yep. again, and the next thing you know, we fall into a low level of civilization. And this cycle has happened at least four times just on this planet. So we're talking about four or five, uh, you know, uh, million years of rising and falling. And according to the Mayans, we're heading into the fifth age again. So now we're heading back into another golden age. And the biggest thing that I want to learn from these tablets, the reason why I wrote this book, is because I don't think it's nowhere written that says you, we have to stay in this cycle. There's nowhere written that says we have to rise and fall. When can we break this time loop? Can we break it? Can we finally, for once, stay at a high level and maintain that level? That would be nice. That would be fantastic. What is the ancient Smith effect? What is that? Well, you know, this is one of the things that has to do with the Dark Brothers and how they subconsciously get into your psyche. So they control the media. They control the news. They control what you eat, what you think, what you see, and everything else. Are they the deep state that we hear so the much about? The deep state. They're the deep state. They're all these hidden figures behind the scenes pulling all the strings that nobody ever can really see who they are, but they're there. You know, there's a hundred families running this entire planet, but there's still a handful of them that are at the top of that mini pyramid mm -hmm. that are really making all the final decisions. And so that's really what it's all about. So the Agent Smith uh, effect is when, like, if you're talking to somebody, like a friend or a family member, about what you saw on TV, and it's like a sitcom or a TV show, everybody's having a great conversation about it, but as soon as you stop and talk about is 9-11 a conspiracy or, uh, you know, what they're putting in our food, it's poison. All of a sudden, 
the person will then change. Their continence will change. Sure. Their, their, their attitude will change. And they'll almost become like a prison guard to stop you from talking about those topics and try to skew you back into what the more comfortable topics were, which was gossiping and so forth and so on. So it's like this thing jumps into them. It's like this matrix programming takes over their body. And that's part of the dark forces that happen. And it's called the Agent Smith effect, kind of after the Matrix movies where Agent Smith would pop into the bodies of other people to fight against Neo. You've got to have a PhD in ancient technology. My God, <laughs> how do you know all this stuff? Uh, you know, I've been research, researching this for so many years now, you know, since 1977 until this current day, researching aerospace and technology and combining with the knowledge of ancient wisdom and ancient text and trying to put the two together, trying to look for a unified physics, kind of like Nassim Haramein. I, I study a lot of his work and seeing how, how, how the uh, quantum mechanics and quantum physics really does interact with spirituality. You can't have one without the other. If you try to only go the spiritual way and not incorporate the science behind it, you don't really get the big picture and vice versa. So I really try to put you know, pieces of the puzzles together and try to paint a picture not only for myself but for everybody else. Billy, what are cymatic frequencies? Well, these are the hidden frequencies behind the ether of space-time that literally jingle matter into existence. And so I even talk about in the book that Thoth is talking about using cymatics and lights and photonic light to create matter. So he would actually literally utilize uh, photons and cymatic frequencies, which are jiggling strings in the ether of space-time. It's called string theory. But he had the ability to access that and utilizing vocalizations and cymatic frequencies, com combining the two together to create solid bricks and matter and everything else. So some of these structures weren't built by... Uh, you know, going and, uh, and getting quarrying bricks and blocks. Some of these structures were literally manifested. And we as now people on Earth, scientists just recently, it's in my book, the whole article on it, physics.org, they discovered how to turn light, photonic light, into solid matter. Interesting. So we're just now catching up to what the ancients already knew. In the 1970s, there was a legendary film put together by Hans Jenny hmm. about cymatics. Everything owes its existence solely and completely to sound. Sound is a factor which holds it together. Sound is the basis of form and shape. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. We are told that this is how the world began and how creation took shape. If we put that into the modern idiom and say that into the great voids of space came a sound and matter took shape. Please watch carefully. It's very important. For example, in space-time itself, there are these uh, these strings that vibrate and give off these frequencies and vibrations, and they 
wave, they run across us like a, like a wave across, you know, coming across an ocean. So, for example, if you look at a, a cheetah, and it's got these spots on its back, mm -hmm. well, the genetic makeup of a cheetah vibrates, vibrates at a specific frequency that's in a match for that pattern that's being emanated directly from space-time through something called the flower of life and the vesica pisces. And that's where these sound frequencies are emanating from. We can't hear them with our human ears, but they're there. And so when that splashes across the genetic makeup of a, of a cheetah, that gives it the pattern that's on its back. And this is the same thing for every, every living thing on this entire planet. Whatever your tuned frequency vibration, your subatomic frequency vibration is a match for from the emanating frequencies or the cymatics coming out of space-time, that will create your shape, your form, your figure, and also even your perspective on reality as well. And all really solid matter is is these vibrating waves that interact with electromagnetic frequencies and then consciousness comes in and collapses it into something we consider to be called digital or solid matter. If a person understands this in their day-to-day -day life, what can they do? If you understand this, your life? yeah, it can change your life once you really understand that the biggest thing about this is solidity is an illusion, separation is an illusion, uh, and when you understand that, it means that we're all one. In other words, I'm sitting here talking to you, but I'm really talking to myself. And when you begin to understand that we're all one, you know, the ancients have a term, in la kek ala kin, I am another you. And what it means is I'm going to have a lot more respect for you as a human being, as a person, as an animal, as an entity on this planet or anywhere in the universe. I'm going to treat you like I would treat myself because you are me. There's only one real consciousness that exists. And we are just the consciousness separated into trillions and trillions of entities so that it can experience itself subjectively from different perspectives. In other words, it wants to see what it's like to be human. It wants to see what it's like to be a blade of grass or even a rock. And that's what we're here for. We're, just, we're on a data collection mission sending information back to the source. What does this tell you about the complexity of life? That's quite a clip right there. Not a lot of people probably are aware of what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. They will be after they watch this program. Right. <laughs> but what does that tell you about life itself? Oh, it's a lot more complex. I think that we've gotten um, complacent and we've taken a lot for granted. The fact that even that human beings are creators ourselves, we have the divine energy inside of us and we ourselves are also creators. We even take that for granted. The fact that everything that's here, even including the TV that people are watching us on right now, is all started off as a thought and then became reality in the third dimension. It's manifested from a thought. I think we've taken all of this for granted and we've gone through like a, like robots through our day. Wake up, go to sleep, get married, have kids, go to work, you know, retire right, and die. But it's a lot more to it. I think when you really understand how complex and how incredible it really is, it'll take you and your mind into other dimensions and other places, other tangents, and really start to really appreciate everything that's here on another level. I really want to appreciate now. Now, I used to say every second. Then I used to say every microsecond. Now, I want to enjoy every plunk unit. That's the smallest measurement of time. You know, I want to enjoy every single tiny bit that I can enjoy in this dimension now. Do we, as human beings, manifest everything that happens to us? We literally do. See, the way that manifestation works, and people, when I tell people that they are God, they, some people here will get offended by that, but they don't realize what I'm saying is you have the power of the Creator, as above, so below. The power of creation is already inside of you, and we do it every single day. Sure. So in a real-world uh, you know, example would be, if I wanted to create, for example, a cell phone, so I would think about the cell phone in my mind. So that's a consciousness platform. Mm -hmm. And that platform now, I'm thinking about the shape, size, texture, what it can do, all the functionality. And I go, okay, I want to manifest this. Now I take that information and I give it over to a CAD designer who brings it into a two-dimensional format, which is all based off of lines. And then they build it. And then it goes to an engineer, which brings it into a third-dimensional platform in reality. So the thought then goes from thought 
platform, two-dimensional, then the three-dimensional reality where I could physically pick it up, touch it, and maneuver it through the third dimension. So we manifest everything in the third dimension that way, starts over the thought. We literally create things, just like the universe creates, we are also co-creators in our reality as well. How often are we as human beings tapping into this, whatever it is, the matrix, let's call mm -hmm. it, and not even know that we're doing it? It's non-stop. Scientists discovered that human DNA can upload and download digital bits of information, that it sends and receives information wirelessly, like a Wi-Fi signal, and that we interact with each other wirelessly, wirelessly on a consistent basis. Also, that DNA stores memories. So a lot of your memories are stored in DNA, which is something that a lot of people don't know. This is real science. So if you're sending and receiving wireless information and signals directly from this DNA 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you might get an idea that pops into your mind about an invention or an idea. But really, all those inventions and ideas are all floating around in the ether of space-time. You might have matched a specific frequency to download that information at that moment. So it'd be, you, can, you are the one who's lucky enough to be able to decipher it and then bring it to fruition, kind of like what Edgar Cayce used to do. Did most of our ancients understand this? Oh, they understood it and they knew all about it. And there were mystery schools set up for just the elite of the elites or hand-picked people that they felt had some specific, uh, specific talents to be able to really analyze and understand it and utilize it in the right way for good. And that's what, originally what the mystery schools were all about. Eventually, when these deified gods left, then it started getting twisted and turned into darkness. Interesting take on all this. Did science ever catch up with what they did a long time ago? We're trying. I mean, I really it's think... It's not there yet, though. It's not it? there. You know, it's not. I mean, if you look at Abu Simbel, for example, in Africa, uh, where I visited in person, it was much further down the mountain there, and it had a specific alignment where at the solstice, the sun would come through the center of that temple and illuminate the gods at the back. Okay? Precisely. Right. We cut it up in chunks and moved it up the hill because they were building a dam there. And the dam was going to flood it, so they thought we, needed, we still want to preserve this. But it needed this. to be where it was, right? Yeah. They tried to put it in the same angle to get the, the illumination right, and they were about five degrees off. They still couldn't get Didn't the illumination. Work. Didn't work. I mean, that's with modern technology, you know. So we're, we're trying, and I think a lot of scientists and aerospace technicians and everything else, they, they go to these ancient texts. Even Hitler went all around the world scouring the planet for ancient texts about technology because he wanted to duplicate. Oh, he was obsessed with the occult in oh. the ancient world. Yes, he obsessed was. Obsessed with it. Absolutely, because he knew that was the key to technology, and that's what it's all about. And I think we're duplicating or trying to duplicate everything that's in these ancient texts. The more I read ancient texts, the more I say, wow, let me find it. We're doing it now. And I go, oh, my God, we're doing it now. Transferring consciousness. They just transferred the monkey's consciousness into a computer. I mean, the 2045 project by Ray Kurzweil in, in uh, Russia, 2045.com, they're, they're working on transferring human consciousness now into an actual biological avatar by 2045. The DARPA program is now uh, have a program in America where they're transferring a soldier's consciousness into a field robot. If Hitler wasn't so insane, and if he wasn't so horrible as a human being, yeah. God knows how far the Germans would have advanced with technology. Oh, they would have been light years ahead. <laughs> they were way ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, they were so far ahead that we decided to take all their, you know, <laughs> all their scientists. Uh, yeah, Earth, I mean, we got to the moon because of German scientists. Basically, we know. became the Fourth Reich. We took all of them. We took, people thought it was just a small amount of scientists that we took from there. We took over 1,600 people from, from and, Germany. And so did the Soviets at the yeah, time. They, talk, they took some, too. There were a lot of people working on a lot of projects. And we took them. We put, we put them in key positions of power here in, in the United States as well. Well, they had the V-2 rocket way before we even knew what a rocket was. Exactly. Yeah. Incredible. You know, and Von Braun was quoted as saying that we had help from other people. Well, maybe they were the heads of NASA. First heads of NASA.
and the CIA. That's why fucking it's like the Gestapo in this country. No law enforcement. Took away all my pets for fucking nothing. Nucking fucking. Motherfucker. Give them back. I want them all back. Safe and sound. I'm gonna make a prediction. I have them right. Well, or I hope it happens earlier, but I predict um, that. I heard the word two weeks. They're gonna fucking drag this shit out until we get a judge to say, let them fucking go and uh, don't charge them a hundred thou for fucking impoundment fees because they were unlawfully seized from us in the first place. So fuck you. You're not getting away with it. And you're going to give me all my pets back. And they better be all as healthy as they were when you fucking took them. Unlawfully. Illegally. And you're going to get slammed with it. So you better fucking give them up sooner rather than later. You're going to be sanctioned, motherfuckers. How about a million dollars a day? Wouldn't that be nice? I said judge for stiff sanctions until they fucking give our pets back. Um, just thinking about like who people can call. Call PAC. Um, their phone number is 520-724-5900. Call them and tell them to release Trista's all and Anthony's pets. No fucking outrageous ransom sum. Just give them back because they were fucking unlawfully seized from us in the first place. We get 11 people to tweet that. I need 11 friends to call. Friends of the animals. Don't do just for me. Do it for the animals. Save my animals. Save the animals. Save our animals. They're all fucking animals. They're my beautiful fucking one-of-a-kind special breed of mini chicken that are raised from egg. I raised them from egg. You can't you can't be fucking abusive towards pets and, and raise chickens from scratch. Fuck you. Fuck you. Give them back. You know, I want my Elvis. My little chick named Elvis. I had a chick named Elvis. And Panda Face. Elvis. Elvis, so I would have him do um, blue suede shoes. Please, uh, 11 people, if you could give them a call and say, hey, give Pack a Pima Animal so called care center. Soft quotes. Tell them to stop torturing Trista's and Anthony's pets. Return them immediately. Charges were dropped, so why are you fucking holding on to them, torture, make them suffer more? Charges were dropped. There was no proof or evidence. So fucking release the pets and don't charge them. They want to charge us 53.1k to get all my animals back that they unlawfully seized from me. Fuck you. No. You're going to give them back to me. 
pronto. Should have given back immediately. Dragging your ass. You don't want to look bad, do you? Motherfuckers. You already look, do look bad. You look fucking terrible. You look like torturers to me. Fuck you. Extorting people out. You know, fucking shame on you. That's, that's really fucked up. Or you euthanize them or sell them. You're, you're doing a brisk side. They're doing a brisk side business in people's pets. My peacocks are worth like a thousand bucks a piece. Somebody better not have fucking sold off my peacocks. So I did a uh, cease and desist order. Pass it around. So it says, Y'all better not do anything other than return all 200 or so of my beautiful pets to me and us, safe and sound. For the press, today we turned in a mountain of evidence and motions to return our pets at once to us and put a stay on pack, Pima Animal Care Center, so-called care, euthanizing, redistributing, or otherwise withholding them from us. We move for court to impose sanctions on pack and APS for any further delay or attempt to impose outrageous bond fees of 53.1k or any amount because they were seized unlawfully from us in first place. We and our pets are innocent victims of these people's incompetence and cruelty to our animals. Here's the suggested headline. Pima Animal Care Charged with Cruelty. <clears throat> and then this is uh, another... They're like op-eds. I write op-eds. <clears throat> I call in the... Uh, I called the Justice Department 202-514-2000 and volunteered. Remove six SCOTUS justices at once, Supreme Court of the United States. Clarence Thomas accepted millions in unreported gifts. Why is he still in office in the highest court in the land? Why doesn't President Biden pick up the phone and demand his resignation? I would. Christopher Press, Trump for prison. Trusted de Geneva, Oxford University. P.S. Mady Hassan, you are ultimate journalist. You should teach the rest of the media how to do your job. What does Clarence Thomas need donors for? He is in a lifetime appointed position. Why isn't everyone in America calling for his immediate resignation and or removal from office and prosecution? Stop saying he has a... Oh, this is a, about Diaper Donald. Stop saying he has the Republican nomination or that he is running for office. He rendered himself ineligible January 6th, remember? He cannot get on the ballot for the primaries even because he disqualified himself, remember? Donald Jackass Trump disqualified himself when he incited insurrection because according to this little thing we have here called the U.S. Constitution, Section 3, 14th Amendment, no insurrectionist may run for office or hold office, so all of these Republican traitors who took part in this, all 160 of plus of them, must be removed and further disqualified because of their conduct. Sorry, not sorry. Christopher Price, Trump for prison. Bravo, thank you so much, Katie Porter, for having the integrity to call for Menendez. 
resignation as a mean to help restore public confidence in public servants, <clears throat> to shut down the government and to fund any and all criminal investigations into him should be considered an act of terrorism and sabotage of our country as well as obstruction of justice. Diaper Donald should be behind bars, not inciting more insurrection. I figure he must be holding our government hostage because of all the national defense secrets he's still holding in his bathroom and at Ivana's grave site. Guess the FBI and the Justice Department are too afraid of him to do their damn job and get a search warrant for all of his properties. They have probable cause, don't they? This is what we get when nobody but me calls for holding accountable the 160-plus Republican Congress members who took part in the January 6th insurrection. P.S. Nobody but me has ever called for these, all of these miscreants to be charged with treason. I guess everybody's too scared of these evil, pernicious domestic terrorists. New York Times, New Yorker, Salon, Op-Ed, L.A. Times, Young Dem, ASPCA, The Democrats, Humane Society, AZ Central, Media Sun, Ari Melbourne, College Dems, Comedy Central, Governor Hobbs, Mother Jones, Tucson Star, Netflix is a joke. Yes, Pima County taxpayers are paying for me us to be wiretapped illegally. <laughs> okay. Pretty cool, just uh, right. So now that I don't have any animals, well, let's try to make the best of uh, every situation. And uh, maybe it's the universe trying to say, "Hey, Trista, you've." You need to turn to painting, for example. Put uh, put all my artistry into another source and uh, well, uh, my campaign. Basically, this you know, paradoxically, they try to try to destroy my spirit, crush my spirit by taking away all my pets. But actually, uh, my spirit is indomitable. Anyway, yeah, Twitter.
<clears throat> and Pima Sheriff's tried to crush my spirit by taking away my pets. Seizing my pets. Therefore, my main source of joy. But they cannot succeed. My spirit is indomitable now. I have all the time in the world. Just put tor uh, four. I can't. What in the world? For my campaigns, I'm running for Pima County Justice of the Peace. As a senator and president, and POTUS, our senator um, and Pima Sheriff tried to crush my spirit. seizing my pets, my main source of joy, but they cannot succeed. They won't succeed. Indomitable, my spirit. Now, now I have all the time in the world for campaigning. Runner for Kimpimako Justice of the Peace, the judge. They can't succeed.
breathe, breathe in the air. So now they still want us to pay $53,100 to get back our pets. Fucking, they're gonna get crushed. Hey there. Gone. Gonna listen to some Billy Carson. I don't advise Sleepy Joe lovers to watch this because we're giving away these Donald oh, Trump please. 2024 gold bars at no cost. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But what's interesting about George Smith is the fact that. Uh, if you look at Zachariah Sitchin, who came along much later, obviously in our modern time, a lot of people thought that he was the one who translated these tablets, when in actuality, he was using existing translations yes. by this man. Uh, and so he, he actually noted that in his books, people weren't really paying attention. A lot of his translations were already done. He didn't translate really hardly anything. A lot mm -hmm. of them already existed. And this is one of the greatest reasons why this guy was one of the greatest researchers ever to be able to decipher these tablets and bring forth this information and unlock this code so that in this current time and era, we can actually have a chance to understand and grasp what really happened in the ancient past, or at least as close to what really happened as possible. Excellent. Thank you both for taking, well, lifetimes of uh, energy and pursuit to make this happen. I really appreciate it. So as we move on here, as your story progresses, let me know and we'll come back and do this again. Fantastic. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Again, the name of the book is The Epic of Humanity. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Michelle's previous work, the language in it actually says that this was a perfected being that was um, considered a sage of the first city of Urdu, which was interesting because there's another tablet called the Uruk List of Kings of Sages that lists him as the first sage of that.
you. you get this cross-examination of tablets and information that correlate. And what it says in the myth of Adapa is that Adapa was the first perfect man created. And Billy, what do you have to say on this? Well, when you, when you look at the myth of Adapa, you realize that human beings have such a high capacity for learning, spiritually and technologically, uh, and that there were people here, many more people, maybe even millions of people, long before the Adapa, but Adapa was the first of the more uh, advanced created, in other words, the best version of what they could do for a homo sapiens sapien, uh, and that's what we came out of. And so, basically, it's not that we came out of only Adam and Eve, two people, mm -hmm. because if you inbreed like that, we already know what, what's right, going right. to happen. Right, <laughs> Yeah, you outbreed pretty fast. Right, yeah, exactly, <laughs> really fast. So some people tend to think that you still can get 8 billion people from two, but it's not. The thing is, they duplicated what they did with Adapa, but Adapa was one of the very first sages, and he had the wisdom, and he was known to potentially even be greater than the Anunnaki themselves. Yeah, it seems that that perfected being in that location at that time gives us a way to look at it and say, well, what was going on during that time period? But when was that time period? Mm -hmm. And that's really what the focus is. And that's always the hard part. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. The, that was the challenge here is like, can we actually date when these events occurred? Mm -hmm. and, and turns out we actually can. If we take all the different kings lists from Sumer, mm -hmm. Sumerian king list, Heraclitus of Kings and Sages, the Barocious king list, we take them and, and others, and we take them and look at the dating that's used in that. Where do we go? How far back do we go? We take a, we take a story that is around. We'll, we'll we'll just we'll give it an estimation because there's aspects on either end that may go further or closer. But I just like to we'll give a nice date of two hundred thousand years ago mm -hmm. as a good date to start with mm -hmm. to really push. And that's why the timeline in the book is a two hundred thousand year timeline because we've identified that that seems to be. And, and of course, there may be things that are earlier. But this seems to be a date that we can, we can you reflect. can peg in yeah. some yeah. kind of physical reality yeah. and by way of evidence. Mm -hmm. And that was us as humans as we exist now, as yeah. we are now, mm -hmm. and we're a continued expression of that. Now you're saying going back at least 200,000 years that you can verify. In the first cities that were created right. when kingship was lowered here, not something where nomadic hunter and gatherers found a, a place that was suitable right. and they decided to build. Right. We're talking about a place that was divinely chosen mm -hmm. because of its energy and other properties, and then a city was built there. Right. So let's talk about George Smith and how your work is building upon the work of George Smith. So George Smith is the first Assyriologist expert, and Assyriologist just is a general term that means anything in the Mesopotamian area, mm -hmm. Sumerian or anything. They, they call themselves Assyriologists, and he cracked a code that has not been cracked in over a thousand years. He figured out how to read and write a language that had died off, had died off in a way where nobody knew how to read it, nobody knew how to speak it. It was something that was almost lost to our entire story. Now, unlike other languages that share commonalities, Sumerian and its subsequent branches of uh, Akkadian and Babylonian, they are language isolates. They don't share any characteristics with anything. If you were going to envision like an alien-like language, this is the one. Mm -hmm. This this language um, is something that is just completely out of place. Mm -hmm. it, it's you know, it came from supposedly the stars, and it, it was it was handed down to us as a way to preserve this message. And they were brilliant because the, the Sumerian language doesn't use any um, syllables or vowels. It uses simply symbols. So each word is unique in its own way, and it's not like you can take letters and put them together. You have to figure out what each word means, and then so it, it makes it 
extremely difficult because it's if you were to try to figure out a language, you could figure out what each um, what each letter means and, and try to piece it together. But that's what made this so challenging. And George Smith cracked the code in the late 1800s, and he figured out what no one has figured out for over a thousand years. He figured out how to tell our lost story. He was able to decipher in the first tablet that was ever it was ever um, figured out by him was the Epic of Gilgamesh, <laughs> and he was described as running around and being very excited that he had figured out something that had not been figured out for well over a thousand years. And this is where our understanding of that time period really begins. Where does any of this intersect with the Vedas, or does it? Um, it doesn't really intersect particularly with the Vedas. It's its, its own concurrent it's its story own, of it, our timelines. and Right, yeah. it's its own concurrent story. The Vedas kind of have their own concurrent story right. running simultaneously side by side. Right. I think both of those um, civilizations go back Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of, thousands. of years. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting about George Smith is the fact that uh, if you look at Zechariah 6, who came along much later, obviously in our modern time, a lot of people thought that he was the one who translated these tablets, when in actuality, he was using existing translations yes. by this man. Uh, and so he, and he actually noted that in his books, people weren't really paying attention. A lot of his translations were already done. He didn't translate really hardly anything. A lot mm -hmm. of them already existed. And this is one of the greatest reasons why this guy was one of the greatest researchers ever to be able to decipher these tablets and bring forth this information and unlock this code so that in this current time and era, we can actually have a chance to understand and grasp what really happened in the ancient past, or at least as close to what really happened as possible. Excellent. Thank you both for taking, well, lifetimes of uh, energy and pursuit <laughs> to make this happen. I really appreciate it. So as we move on here, as your story progresses, let me know and we'll come back and do this again. Fantastic. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Again, the name of the book is The Epic of Humanity. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds.
Why? Because we have a far left who is printing vast sums of money, and there's no end in sight. Hi, I'm Dr. Ron Paul, and this is a warning to all Americans. The people in power can dilute the value of your 401k or IRA at the click of a button. But the good news is there is one strategy that can protect your retirement savings from dollar devaluation, inflation, and all other kinds of economic uncertainty. I'm talking about gold-based IRAs. These little-known accounts provide long-term wealth preservation with no penalties or taxes when you transfer your retirement funds. To learn more, click the link below, and my friends at Birch Gold Group will send you a free info kit on gold IRAs. Birch Gold is the only company I trust when it comes to physical gold IRAs. And getting their info kit could be one of the smartest financial moves you have ever made. Why? Because it explains in detail how to protect your financial future using physical gold, just like people have done for over 5,000 years. And again, this information is free with no strings attached or obligation. So click the link below to request your free info kit on gold right now. You see this black box right here? Well, I'm going to show you something right now. Some people are concerned that they might have to go for a long period of time without power or electricity. That's why Four Patriots is blowing up with tons of requests for our biggest, most valuable survival tool ever, the Patriot Power Generator. And I should mention that when you get one of these personal power plants, you also get a free solar panel to charge it. Three days worth of survival food, free shipping, and a bunch of other free gifts that I'll list out in a little bit. By the way, this generator can power your fridge if you want it to. It can also power your CPAP machines, heaters, coolers, laptops, TVs, anything else that you'd like to plug in to one of the eight powerful outlets on the Patriot Power Generator. We're doing everything we can to make sure you get as much power as possible with everything going on right now. That's why now, for a limited time, and I cannot stress this enough, while supplies last, you can get a silent, fumeless generator. Again, this generator needs absolutely no fuel or gas to run it. And it can run safely anywhere, even in your bedroom. Forget about shipping costs. It's on the house. Free shipping on your Patriot Power Generator with tons of cool bonuses. I'm going to toss in four of our most popular guides for free that you'll have instant access on your device the minute you place your order. So you can read them today, in fact. This blackout survival library will give you the knowledge you need to get the most out of your electricity and will help you be better prepared in case of a long-term blackout. Here's every single free bonus you'll get with a Ford Patriot power generator. You get a Halo XT solar flashlight, a Patriot power cell backup battery, a Sun Kettle solar cooker, a pack of rechargeable AA batteries, a 72-hour survival food kit, and the solar lantern. Again, all of these bonuses are free. You don't have to do anything for them. They just come with your Patriot power generator. But right now, you have to click the link if you want to get yours before supplies run out for who knows how long. Take the initiative and get yourself prepared right now while we still have our Patriot power generator in stock. So you can be a survivor, not a statistic.
it's going to work a little bit both ways. Some of the uh, some of the technology and some of the some of the discoveries will be provided to to the general population or to citizens of this planet, uh, but not the really big ones. And I think, and I can't say this for sure, but I think that's in part because they probably signed agreements with the military industrial complex, NASA, or your, whoever it is, the bigger organization, uh, to keep some of the, the bigger discoveries top secret, because it's got to go through a filter first. I mean, they just can't go out there and say, look, we found this entire civilization, all this technology laying around, look, everybody, look, we, they're gonna, it's going to go by, through a step-by-step -step process, and then the powers that be will then decide who gets access to what, who gets a chance to see what. Overall, the private industries will, will profit significantly from this, and I think that the citizens of the world will be spoon-fed a little bit at a time. NASA is a front for a much bigger program, the SST or the Secret Space Program. And what, what NASA is planning to do, basically, is they're going to continue to progress uh, with, through private space because through private space, you can actually cover a lot more things up. So what do you think is the ultimate uh, say, you know, purpose or uh, destiny of man when it comes to space travel? Do you think that you know, humans will ultimately be going and colonizing Mars in the coming you know, millennia, for example, or do you think that ultimately uh, it will basically, you know, space travel will be secured for a small elite group that perhaps are even traveling in space for a living? Well, I think that the, the, the biggest objective overall for space travel is to uh, secure the human race. Unfortunately, it's a very small list of people that are allowed to get access to this these breakaway civilizations, and I really do believe that there probably are multiple breakaway civilizations right now and expanding. And I think that the they're, they're looking for specific types of um, genetic makeups, people with di different types of uh, abilities, whether it be technology, whether it be sciences, you know, whether it be even construction. Uh, so I think that there's a very small, hand-picked group of people that are going to these breakaway civilizations and starting these infrastructures. Uh, and I think that overall, in general, the general population, for mo for the most, might not even never know about it, or maybe many centuries down the road will then eventually have free access to go back and forth. But I think initially it's going to be uh, kept to the elites. Yeah, you know, a prominent theory that's coming that's circulating now is this flat Earth theory. And so according to that one, I don't think uh, I think the argument is that we've never actually left the stratosphere, right? We're actually we've never even traveled in space, and all the uh, you know the images that are sent past basically are just uh, you know, doctored and concocted. And you know, do you think there's anything valid in this flat Earth? Flat Earth? Uh, there's nothing valid in flat earth whatsoever. I really uh, empathize with the people who have kind of fallen for the propaganda. It's really a psyop, a psychological operation that was kind of put forth by, admittedly, a actually by the CIA uh, several years back. Now, there's been some circulation of lies about the Anunnaki thing that the earth was flat. Total lie. Yeah, the Anunnaki never once in any text, any tablet, anywhere have ever said the earth was flat. They talked about, matter of fact, when Alu was being sentenced to die on Mars, uh, these, the tablets talked about uh, the ship that Alulu and Anu were in orbiting Mars several orbits before they actually found a spot to land. Okay, How do you orbit something that's flat? And this is even another planet. They talk about, and Lil talks about, encircling the planet several times before finding the perfect place when he decided to pick uh, Mesopotamia as, as the official spot, even though Alulu had landed here many thousand years prior. And Lil took his own rounds and said, okay, this is the place that we're going to go ahead and establish the first major civilization here. So again, this is talking about a sphere of Earth. And you go into the Sumerian Cylinder Scroll where you actually can see that they depict all the planets that are orbiting the sun. They're all spheres. And even their own captured planet is, is on this Cylinder Scroll as well. So they depict the Earth as, as round. And then when you go into some of the biblical texts, Enoch, 
actually went on a planned trip in a spaceship with the Anunnaki. Uh, when you really digest it and really break it down, is what happened. He even told his son, here, these are their sacred records, guard them, so forth and so on. It was an appointed date they were going to leave. It wasn't like they just showed up and took them. Uh, and again, he described Jared uh, in the book of Enoch as a sphere. Okay, so now you can go to the Dogon tribe. They don't not only describe the Earth as a sphere, they knew every planet in our solar system, the color, the shape, and the sizes of all the planets, Neptune and everything else, Uranus. And they even knew about a solar system outside of our solar system where Sirius B and Sirius A. Sirius B is actually a star we just discovered in like the late 1960s, I believe, or 70s. Uh, they knew about this for thousands of years. And it's part of their history that they've brought down, you know, step by step. Um, and they actually talk about this star being a, uh, a failed star or a star that ran out of fuel. And the, the Nomo came here from this star. Uh, these were some Anunnaki-type fish people that actually came here and talked with some information. But so basically, so you can keep going back. The Zulu, the Zulu nation in Africa, they as well knew of all the planets, the shapes, the sizes. So to say that the Earth is flat and to say that NASA is a liar, okay, you can say that NASA lies. NASA has lies. There's no doubt about that. They've covered up a lot of things. Well, let's go to the ancient texts and, and figure that out. The ancients have all stated that the Earth is a sphere. When you look at the Perry Reese map, the Perry Reese map shows the Earth as a sphere. It shows Antarctica before you even had ice on it. And not only that, if you actually look at the Perry Reese map from above, you actually get positioned directly over Giza, Egypt, to make that exact layout of the Perry Reese map. So whoever, whoever started that map, the original, original first one, was taken from space looking down on the Egypt. Like some people like John Hancock have talked about a civilization that was global across the Earth, you know, the Atlantean, yeah. the Atlantean civilization. You're saying it was actually across the whole solar system. Interplanetary, correct. And this was basically given to us by the Anunnaki. Anunnaki, correct. The same architect. Uh, so presum presumably these Anunnaki that were here at one point, living amongst us, perhaps even in some way altering and creating us, um, at, at some point they apparently left, correct? Yes, correct. And that's, and what caused that, that uh, elsewhere? their flight and apparently say what does the, the landscape look like is this planet now human controlled in the, in the sense that you know, the Anunnaki are gone so right. humans are in charge well yeah uh, that would be really great if we were really in charge unfortunately it's not there were two pyramid wars one for much further back and then things settled down and then there was a, a second pyramid war these wars were always over the same thing control of humans control of land and control of these tablets of destiny which had changed hands a couple of different times and these tablets of destiny you know, they, they have this, their technology, they have genetic codes on them, they have star maps in them, all these different things, these tablets of destiny, and it's claimed whoever has them has control over the earth and, and over the galaxy and so forth and so on. But these wars uh, continue to persist, and this last particular one war was the nuclear war. And as you can tell, because you can just, you can read the descriptions of what's in the ancient text between the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Sumerian Cylinder Scrolls, it literally, literally describes radiation sickness, radiation poisoning, and the way the blast actually looked in the mushroom clouds when, when they go off. And, and, and they found glass in the sand, buildings have been vitrified and so forth. So basically what happened was a lot of them left. They just took off and got the heck out of here. Some stayed. Some were actually married already to humans and could not leave because they were already banned from going back to their home planet because of mating with, with humans. Uh, they stayed here, but uh, Amun-Ra, most interestingly, uh, who was the main target of some of this, this second pyramid war to be killed and so forth, he escaped. But before he escaped, he left the kingship to his uh, Ra-Kam, which is his offspring of. And the word Kam translates into the word shield. So you look and you say Ra-Shield. So right here you can see where we have a depiction of the Ra-Shield. In the ancient times, 6,000 years ago, already taking control of the finances and the kingdom 
from Amon Ra, who was the brother of Thoth. And you can see it persists all the way to this day. This is why you see a lot of Egyptian uh, uh, type themes with the Queen of England and so forth and so on. Because the, the pharaohs eventually migrated through Arabia, then into uh, England, into Europe, I would say. And where they became, uh, you know, kingdoms and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is, and this has progressed all the way into the United States to this current day. Fascinating interview. Thank you so much for your time, Billy. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. Fascinating insight from Billy Carford. You may not agree with or believe everything said here today, but I really urge you to check out his research at Forbidden Knowledge.